The following is a conversation with Matthew Cox, a con man recently released from federal prison where he served 13 years for bank fraud, mortgage fraud, identity theft, passport fraud, and other charges. He has admitted guilt to all of it. He has written true crime stories of many of his fellow prisoners, and now he continues this work by interviewing criminals about their crimes on his YouTube channel that I recommend called Inside True Crime. Exploring the mind of a criminal is exploring human nature at the extremes, often in its most raw and illuminating form. And that is something I definitely want to do with this podcast, to understand the human mind and everything it is capable of. All right, this is As Batch 130 for Matthew Cox. And now a quick few second mention of each sponsor. Check them out in the description. It's the best way to support this podcast. We got Freud's last session for a great movie, Babel for learning new languages, BetterHelp for mental health, NetSuite for your business management, and Element for electrolytes. Choose wisely, my friends. Also, if you want to work with our Amazing team, we're always hiring. Go to lexfriedman.com slash hiring. And if you just want to get in touch with me, go to lexfriedman.com slash contact. And now onto the full ad reads. As always, no ads in the middle. I try to make these interesting. But friends, if you must skip them, please do check out the sponsors. It really is one of the best ways, if not the best way to support this podcast. I really do enjoy their stuff. Maybe you will too. This episode is brought to you by, ooh, a new sponsor, Freud's Last Session. It's a movie, a new movie, and it's out in select theaters now. I'm really, really, really excited. First of all, I'm excited that Austin is showing it, and so I'm excited to go see it in the theaters this week, and I recommend you do too, if it's showing in your particular city. Anyway, it's got Sigmund Freud debating C.S. Lewis, about the existence of God. And I'm sure a lot of other topics that are kind of embedded into that overarching big topic about meaning in life and all that kind of stuff. Sigmund Freud, by the way, is played by Anthony Hopkins. And if you go online and see reviews, apparently he knocked it out of the park. I mean, he is kind of the perfect person to play Sigmund Freud. I, I love this. I love everything about this. In fact, the people that are making this film <laughs> said just that, that this is like the perfect movie for Lex. Anyway, maybe <laughs> you'll enjoy it too. Maybe this is just like a ad read for me directly. Maybe the whole purpose of this is for me to read this out loud so I remind myself to make sure I go see this amazing movie. Anyway, as far as I can tell, there's lots of philosophical explorations of human sexuality and the human condition. Friends, go see Freud's last session only in theaters playing in select cities. This episode is also brought to you by Babbel, an app and website that gets you speaking in a new language within weeks. I've been using it for many languages. Russian to sharpen the sword. Spanish, I really don't know what the metaphor there is because my Spanish is terrible, but it's extremely useful. And it's increasingly being translated and overdubbed on the Spotify side of things incredibly well with mostly artificial intelligence. I'm just amazed at what they're able to do. And this is the future. They're going to break down walls. But that's in the uh, content creation side, really 
in the physical space, when you interact with people, you can break down the walls of language by learning a new language. I also use it for French. I need to travel to France and Paris to talk to Dostoevsky translators and also to experience France. There's so many beautiful things about French. I've also dabbled in a bit of German, Italian, and Portuguese. Portuguese for the Brazilian jiu-jitsu stuff and um, German and Italian because I want to travel to Germany and Italy many times throughout my life. Anyway, this is a good app to uh, learn quickly conversational skills in another language. Get 55% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash lexpod, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash lexpod. Rules and restrictions apply. This episode is also brought to you by BetterHelp, spelled H-E-L-P, help. They figure out what you need and match you with a licensed therapist in under 48 hours. They provide therapy for individuals and for couples. It's easy, discreet, affordable, available everywhere. Obviously, it's the internet, it's online. I actually saw some usage statistics, which are pretty interesting. Over 350 million messages, chat, phone, video sessions. Over 35,000 licensed therapists. Over 4.4 million people got help. 4.4 million. I mean, it's such a beautiful thing that people take that first step or just take that step to talk therapy, to get help, to take their mental health seriously. So this is something you definitely should consider just because how easy it is to get started. A journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. Check them out at betterhelp.com slash Lex and save in your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash Lex. This episode is also brought to you by NetSuite, an all-in-one cloud business management system. It's an ERP system, as I hear the clever, experienced folks tell me lately. Let's think of it this way. A company is a machine, and this is the thing that standardizes the language for the different components of the machine to function well together. It is the brain at the center of the machine. Manages all the messy stuff, financials, human resources, inventory, supply, e-commerce, much more stuff. I think marketing too, CRM, that kind of stuff. 37,000 companies have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle and friends. If you like joy and celebration, NetSuite is celebrating the fact that they've turned 25 years old this year. So they've been around. Download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist for free at netsuite.com slash lex. That's netsuite.com slash lex for your own KPI checklist. This episode is also brought to you by our old friend Element Electrolytes, including sodium, potassium, and magnesium. It's a really big part of my daily nutrition and daily happiness. It was something that really helped me when I first started to try to do one meal a day. So that's like a 23, 24 hour fast. Getting your electrolyte consumption right, you know, with the water intake really prevents you from um, getting headaches and all that kind of stuff. It's kind of miraculous and amazing how many of the issues associated with fasting or any kind of dietary stuff can be fixed with uh, making sure you're getting enough sodium, potassium and magnesium and enough water, of course. So the, the cool thing about Element, of course, is that you're mixing it with water, so you're making sure that the consumption of the electrolytes and the water is right. And it's delicious. Watermelon salt is my favorite flavor. I haven't done longer than a 24-hour fast in quite a long while, and 
I'm always jealous when I see a GSB, George St. Pierre, doing that multiple times a year. So I'm gonna have to, one of these days, do a uh, 72 hour, a three, four, five day fast. And most certainly Element will be an important part of that. Anyway, get a sample pack for free with any purchase. Try it at drinkelement.com slash Lex. This is the Lex Friedman Podcast. To support it, please check out our sponsors in the description. And now, dear friends, here's Matthew Cox. What was the first crime you committed? The first mortgage I ever did. A mortgage is me borrowing money from a bank to buy a house. Yeah. How can you find a way to commit crime in this? How can you do fraud in this space? It's, it's very difficult for the average guy to commit fraud mm -hmm. because there's so many safeguards set up. Um, you know, if you were to go in and say, um, I make $300,000 a year, Okay, well, we want your W-2s. We want your pay stubs. We're going to call your employer. We're going to check to make sure your employer, how long they've been incorporated. We're going to check to make sure they're registered. We're going to, it's like, ugh, your whole plan fell apart, you know, because the average guy can't do that. He can't even come up with the, with the pay stub and W-2. So the average person, you know, or I'm going to put down this much money, but you're going to borrow that money from the seller, you know. Okay, well, then they start asking for bank statements. Where does the money come from? How long has it been in your bank? Like you can't even have it put in your bank for a day, get a letter. You know, it's got to have been there for 90 days or 60 days, depending on the bank. And, and so there's all these ways for the average person. It's very difficult to commit fraud. The average guy that works at Walmart and makes $60,000 a year, and he's been there for five years and he saved his deposit. Like it's a very, that's really the guy that those transactions are set up for to borrow a mortgage from bank of America. That's the guy they're looking for. So to commit fraud in this space, you have to misrepresent some aspect of your identity, of how much you're worth, how much money you have, this kind of stuff. Right. You have to be able to, to lie to the bank. I anytime you lie to the bank, you've committed fraud. And it's funny, when I was you know, doing it, I would say, oh, it's, it's in the gray area. There's no gray area. You're either lying in some capacity or you're not. So it's it, for instance, the very first loan I did, I, I whited out. Um, my borrower had been 30 days late on her, uh, on her rent. So they're really looking at the last two years. So when, when you go into the bank and they, most of what they're asking is a, is a, a two year window. They're saying, how long have you been on their job? They care about two years and how long have you been at your, um, at your residency? They're looking for two years. Now you could be at three places in two years. That's fine. As long as you consistent, consistently paid for two years. Well, she had been in an apartment complex, but she'd been 30 days late. Now she caught it up, but she was late. Bank, you know, the bank doesn't want to lend you money if, if you've been 30 days late. So I was a broker and I whited out the 30 day late. I just got rid of it. And my manager is the person that told me to do it. She said, it'll be fine. And she was right, it was. What did it feel like? So that was the first fraudulent action you committed. Yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I, was, I was worried. You know, I was say, you know, oh, I sweated bullets for you know, four or five days, you know, but I mean, I, I, I was concerned. 
And, and I don't know that I was concerned that I had broken the law. Uh, I was concerned because I was behind on my, on my truck payment. I was behind on my mortgage. Like I had banked on being a mortgage broker and I'd gone deep, deep behind on all my bills to do this. So in the last minute when this loan isn't going to close and I have to commit fraud to make that happen. And the, the idea, my fear was they were going to figure it out and maybe I'd get fired. It, you know, I didn't think I was going to go to jail because my manager assured me you're not going to jail. Like they'll, you'll get fired at, at best. So my concern was they were going to catch it and I get fired and I wouldn't get paid. Like I needed that money so bad. So we'll maybe paint the picture here. Where were you working? Who was the manager? The manager was, it's funny because I, I, I don't think I ever really mentioned this. It, her name was uh, Gretchen Zayas. She eventually, I don't mind saying it, but she eventually got, ended up going to jail for fraud. Mm. Her name was Gretchen Zayas and she was the manager. I was working for a company called Eagle Lending and it was in Tampa. And I, this was like my first month. So it was my very first deal, three or four weeks into it, into that first month. And I walk in, I put the file in, in front of my manager. She looks through everything, you know, oh, great, good, good. And put this one piece of paper over here mm-hmm. and sat there. And then when she was done, I said, uh, what's, what's going on? She goes, perfect, file's perfect. She goes, but your borrower was 30 days late on her rent. And she says that that's, it's done. She's like, that's a deal killer. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, what do I do? And I remember she pulled out a wh- thing, a whiteout. Remember the whiteout? Not the sticks, <laughs> but the one. Yeah. Yeah. And she started going. And I was like, what? She goes, if I was you. And she handed, she said, I'd white it out, make a copy, stick it back in the file. Yeah. She said, it'll be fine. And I went, I could, I was like, that. that's fraud. I could go to jail. And she goes, and she was like, it's, they're never going to catch it. She said, look, I, we do stuff. I do stuff all the time. She said, they're not going to catch it. And it, nobody's calling the FBI. She was the worst case that, that worst case scenario. If underwriting catches it, then they'll fire you. That's it. Nobody's calling. You're not going to jail. And I was, you know, I trusted her. I was like, okay. And so we, I, I did what she said. I stuck it in the file. And I mean, like I said, for f- four or five days, I was like, oh my God, oh my God I'm so scared of how old were you at this point? Probably 29. I think it was 29. Yeah. You know, like I had gone to college and so many things had not worked out. You know, I got a degree in fine arts. It's not, it's not a, uh, there's not a lot of people looking for anyone with a fine arts degree. And, uh, you know, I tried my, I tried to be a, uh, tried to be a, an insurance adjuster. Tried that for about a year, year and a half. That didn't work out. Uh, ended up, Ended up working construction for a few years. And, you know, so finally the girl I was dating said, you got to be a mortgage broker. You know, she's just had just started as a mortgage in the mortgage industry. Mm-hmm. And she was like, you have to do this. Like you were born to do this. This is perfect for you. What did she see in you? She said, it's just, you're a salesman. And I was like, cause I was like, you know, I barely balanced my checkbook. Like, I don't, I don't know anything about numbers. And she was like, it has nothing to do with that. It's sales. It's putting together deals. You know, you're good at that. You're good at negotiating. You're, you know, you're a natural sales salesman. And I figured I'd, I need to try something. So what aspect of mortgages is sales and deal making? And what aspects require the charisma that you clearly have? Well, one, you've got, you have clients 
that have lots of options. They can go to Bank of America, they can go to SunTrust, they can go to Chase. They have options if they have perfect credit. I ended up working for a company that was a subprime lender, and those people didn't have a lot of options. By Honestly, by the time they got to that, to Eagle Lending, th- their options were over. So what ended up, ends up happening is you're negotiating with sellers. You know, you would think that a lot of the stuff that in that industry that real estate agents should do, you know, the brokers end up doing. Because real estate agents are, are used to, you meet them at the house or they take you to several houses. They, you know, they, they open the door, they walk around, they write up a contract that's legit, mm-hmm. a legit contract. And you already, you're already pre-approved. Everything works out. But subprime, that's not the case. You got borrowers with horrific job history. They don't have enough of the down payment. They can't, maybe they have the down payment, but they don't have the closing costs. So you have to go to the real estate agent and say, listen, I need you to raise the purchase price and have the, the seller pay the closing costs, which is legal, but that's not to a degree, but that's not how they wrote up the contract. So now you're having to get them to rewrite the contract or you're have your, you know, there's little things you're trying to do. And the more the more deals you get done and the more you deal with certain real estate agents, the more you start to realize that they're, you know, you know which ones are completely above board and which ones are willing to twist the rules. And a lot of it works on personal relationships. Right, right. For some reason, people tend to like me mm-hmm. and trust me. Yeah. I don't know why. It's, it's, it hasn't worked out for so many people, but people naturally seem to trust me. And so if I say, Hey, I can close the loan, but you got to do this. It'll be cool. Don't worry. We do it all the time. It's like my third loan. And you know, all right, I've been doing this for years and they go, oh, okay. And then they raise the purchase price. They add some money. They have the seller of the house, give the borrower some money. They stick it in the bank or they put it in the, in escrow at the closing company. Like now you're starting to massage deals. What was the second time you committed a crime? So what? how did it start to evolve from the whiteout? Well, I mean, when that went through, you know, I you know, I think a normal person probably would have said, wow, it was a one-time thing, got away with it, Whew, I'm good. But for me, it, it just emboldened me. Mm-hmm. Like I just got a check for like, I don't know what it was, $2,500, $3,500. I was thrilled. And by that time, I was already working on another deal. But that guy... He made, I forget, something like, he had made like, let's say $45,000 the year before on his W-2. If you, based on his, based on his current track record or or his year to date of his pay stub, he made just enough money. But if you factored in last year's W-2, he was shy. So if I changed that $45,000 to $51,000, then he could, the loan closes. I get a check for 3,500 bucks. He gets into a house. I'm doing him a favor. You know, I'm doing God's work. So I fix it. it. I kick back. I'm terrified a little bit, you know, worried about it. Sure enough, it closes. Four or five days later, they call me. He's ready to close. A week later, we close. I get a check. Next guy that comes in. I mean, I, I got very, very quickly I was concerned. Do you have a house? Do you have a deal? Is it ready? I can get you. I can get you done. 
Now, if you were in bankruptcy or something, there's some things you just, they, you'd pull their credit and you just couldn't help them if they were, if they had a 550 credit score or something and no job. I mean, you know, it had to be within reason, but very quickly it was changing W-2s, changing pay subs, changing appraisals, um, you know, fixing, verifi- like I said, verification of the rent. So it evolved very quickly for me. And you're essentially helping people. <laughs> That's what I told myself giving them a chance, people that have been really struggling financially in life. And so you've been telling yourself that this is, you're doing a good, good thing for people. I told myself that right up until that those loans were solid and I was helping those people out right up until I went to prison and, and I was in prison and I had to write, the government asked me to write an ethics and fraud course for, to help teach the nation's mortgage brokers, um, you know, all loan officers and brokers have to take, I think it's nine hours of continuing education every single year. And I was approached to write the ethics course. And it was about that time and about the same period of time I was writing uh, writing a book, my book. And that kind of, I started reflecting on what I had done. You know, and the truth is like, and this is a horrible thing to say, because the first time I ever heard somebody say this, I remember thinking, oh, that's a horrible thing to say. Some people should not own a house. They shouldn't be allowed to borrow. They're not in a position financially, you know, and and there were there were many occasions where I put someone in a house that they 100% swore they could afford. It was, I was helping them. I told myself I was helping them. And a year and a half later, they're going into foreclosure. Their stuff's on the corner. They don't know where to go. And the truth is, is that I, I'm not smarter than the actuaries that came up with those underwriting guidelines. So in this whole process, how are you making money? Are you taking a percentage? Broker fee. Yeah, I charge a broker fee. Or you charge yield spread. So yield spread is, let's say the interest rate is 8% interest. If I charge them 25 basis points over the 8%, so I charge them eight and a quarter you know, 8.25, then I get 1% of the loan back as a fee. So if I charge them eight and a half percent, I get two points back. So if it's a hundred thousand dollar piece of property and the bank says your interest rate is going to be 8% and I tell you 8.5 and I'm charging you a $3,500 broker fee. Now I'm making $5,500. So on even a $100,000 loan, you could make a nice chunk of change. I mean, it's... So how much gray area is here? You said that there really isn't when you're lying or not, but... I mean, you're It feels you're like lying, there is. But it, but, well, every time I changed something, it wasn't gray area. I just committed right. well, I just committed fraud. At this level, you're either, you either meet the guidelines or someone has massaged it in such a way that they've committed fraud. That's it. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, there's, there's tons of ways where you can commit fraud and they just can't figure it out. Does that make sense? Like, I, I mean, I've com- you've committed fraud and it's like they look at the entire, they look at all the documents and they double check everything and they know there's fraud in here. And they just can't find it. But just because they can't find it doesn't mean, doesn't it's mean it wasn't fraud. Exactly. Doesn't mean it wasn't fraud. As part of this, you did a lot of fascinating things. One of the things you did, you talked about creating synthetic people, meaning right. uh, <laughs> creating fake identities. What, is, what does it take to do that, to do that well? So- your credit profile is made up of your, you know, your 
your at your name, date of birth, your address, and you know your social security number. Mm-hmm. And you know those are the kind of you know, and then there's other things where you work, that sort of thing. But what people don't realize is there's so many people out there that think that the credit bureaus already know who you are, mm-hmm. right? But the truth is the first time the credit bureau has ever heard about you was when you told them. The first time you applied for a credit card, you they created a credit profile at that moment. Prior to that, they had no idea. So the first time you apply, you give them your, your full name, date of birth, social security number, and your address. And they create a credit profile and they say, hey, no record found of this person. He has no credit, nothing, probably got denied. Well, what I realized through the course of, because eventually I ended up leaving that one company and I opened my own mortgage company. Mm-hmm. When I opened that mortgage company, I was, I was on the inside. Does that make sense? Like I wasn't a I wasn't just a broker that was sitting out with everybody else and would periodically come in and ask questions or would call underwriting and, but really didn't understand what was happening and what exactly what the underwriting guidelines were. Now I was actually talking to the underwriters and you're, you're talking to the, um, to the owners of the lending institutions and the banks, and you're talking to all of the account executives. And now it wasn't just Eagle lending. I was talking to, there were 40 different account executives coming in on a weekly basis, trying to get us to sign up with their lender. Mm -hmm. And they're on the inside telling you, coming in, showing you uh, programs and saying, look, if your borrower is, you know, Mm self-employed, we don't ask for this or this. We just ask for them to say they're self-employed, like liar loans. You've, you've heard the term liar loans. Okay. Um, or no doc loans where they don't ask for any documentation. If he's got over like, let's say a 700 credit score and he says he's been a plumber and he works for himself, then he's got over a 700 credit score. He just has to say he's worked for himself for over two years. And they don't ask any, they don't ask for any documentation. He's got the money in the bank. He's got a 700 credit score, says he's been on the job for two years. He's self-employed. We're going to raise his interest rate by 1%. And, and he's got, you know, and that's it. He's, he's got the loan. So but you start to you start to know how things work because I hired a bunch of brokers to work underneath me. And when they would get caught, I would get the phone call. So I get the phone call from the owner of a bank or a, a lending institute, you know, a lender. And that lender says, hey, Matt, we got a problem. I'm like, what's up? He's like, he's like, listen, uh, we, we caught a, a fake W-2. I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? Yeah, your, your broker so-and-so sent us a file and this person had, there's two fake W-2s and we're assuming the pay stubs are fake. And I'm like, are you serious? How, how did you even catch that? And they go, oh, well, here's what we did. We checked with sunbiz.com, you know, sunbiz.gov, which is the secretary of state's website that registers corporations. And we checked and the tax ID number didn't match. And I now I know every W-2 has to have a matching uh, tax ID number for whatever corporation uh, issued it. So there's a sequence of checks they do to detect fraud on different documents like W-2s. Right. And then you're slowly learning. Slowly, yeah, exactly. What's the process for detecting? I mean, I had a pretty good understanding anyway. Yeah. But so I'm starting to learn that. common sense understanding, yeah. So I'm putting these things together. And I remember one time I had a woman come in and she came in and she had perfect credit. She had like 750 credit scores. I mean, it was perfect. And she came in. And uh, 
one of the brokers came in and said, hey man, he's like, can I show you something? I was like, yeah, what's up? He, he goes, look, he said, I've got this, this woman's W-2s here. I said, okay. I looked at him and he goes, here's your credit report. And he goes, here's the you know, application. This is the, this is the social security number. I went, all right. And he said, this is the social security number on the W-2. And I went, okay. Keep in mind, you go to get a car loan or credit card. They never ask for these things. So, and he was like, and I'm really shocked he even noticed it. I probably might not have even caught it, but he, they were different. And I went, really? And he goes, yeah. He said, um, so I, I did, you know, she just brought him in. You know, she's here. And I was like, oh, bring her in here. So she came in, sat down. I said, listen, here's what we just found. And she was like, oh, okay, you know what? I don't want the loan. I, I just, I go, no, 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 no. I said, listen, you're getting the loan. You got a 750 credit score. Like, I don't care what we have to do. We're getting you the loan. I just want to know what's going on. How are, how did you, how did you get 750 credit scores under this social security number when clearly this is your real social security number? You've been working for this company for 10 years and your credit profile says it's only like three years old. And I was like, what happened? And what she told me she did was she had been, she went through a divorce. She had been married for 10 years, used her husband's, I mean, his surname Mm -hmm. for 10 years. So she she has no credit under her maiden name. Mm -hmm. But when they got divorced, she switched to her maiden name Um, because when she pulled, tried to get anything in her, in her um, husband's surname, Mm -hmm. it was denied Mm -hmm. bad credit. So he had bad credit. Their credit went bad. So he switched to her, she switched to her name. And a friend told her if she needed to get her electric or anything turned on, she could use her name and use her daughter's or son's social security number, mm-hmm. which was like a four-year-old kid. Yep. So she used that and it went through. She had to put a deposit down, but it went through at least. Mm-hmm. wasn't denied. So that went through. Then she went and she applied for an apartment with that. Mm-hmm. Sure enough, it went through. She had no credit, but they said, you don't have bad credit. So she said once she moved into the apartment, she then started getting these pre-approved credit cards. So she she goes, but I knew I had applied there using my son's social security number, let's say. So she started filling those out. And sure enough, she got a credit card. And then she got two. And then she got a pre-approval from Ford Motor Credit. She went and got herself a new car. Got approved. She'd been making the payments ever since. She has 750 credit scores. She thought she'd try her hand at buying a house in his name, in his social security number. And... We caught it and she got a house in that name. We we closed it. I just was like, wow, like this is great. Can I ask you a question about that? Because it seems like she's able to pay for everything. Right. So while this is highly illegal, is it unethical? Is it like, it's it's unethical in that it's messing with the system on which a lot of people rely. But it feels like there's some aspect of the system that's broken in that it doesn't give people like her a second chance. She could have claimed bankruptcy. And then two years later, listen, two years out of bankruptcy, you can go into Bank of America and get a conventional mortgage, assuming you have perfect credit outside the bankruptcy. You have the down payment. You make enough money. There's a whole bunch of, you know, a, a bunch of uh, underwriting guidelines you have to meet. But that's possible. But you're right. For instance, she wasn't getting an apartment using with her bad credit. She wasn't getting her utilities turned on. She wasn't getting any of those things done. So getting your life back on track is just harder. It's extremely hard. So there's a temptation to take the shortcut and the shortcut is often going to be illegal. Right. And she stumbled into it, but she basically 
explained it to me. And I, I mean, I don't think she had walked out of the, of my brokerage office before I went and I just started making up, you know, names. And I think I went, I went and into our file cabinet and grabbed some people's, uh, 1040s, which we had, you know, their tax returns and looked up children's social security numbers and just grabbed some random kids, social security numbers and their name and went and pulled them and sure, and, you know, but I changed their date of birth to be an adult, pulled it. And sure enough, it came up, no file found, you know, it didn't say fraud alert or fraud or anything. It didn't say mismatched this mismatched that it didn't say anything. It just said, you know, no file found. Well, then we went and we pulled, applied for a couple credit cards using a child's social security number. And then we went and pulled our own credit report. And sure enough, it didn't say no, no, file found, it just said that there had been two inquiries applying for credit cards. So I was like, wow, like that's a credit profile. So that turns into me going to social security and calling or calling social security and trying to get them to issue me social security numbers to adults that had never had a social security number issued to them. I need to get social security number to give me a clean social security number. But I called up and of course, you know, I, I'm a novice. I don't really know what I'm doing. So I'm, I call up and I say, Hey, uh, yeah, I was, I'm, uh, never had a social security number issue. And they were like, how old are you? And I was like, I'm 31 years old, you know? And they were, yeah, that's not possible. Do you have a driver's license? Uh, yeah. You have a bank account? Yeah. You have a social security number. Uh, bring your driver's license in and we'll, we'll pull it up. Okay. Well, that's not going to happen. Hang up, call back. Hi, um, my son is seven years old or three years old, and he he never had a social security number issued. Oh, okay. Was he born in a hospital? Yes. Well, he has one. He has one. Go ahead and uh, get your son. Come in here. No, I'm not doing that. Hang up. Call back. So I called back probably 10 times, and eventually... Uh, someone said, I, I kept altering it, kept altering what I was saying till I got to the point where I was saying, my son was born with a midwife, not in the hospital. And the pediatrician told us that we needed to go, we need to get social security to issue a social security number. And they would say, well, he should have issued it, but that does happen sometimes. So bring your son in and we'll, you know, you can fill out the paperwork. We'll have one issued. Mm-hmm. You know, first we'll check to see he never had one issued. And if he hasn't, we'll issue one. And so then it turned into my son is out of the country and I need this. And then that turned into, oh, I'm sorry. Well, how old is he? I was like, um, you know, he's three. And they go, well, I'm sorry. If he's over the age of 12 months old, he has to come in hang up the phone, call back. My son is 10 months old. He's out of the country, born with a midwife, never had a social security number. And then they go, oh, okay, that's fine. Just get his birth certificate and a shot, his shot record. And you can come in, fill out the paperwork. We'll issue you a social security number. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. So I figured out how to create a, a birth certificate. You know, I ordered the security paper, you know, when uh, where you, you make a copy says, you know, void if copied. Mm-hmm. So I ordered, had to order a bunch of that. And I went online and figured out how to make a, a fake birth certificate. It was great too. Cause like the County actually, they give you a, a blank form and then they actually show you what it looks like filled out. 
like a handwritten one filled out. So I knew if he was born this day, he got these shots. Uh, two months later, he got these shots. Mm -hmm. Six months later, he got these shots. So I just filled it out. I even had to order a, a seal. So you have to have a seal that says like Hillsborough County Vital Statistics or Richland County Vital Statistics or something. And I couldn't get anybody to make that. So I changed it to like Richland County Office of Virtual um, Records. And then I took like 220 grit sandpaper and, and, and hit it over and over and over again to wear it down. And then I stayed, you know, I did the embossment on the, on the corner and, you know, I printed it on the security paper, embossed it. Nobody looks at those things. You could see Richland County, you know, you could, you could kind of see that. And that, really they just grab it and they go like this. This is what you realize after you, when I started getting, started getting uh, driver's licenses issued by, uh, by the state DMV, right? The state, I, I figured out eventually it was easier to just go into the DMV and have them give me a, a driver's license than actually make one. So, but you notice they would just grab the thing. They'd feel the form and go, okay. Like they don't even look at it. So, which is upsetting. If you put as much work into these documents as I am for them to go, okay, yeah, that's good. Sit over there. I felt like going like, hey, bro, like yeah. take a look at this. This is artwork. Yeah. <laughs> but they're looking for the low hanging fruit of crappy fraud. Right. Yeah. This stuff was right through. So, okay. So, so birth certificate gets you a uh, social security number. So it's 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 interesting because you've also you you've done a lot of different approaches to um, creating synthetic people. There's right. homeless people involved, so sometimes it's grounded in real people or real names, and then you're right. Like some part is fake, some part is real. Sometimes, and sometimes it's completely all fake. Right, because now I have the name, I have the social security numbering. What's great is they mail you. What's even better is you get then you get to pick whatever name you want. Mm -hmm. You know, because when you pick your child's name, he doesn't even have to have your last name. Mm -hmm. You pick any name. So I would pick a name and I'd just say, oh, my wife's last name is this. If it, they questioned it, which they never did. But, you know, I've got a social security number and then I would go apply for credit cards and I'd get denied, of course. But they would all offer me a secured credit card. So I, I'd then fill out the secured credit card and I'd send them, send the bank the money and they would give me a secured credit card for $500, $300, a thousand, whatever it was. And then once you start making the payments, I pulled the credit and a credit profile shows up saying that this 31 year old man with a social security number that I know was issued, you know, a couple months ago has three, three credit cards. They don't even say secured. They just say, there's like this credit card is $500. It was issued by Bank of America. This one was issued by Capital One. This one was, so I've got three of them, but I had no credit scores. So at that point, I kind of kicked back and waited. I just kept making payments. And I remember thinking to myself, I'll bet you they don't, that the credit bureaus don't generate credit scores for at least a year. And I was like, God, this is going to be a year long process. And while that was happening, I started other, I was starting other ones because I figured at least in a year, I'll have a bunch of these secure, you know, these, um, we call them like phantom borrowers, but now they call them synthetic identities. So uh, at least I would have these synthetic identities and maybe I could do something with them. But what happened was at six months, I went and I randomly pulled the guy's credit, you know, the person's credit and 705 credit scores, 705, 701, 695. I was like, oh my God, you only needed a 620 
to borrow, to get a 95% loan from the bank. So I was like, oh my God, this is, in, oh, this is amazing. Sure enough, a month later, the other ones I had started, all of them, bam, bam, bam. So what do you do with a phantom borrower? Like what, how do you make money on this? So I think most people, if you were just like a scammer or a fraudster, you would, you would probably just get credit cards and maybe build up that history or maybe try and borrow a personal loan, uh, which is limited. You know, it's personal loans are used to be, you used to be, you could go to uh, an FDIC insured bank, which borrows money. Those, you know, the personal loans they lend out at the max $15,000, you know, so you could do that. So you can go through this whole process of creating a fake identity, getting a card, paying it off, building up credit, and then you get $15,000 at the end. Or right, something. you get 15, maybe, you know, if you want to keep making the payments, you know, if you could wait a year, you could probably get 15,000, uh, maybe, you could maybe get 20, 30,000, and a bunch of little smaller ones, you know, you get 7,500, because I did, I did, there was $7,500 from Citibank, you know, $5,500 from American General. So you maybe get what, 25,000, you know, maybe 30,000 in personal loans. Maybe you can, you could, you could then apply for, you can maybe get another 20 or 30,000 in regular credit cards, you know, 10,000 here, 8,000, 5,000. And then you go to the lower department store cards and you go to Home Depot, you get a thousand, you get 500. So it ends up being, maybe you can get 50, 60,000. Maybe if you're really good, you could get up to 80 or a hundred thousand dollars in credit cards and personal loans. If you really knew what you were doing, but. Per person, per identity. Per identity. But I had the ability to, to leverage that perfect, those perfect credit profiles against properties. And I mean, ultimately, that's what I end up doing. And and so each one of those identities was worth, you know, a few million. Can you explain how that works? So uh, to leverage them against property. So how does that work with a mortgage? So what I did yeah. eventually, mm-hmm. I mean, this was like is down the road, but, you know, I mean, at this point when things are just my whole life had kind of gone off the, the rails, I was on federal probation. And, and so what I did decided I was going to do was start running a scam, a much larger scam. And what I was going to do was I was going to start flipping properties, right? Like buy houses cheap, fix them up and sell them. Mm -hmm. There's an area of Tampa called Ybor city. So I was going to start flipping houses in Ybor city. And, you know, I thought, okay, I can, I can buy these houses for, you could buy a really crappy house at that time for 50, $60,000, let's say 50. And then you could put $25,000 into it in renovations. You could renovate it for 25 and maybe you could get an appraisal for a hundred. So I thought what I could do is I can, I can buy these houses, renovate them and sell them to, you know, regular people. But I also had been working on the synthetic identities. And then I thought, well, or I could just sell them to synthetic identities. And then I wouldn't have to dump 25,000 into it, right? And these guys are perfect. They have perfect credit. I can provide W-2s and pay stubs because by this point, I'm manufacturing businesses. So I've got, I've got, I've incorporated businesses. I've got websites for the businesses, W-2s, pay stubs. So these guys have, these guys look perfect. So I figured I'll buy these properties for 50,000, sell it to these guys for a hundred. Maybe I'll pocket 40 or 50,000. I don't really have to do anything. 
but that seemed short-sighted. So I thought what'd be even better is that if I did a little bit of renovations and then I sold it for much higher, maybe I put 10,000, clean up the outside of it because these guys don't care what the inside of, of the property looks like. You know, they, they're not, they don't exist. So, and then I, but I can't, how am I going to get an appraisal for a hundred thousand dollars? Well, do you, you know how appraisals work? Okay. So the bank sends an appraiser out or at that time you could provide an appraisal. They can review it. So they'll do what's called a desktop review. They review it, they review it on, um, on the computer. They never go out to the property or they send someone out. They, they call that, you know, it's like a field review. They send someone out and they just look at the house. They don't go in it though. So I have to clean out the, clean up the outside of the house. So what I did was, but the problem is, is if your house is, you're trying to sell that house for, let's say 200,000, the other houses, they have to pick three comparable sales in the area that are also going to support a, th- a $200,000 sales price. Well, there's no other houses selling for 200,000 near this house. So I thought if I want to get these things appraised for 200, 250,000, I have to sh- have comparable sales and that appraisal is going to be reviewed. So what I did was I started, I went out and I bought this house for 50,000 and I recorded the sale at 200,000. So when you buy a house for $100,000, you pay $700 in doc stamps. But if you pay the extra an extra 700 bucks, the sale shows up for 200,000. Well, I'm buying these things for 50, so I'm paying $350 mm-hmm. and I'm just paying an extra $1,050. So I'm so it ends up being you know fourteen hundred dollars, but that but the sale shows up at two hundred thousand on a house that's a, a crack house I bought for fifty thousand dollars. Now I go, I trim the trees, we mow the yard, we clean up the porch, we put the porch rail on, maybe we paint it real nice, we black out all the windows. You can't see inside, um, but from the sh- from the curb it looks great, and I get an appraisal. So I do that with that house. I do that with another house, all within a mile. So I buy four houses knowing I could use the, the all there's a subject and three comparables for all of them. So the first thing I did is I bought four houses for 50,000, 60,000, 40,000 and I recorded the values at, you know, 210, 200, 190. So I get an appraiser to come out there, he appraises it. He said of course he says it's horrible, but there's comparables here. Now of course it is in bad shape and he says it's in bad shape, but I I go ahead and I correct all that. So I correct it. So now if you if you review the appraisal and you're in California, or even if you drive your car down, your the appraiser comes to the house and looks at it from the street, it looks fine. But the truth is, I've got $60,000 into this property and you're appraising it for 200,000. So the bank's rated not they're not going to lend 200, but they'll lend 190. So the bank is ready to lend this synthetic borrower $190,000 on a house that I have 60,000 in. So I walk, so I schedule a closing and we close on the house and I walk away with $60,000. You know, and and the thing is like the, the problem was is by the time I got to this point, I knew so many people in the industry. I nobody had to really at that point show up. Although I've had people show up for the synthetic identities and sign for them. 
almost all the closings, nobody ever showed up. I just showed up and said to the title, uh, to the title agency and said, Hey, my borrower, he's at work right now. He can't make it. Can I just take the file and I'll have him sign all the documents at his work and I'll bring them back. He's like an hour and a half away from here. I'll be back in two or three hours. And they're like, Oh wow, that, man, Matt, thank you so much. And they would give it to me and I'd go sit in the parking lot and I'd sign all the documents. I would wait a, an hour or two and I'd come back in and say, here you go. Uh, how are you able to keep all this in your mind? Because you have to not slip up in any of these conversations. It's pretty easy for me to for me to keep them everything in the correct category. Does that sure. make sense? Like it, it's it's I'm not great at a lot of things, but this I was very good at. But well, th- there's these phantom people that exist, and they were becoming real people in your mind is in like you're able to tell good stories with with those people right like because if you're talking to the appraiser if you're talking to the everybody in, involved well keep in mind the appraiser almost never meets the borrower never not even almost like 99.99 percent of the time they never meet them but you have to talk about them yeah so i guess what i'm asking is you're able to converse fluently about these synthetic identities yeah they they all had different jobs they all had, they, all the jobs were basically, they were all on the job for five years. They were all, it was, a lot okay, of it sure. was. There's a template. Yeah, exactly. But. <laughs> I got it. You know, it. Listen, all, matter of fact, almost every one of them had the same birth date, you know? So, because I, you know, who knows? Um, there's, so it, it, yeah, it wasn't difficult. And keep in mind, the, a lot of the, the brokers barely ever meet, um, meet the bar. They call in on the phone, but it didn't matter anyway, because I'm walking and saying, I got a slam dunk deal for you. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, wow, Matt, you got the W-2s, the pay stubs. You've got all the, you got all their, uh, their rental history. You have everything done. It's perfect. Thank you so much. They're happy to do it. Hey, I print up the docs and I'll have them go sign it. Great. Wow. Thank you. You know, assuming they didn't already know about it. And almost everybody involved in this, by the time I was done, was involved. There's probably 15 or 20 people that all knew what was going on. The full of it. They knew the full depth of it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Maybe not one hundred percent everything, but they definitely knew this is fraud, and they were still going along with it. Yeah, yeah. Keep in mind that even when I give you an example, one of my, you know, let's say, and this happened with almost all of them, was he would buy five houses. So the guy bought. What happens? The, the basic design was. I buy the houses, I record the values higher, and this person buys all five houses, refinances them. He ends up borrowing a little bit over a million dollars in his name. Uh, then, of course, then I go and I, I get um, personal loans from several banks. I get credit cards. I run up all of his credit cards. By this point, I've got ten, twenty thousand dollars worth of credit cards in the guy's name. So the guys are all worth like a million, million and change. Well, once I stop paying, you start getting letters from the collection companies, right? From the banks, you know, and then they sell them off. So after about three months, you're getting tons of letters. And what I would do is I would take my borrower's name, I would go online and I would find, or I'd go in the newspaper and I would find I would find an article about, let's say, like a 12-car pileup. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's, you know, there's a huge accident on I-4. It's very dangerous. So there's a 12-car pileup, and someone 
in the accident was life flighted to Tampa General Hospital. I would cut and paste that article and I would just insert my borrower's name into the article saying that, you know, Brandon Green was life flighted to Tampa General Hospital is currently in critical condition. I would then print that article out on newsprint and then make a copy of the, cut it up, make a copy of the newsprint, highlight his name, and I would write a letter from Brandon Green's fictional sister to the collection companies saying, several months ago, my brother was in a horrible car accident. He is currently, they've got the article, they have the highlighted name. He clearly was in, in, this, uh, in this accident. He is currently in a coma, and the doctors say, even if he wakes up from the coma, he will never work again. That, you know, so you might as well just foreclose on, stop writing us letters and take the houses back. And that's all they're looking for is, is, is a reason. At this point, even if they look into Brandon Green, they can't figure out if he's a real person or not. Because he's got a social security number. He's got, and everything went bad at the same time. He's got multiple rental properties or his primary residence. All of his credit cards went bad. Everything went bad. We have an excuse. We have a letter. That happens. People get divorced. They lose their job. They get in accidents. It's reasonable. When they look into it, it all looks legitimate. Even if they ordered another appraisal. By this point, it's not four comparable sales or three or four comparable sales. By this point, it's like 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, because I kept making more and more of these guys. What was your, just a, almost like a tangent, what's your thinking process? There's a lot of cleverness going on here. So like uh, the, the car pileup as a solution, a newspaper and you mail it. What, are you sitting there alone and thinking through this? Like, how do you come up with that idea? It's, a, it's um, a very interesting, a very clever, innovative idea. So at first I, I thought about making like a, a fake death certificate. Mm -hmm. He died, you know, but I thought, oh, I don't know. Like what if, you know, like some of these places had like, you know, uh, you know, primary mortgage insurance. Like what if the primary mortgage insurance, like what if they try and claim because he was dead or like, I don't know. I don't know that side. So I'm like, Ugh, I don't want to do that. I want to do something that's semi-verifiable and third parties, like a third party telling you this is what happened. I thought, well, like the newspaper, you know, and, you know, or do I claim bankruptcy? And I've done that. I've gone and got the bankruptcy forms, right? You can go to the bankruptcy court and they'll give you forms to mail to all of your uh, creditors and you mail them. They stop contacting. They wait to be no located by or notified by the bankruptcy court. But my fear there is, you know, uh, Nobody's ever going to notify them. Like I'm not going through bankruptcy for one of these guys. So it was like, this is a, this is a better bet than just writing a letter saying, I'm going through a divorce. My wife's keeping those houses. That's her problem. You know, you could do, there's lots of things you could do, but to me, this was, yeah. they're not going to try and how do you, how do you shut it down without him dying? How do you shut that down? This is how you shut it down. He's in a coma. He'll never work again. He was in a car accident. Here's the proof. He can't even write you. I'm his sister. I wrote you the letter. It's a one-time letter that seems to um, tie up all tie, the exactly, sons. exactly. You know, I don't know the exa exactly how that. You know what sparked that is as much as there were so many other avenues that I could have gone that I was. I just didn't know. I was but you concerned. were thinking through all those different avenues. Yeah. Are you mostly thinking alone? I mean, you know, I had guys that I was bouncing ideas from. ideas off of. There were other guys that were involved in the scam, you know, everybody, 
I think that scam ended up making like, I think the FBI said, yeah, it was like 11 and a half million or something. And, and, you know, but, but there were so many other people that were involved in that scam that were, you know, this guy's getting 50, this guy's getting 20, you know, 17,000, 20,000, 25,000. And, you know, the we're just doing it constantly. And so the bank would foreclose on that property. They'd take it back. They'd put it back on the MLS. They put it back on the MLS for a hundred, for 200,000, it wouldn't sell. Then they drop it to you know one fifty wouldn't sell. Then they drop it to one twenty five, one thirty wouldn't sell. They drop it to ninety, and somebody buy it for like ninety. It wasn't worth ninety, but by that point, that whole area had we done so many houses at that point, the whole area shot up. And the the FBI said uh, we did one hundred and nine houses. I don't think that's true, but wow. we we when I end up leaving Tampa after that scam falls apart and the FBI shows up. Forbes came out with an article, whatever, six months later, and they said that the Ebor City zip code was one of the top 20 fastest growing um, appraising areas in the country. And, you know, everybody was like, oh, that's mad because this place is a dump. Like, this, this is a horrible place. Like, this is. And I remember one time I had talked to a guy, you know, years later, and he was like, oh, all the comparable sales have dried up. Like when you left, there was just nothing even close to 200,000. You mentioned right before uh, telling the story of this elaborate scam that you were on federal probation. How did that happen? So I mentioned that I, I own the mortgage company. Yes. Right. So I, I had started a mortgage company. I had maybe a dozen guys working for me and, and there was fraud, you know, like I would say it wasn't all fraud, but whatever, 60, 70% of it was fraud that was going in there. And from the outside of that, that business, it looked very legitimate. You know, we were an FHA approved lender. We were a VA approved lender. We did conventional, probably signed up with 40 or 50 subprime lenders. Um, but, but there was a considerable amount of fraud and, you know, it, it kept getting, you know, it, it became a game, right? You know, it, you start, you start, I started getting just more and more creative. Like, like I said, every time I would get away with something, like you become emboldened by it. It's like, nice, you know, like, Hey, the underwriter's looking for this and looking for this. And you sit there and go, man, so that she's, you know, that's, what am I going to do? What am I, you know what we could do? We could create, create our own bank. What? Yeah. Here's what we're gonna do. We're going to go on. Like, how do they know if this bank exists? These people are in California or they're in New York. Like, they don't know. So what we're going to do is we're going to go online and keep in mind, this is 2000, you know, this is 2000, 2001. Like this is the internet's in its infancy still. Right. So we figure out, I remember GoDaddy, I think had just come up with a site where you could build your own website. Like how cool is that? So I go online with a buddy of mine and we create something called the bank of Ebor. You know, we cut and pasted things that we like from other banks and we got a 1-800 number you could call or a 1-86 number, whatever it was. And you could call it and it would go to a voicemail. And so we set up this bank. And then I ended up making bank statements, which by this point, I already had been making bank statements to, to prove someone has their down payment. Because a lot of times people, they have good enough credit to borrow 95% or 90%, but they don't have their down payment. So we'd raise the purchase price high enough to cover their five or 10% down payment. And we would bring their down payment for them or we'd have the 
owner of the house bring the down payment for them. And then we would have a check cut out of the closing statement to a construction company that I owned. And we get our money back. So they get into the house for 100% financing or 110%. Some of them turned into 130. We want to pay off their car, give them an incentive to sign. Um, they don't have, still don't have the money to buy it. So we're doing all kinds of insane things. Well, at some point, remember Gretchen, Zayas, my, um, my old manager? Yeah, the original. Yes. The OG. She came and worked for me for a short period of time. And then she and her husband went and opened their own mortgage company, which you should have known it was going to be fraudulent from the get-go because it was called Creative Financing. It was, was yeah, create C, uh, CFM, Creative Finance. No, Creative. Was, creative was in the name. Yeah, yeah, Creative was in the name. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, so. It's really on the nose. So she, uh, she's doing very well. And, and we became very close, by the way. Where we go on vacation, went to Puerto Rico together. Um, I'm, I got married at the time. I got ma- I was married. Uh, our kids, you know, play together. We babysit. We go to each other's parties. We're close. We're good friends. And she's got her own mortgage company. She calls me up periodically and asks me, "Hey, can you make a W two? Or hey, can you make me a pay stub? Sure, no problem. We're friends. That's what fraudulent friends do. So, you know, if I needed somebody to, to verify rent or verify somebody's um, rental history or employment. She had cell phones. She would answer that sort of thing for me. Well, what ends up happening is um, she gets in trouble. She starts doing fraudulent loans for some guys, you know, and these guys are doing what's called a cash back scam. So they're, they're getting like a half a million dollar loan on a house that's worth $300,000. So they're getting a, a, they're buying the house for whatever, 600,000. It's really only worth 300, 350, but she happened to be in an area where she could get it, the appraisal jacked up. So they, they buy the house, they get two, $300,000 back. And um, it's it's a it's a straw man scam, right? It's a cash back straw man scam. So this is a real person that's buying the house. He's got perfect credit, but he's willing he's willing to let to ruin his credit to get a couple hundred thousand in his pocket. So he never has any intentions. So it's not a synthetic identity. It's not a stolen identity. It's a straw man. He's a fake kind of a not a fake person, but he's just a straw man. He's a stand-in. So he stands in. He signs the paperwork. He buys buys the house. They end up getting two three hundred thousand. Well, this guy buys like five houses. So it's a cut two, three million dollars. They've lost five, six hundred, six, seven hundred thousand dollars. And these guys never even make the first payment. They just let them go into foreclosure. So the bank immediately investigates and realizes this is fraud. So the FBI comes in, they grab Pete and Gretchen. She has to hire an attorney, of course. And she doesn't get thrown in jail or anything. They just come to their office and they they tell them they're investigating them. They know what's going on and they they want to talk to. Her. They're like, well, look, we want to talk to you. And you're going to be indicted. Okay. So she comes to me. Well, actually, Pete came to me and said, look, man, can you refinance our house and get a 75000 out to pay our attorney? I said, no problem. Um, Gretchen gives me W-2s, pay subs, fake. The whole thing's fake. I get her. I refinance. I get a second mortgage on her house, $75,000. They pay their attorney. Their attorney immediately says, you need to wear a wire on this guy. 
Like he just got you $75,000. You know, I don't know how you got $75,000, but the attorney knows something's wrong because the attorney's like, they just, your whole mortgage company was just shut down. There's no way you could borrow $75,000. So he's like, this, this guy's doing fraudulent stuff. And she says, yes, of course he is. And he says, you need to work with the FBI, wear a wire against this guy. So she calls me one day and says, listen, I got to talk to you. The FBI is asking questions about you. And I go, what? And she goes, yeah. I was like, um, meet me at the pizza place down the street. So you know, don't come in my office because everybody knows she's been indicted. Like everybody in her office quit mm-hmm. when the FBI, like, the FBI shows up and gives you a business card and announces they're the FBI. Everybody quits. So I said, do not have, do not, don't, don't come here because they already know they're already concerned. So I go and I meet her and Pete and we sit down at the, uh, at a restaurant, you know, a little pizzeria and I sit down and she starts telling me that the FBI is asking questions about me. And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? Like, what are they asking? And she goes, look, they came in, they took all our files. And like, I was like, I didn't know any of this. I'm like, when did this happen? She's like, yeah, they have a couple of weeks ago. And they, they, and they have some of your files. Cause I had closed several loans for my wife at the time. We were buying rental properties. My wife didn't have a job. So they're, they're, it's all fraud, but I couldn't close. I could not close those loans in at my mortgage company because I own the property. So I'm selling those properties. I bought properties, renovated them, and sold them to my wife to get around something called seasoning. Seasoning says you have to wait six months to a year to refinance at the market value. Otherwise, you, if you want to refinance, that's fine, but you have to refinance at the price you purchased the property at. But I bought these properties for eighty or 100000 renovated them, sold them for two, 300,000 to my, my wife who got a very, got, didn't even get a big mortgage. We were just trying to kind of get around a, a, um, a, a guideline. So, but my wife was not working and I provided W2s and pay stubs. So when she says all this, she says, yeah, they're looking at, at your, the loans you gave me at, at your wife's loans. And I went, oh my God. I said, well, you didn't tell them that the W-2s were fake, did you? You didn't tell them the pay stubs were fake, did you? You didn't tell them that the down payments were, you didn't tell them that we were married, did you? I mean, just absolutely buried myself. And as I'm telling her this, I was like, okay, I I was like, I kind of caught myself and I'm okay, wait, wait, wait a minute, look. Okay, here's what you're gonna tell them. You're going to tell them you never met her she called on the phone. Like I start trying to devise a plan that will answer their questions without getting my wife in trouble or them in trouble. And if nobody cooperates, the whole thing should shut down. You know, they st- it doesn't go anywhere. There's no way, there's nowhere for them to go. Everybody just kind of stonewalls them. So as I'm saying all this, Gretchen says, Matt, we can't lie to the FBI. And I go, what are you talking about? You're already lying to the FBI. I mean, you, you, you know, you, you've been lying to the FBI. I mean, I just refinanced your house. And before I can really say anything, Pete jumps up, her husband stands up and he says, we've never lied to the FBI. We may not have told them everything, but we've never lied. And I thought like, what, what, who, like, who are you talking to? Like, I know that's not true. So you're not saying that for my benefit. So I was just, I kind of look at him and I'm like, what? And I just, I remember looking down and, and this may mean nothing, but both of their cell phones were right next to me. Mm-hmm. Right. And I remember th- they were probably just wearing wires, but I just yeah. remember thinking those cell phones are microphones. Yeah. <laughs> they probably weren't, but I remember thinking, oh, wow. And I just, I looked at it and I went, wow. And I said, 
well, I hope you're going to get something for this. And she immediately starts crying. And she says, Matt, I'm sorry. I, I have a kid. I can't go to jail. You have kids at that point? Yeah. I, like, I have a kid. Like, I have a kid. And I was like, wow. I, wow. What have you learned about friendship from that? Like, loyalty. Oh, yeah. There's no. There's, that's a, that's, it's sweet. That must have hurt. It's cute. I mean, I I love the idea of it. You don't think that? No. I'll tell you why. So I go back to my, I go back to my office. I remember I told her, I said, tell the FBI agent to call me on the phone. Do not come in my office. So I go back. I'm still trying to figure out how to weather this, right? I go back. I sit down. Phone rings. Uh, My secretary comes in and says, hey, agent, I'll never forget the guy's name, agent Scott Gale with the FBI. And I was like, okay, is on the phone. And she's standing there. I was like, close the door, like get out and close it. She's like, so get on the phone. He asked me if I'll come down. I said, yeah, absolutely. Let's schedule it for next Tuesday. You know, I put it off four or five days. Um, I go to my brother-in-law immediately. Who's a, who's a, a lawyer. And he says, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't really tell him exactly what's going on, but I tell him this is what's happening kind of, and I'm, I may be in trouble. I need a, a I need a federal defense attorney. I don't even know what a federal defense, I don't even know the difference, but he said, you need a federal defense attorney. It's the FBI. So he, we go on a couple, we meet a couple lawyers. I end up getting a lawyer. I give him like 75 grand. Um, and he started to have me convinced. Initially he had me convinced I was probably going to go to jail for a few years, Mm -hmm. but really that's what they kind of do to justify you giving them $75,000. Right. And then, but, the more I thought about it, that you know, and, and and read, he gave me the guidelines that that supposedly I had, I had, um, you know, the the fraud that I had committed, and what the and the guidelines that oversaw that. Um, and I read it, and I was like, I'm not really in trouble here, because I'm looking at a felony, but I'm not going to go to jail because there was no potential for the bank to lend to lose money. So, because I bought the house with like a hard money loan. And then I renovated it with my own cash. And when I sold it, it appraised at 250000 My My uh, ex-wife borrowed like one eighty. So there's plenty of, of equity. If the whole thing had gone into foreclosure, they still would have got their money back. And to be honest, by the time all of this happened, there was only like three of the three properties. It was like five, but we'd already sold a few. And at this point, we'd just sold another two. So there's like one or two properties left. So we're selling at that moment we were selling them. So I, I was like, no, nah, I kind of argue with them. But then he wanted 75 grand. I gave him 75 grand. And then he comes back and he says, good news. There was no potential fraud. So I can get you three years. Now, here's the thing. Here's, here's what I always kind of look back at. When I first got, went into his office, he said, he said, listen, you haven't been indicted yet. I spoke with the FBI. I spoke with the U.S. attorney. They believe, and they've been told, and he said, look, they didn't tell me exactly what they have, but they said what the, um, the evidence that they have on you based on two confidential informants that it, it's, you cannot go to trial. And I was like, right. Of course I knew that. And I was like, okay. He said, but he said, you haven't been indicted yet. And they are fairly certain that you're running um, a mill right? A fraud mill over there. And then you guys are churning out fraudulent loans. Now they can't come and they can't come and raid your office and do anything about it yet because so far they only have you. But here's what I'm saying is that he said, I can keep you from being indicted. 
It's called um, pretrial, is a pretrial intervention where we go in and what we'll do, what we'll do is you go, you work, you go in, talk to the FBI, you go grab a bunch of your mortgage brokers, most egregious files, Mm -hmm. grab them, bring those files to the FBI, go work with the FBI. They will indict them and you will not be indicted. And I said, which I, I kick myself to this day, I said, absolutely not. I'm not going to snitch on them. I'm not going to cooperate. I'm not going to, you know, I'd seen the Godfather. You're not supposed to cooperate. You're supposed to be loyal. I'm not going to do any of that. And, it, you know, and, and so I say all of this, where, you know, looking back, like I, I would have, if I could go back in time, I would have gone into our weekly meeting with a dolly. And I would have walked in front of everybody and scooped up two or three of the file cabinets and put them in the back of a truck and said, listen, you guys are going to be talking to the FBI soon. I suggest you get attorneys. And I would have driven off. But I didn't. I thought, no, be loyal. You know, don't do that. And, And what happened was when my, when the other thing falls apart, right? When the next scam falls apart, Every one of these people go to the FBI. Like they're not even coming to them. These guys are going to the FBI with lawyers. I want to cooperate. I want to tell you what Cox did. I want to help. I want to, and I'm thinking like, I never had to get indicted to begin with. So you think that most of these people from your experience are going to uh, sacrifice all integrity. (laughs) That's a funny word. Sacrifice. (laughs) Applies to this, but that's right. (laughs) They're going to sacrifice friendships and loyalty for just to save their own ass. Yeah. I only had one person that did not talk to the FBI. I had one person that every time the FBI or the secret service went to that person's door, she said, don't come to my house again. I don't have anything to say about, uh, about Matt. I have nothing to do with any of this. Talk to my lawyer. And this happened over and over again. And that's my ex-wife. She's a gangster. So are there people in this world you trusted or you still trust? I, you know, the, the problem is eventually I cooperate. And at the time I didn't want to cooperate. I didn't believe in cooperation, but after seeing how many people cooperate and the way the system is set up, I think that my understanding of loyalty is vastly more realistic now. And I think that if you're committing crime, if, if you're absolutely like the things I did, I did a bunch of scumbag things, you know? I mean, I'm not killing people, but I'm doing scumbag things. I'm lying, cheating, stealing. That I'm a thief. You know, you boil down to it, that's what I am. So you can't go around behaving like a scumbag dealing with scumbags and then expect those same scumbags to suddenly abide by some kind of a street code and not roll over on you. You know, and it does happen, but it's it's like in the it's in the 90 percentile of people that cooperate. 90 something percent. And people cooperate when they're not even looking at any real time. So if you're looking at 30 years and, and especially after going to prison, you go to prison and it's like, this guy's a stand-up guy over here. He got 30 years. 
He could have cooperated against all of his co-defendants, but he didn't. Nobody comes to see him. His wife divorced him. You know, his kids ended up in foster care. His, you know, his, his friends are, are, are cleaning out his house. Nobody puts money on his, on his, his books. Nobody comes to see him. Nobody answers his phone. Nothing. He took 30 years. Most of those guys turned around. They end up getting indicted for other things. Years later, they cooperate. And the best thing this guy's got going for him is that he can walk around and say, well, he's a stand-up guy. That guy's going to the same halfway house as me. He's probably, he's going to do 30 years where I'm going to do 10. Stand-up guy meaning he never snitched. Right. And so everybody's seeing this example and saying, well, I'm going to snitch then. But it, it sounds like what people are doing is they're uh, signaling, virtue signaling, like they are, they would never snitch and actually do secretly. I mean, what is it? I, I remember I talked to one of the COs uh, at the prison one time and he said, uh, he said, I said, shit, I said, 50% of the guys here snitched. He goes, it's more than that. He said, but listen, he was a hundred percent of them are lying about it. He said, so the, you'll, he goes, there's nobody here that's going to tell you they, they snitched. Nobody. So there's guys, tons of, tons of them that cooperate. If 80, 90% of, of um, defendants cooperate, you know, you start doing the math. And you, if you, you ask 10 guys in prison, all of them say, oh, I, didn't, I didn't cooperate. I didn't cooperate. I didn't cooperate. Like, okay, well, you ask 100. I didn't cooperate. Like, nobody's going to say I cooperated. Does that break your heart a little bit? That people backstab each other like this? It, it does. It, <laughs> It does, but you know, but I have such a low opinion of people. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't expect. It's not that I I don't like people. It's that I just don't expect anything of them. You know, I don't expect you to look out for me. You know, there was a time when I did. I thought I look out for you. You should look out for me. But I just don't expect that anymore. See, but I think humanity flourishes because there is a lot of people out there that do the thing that is difficult to do. In terms of integrity, that may be, but these these aren't people with integrity. These are criminals. If these were decent human beings, and all of them will tell you, "Well, why'd you do that?" Oh, you know, I was a drug addict, or I, I needed the money. Well, if you were if you were a decent human being, you would have cl- gotten off the drugs. You would have gone and gotten three jobs. You can work eighty hours a week. I've done it. You can work 84, 85, 80, you can work 90 hours a week. You can do that. Oh, I did it for my kids. No, you're lazy. You could have worked three jobs for your kids. Instead, you decided to sell methamphetamine. Well, I was, I was addicted. You could have gotten off me. It wasn't important. It was the easy way out. You're not someone with integrity. So for you to sit there and say, hey, I'm going to act like a scumbag, but now I got caught or you got caught and I don't want you to tell on me. Well, you're a guy that robs banks. You stick guns in people's faces. You kidnap people. You torture people. You sell drugs. You're not, you're not a moral, ethical person, but you want, you want everybody else to hold up to some ethical code while, while you're robbing grandma. That's not right. Like, you know, so, you know, I, I, get, I get the whole Omarta code, you know, and there was, a, there was a time when I was, you know, delusional enough to believe that. But, you know, after you go, th- after you're going through it, no. And after going through it multiple times, no. I have to really think about that. And I re- deeply appreciate your honesty on this. Okay. <laughs> so, it's, right. I, I think, 
I mean, there's all kinds of criminals in this world, and they all have all kinds of stories. And uh, your story is one of, uh, I don't know if it came from desperation versus a love of this kind of game, right? Like it, it, it wasn't part of it, an attraction to the the creative aspect of this, of breaking the rules when nobody else can and you figure out a way to do it? I think, I think initially it was, I needed the money. Mm-hmm. Like that's the first thing, you know? You, you say, oh, okay, well, I need, and if you ask most guys, oh, well, man, I needed the money. You need the money. But, and then I, I, I definitely needed the money. But then you get $50,000 in your bank and then you get a hundred and then it's 200 and then it's half a million and then it's a million. And what the hell are you still committing fraud for? You've got half a million or a million dollars in the bank or worth of real estate, or you've, you're making five, $10,000 a month, just in rental income. Why are you still committing fraud? So it turn. I think it morphs into the creativity in, in part for me. And, and two, it was a chance for me to prove to everybody how smart I was, you know? I mean, it was done out of desperation initially, and then it just turned into pure narcissistic arrogance. Look at me, look at how I can do things that nobody else can do. Look how smart I am. I just walked into Bank of America, handed them seven documents that were all fraudulent, and they cut me a check for $250,000. Like, wow, I'm amazing. You know, and guess what? They're never going to get their check and they, they won't know, even know where to start to try and find the person because they're looking for a phantom. So, you know, and you feel great. I felt great. I used to say, I, I, I felt like, I felt like James Bond. I felt like 007. It was amazing. And, you know, and it, it did, it feeded my need to feel important, you know, even if it, it, it was, it was, even if that was a lie. Because all that success was just a lie. Well, no, you were good at it. It was good at it, but it was, it's not. It was illegal. It's not like I'm Elon Musk. You know what I'm saying? Like there's, it's not like you're an, I'm an exceptional human. I'm an exceptional human being at a horrific thing at at committing fraud. Well, the question is how many people are getting hurt? Because. uh, Initially, the thing is initially nobody got hurt. That's the thing. Nobody ever lost any money directly. Like I didn't go and say, give me $50,000 and I ran off with your money. Like I wasn't doing that. And that was a great justification. But at some point, and we'll get into that, you know, I take off on the run mm-hmm. and people do lose money. I, I didn't take that money directly. And for some reason in my, you know, sick mind or whatever the case may be, that seems like a distinction to me that makes me feel okay. Is that I never said, give me 300, give me $10,000 and I ran off with it. But I put people in a position where I damaged the credit or damaged the, the title to their house and they had to go get a lawyer to fix that, you know, and, and so that they had to go pay a lawyer $10,000. So I absolutely caused that person Did I so to me, so you're a victim. And I owe you that money. And it was a shitty thing to do because even at the time I was like, 
oh, they'll make a couple phone calls. It'll be fine. It wasn't fine. And if I had really put any thought into it at all, I would have known it, it's going it's to really affect these people. And those people had done nothing wrong with the exception of trusting me. They rented me their house or they owner financed their house. They made the mistake of bumping into me. And now they owe $10,000, $20,000, you know, and, and I'm sure a, a ton of anguish. So what happened when you were caught that first time? So I, I was caught. I got three years probation. You know, I took the probation. What Just, does that involve? Initially, it was it was such a slap on the hand, on the wrist. Were you allowed to still practice? No. Being well, okay, so I wasn't. I had to. I couldn't own the mortgage company anymore. Mm-hmm. That was a good question because, like, I, you would think, you know, wouldn't it be great if I could keep on going? <laughs> Um, but what they said was, you know, you, you have to forfeit your, your brokerage, um, your brokerage license and your brokerage business license. And what I did was I, I transferred my brokerage business license to a guy that essentially bought my business. They allowed me to work as a consultant in the mortgage industry, you know, cause they went, you know, they go, my, my lawyer goes to the judge and says, what else can he do? So. Um, and so I have a a friend, his name's Dave Walker. He was a CPA. He came in and he bought my business and he paid me like $9,000 a month. And that covered my bills. Uh, my wife and I got divorced. So she's my ex-wife. And I, I don't know what to do, right? Like, I don't, I'm, I could, you know, and I always say, you know, I could have like, you know, you look back and it's like, I could have claimed bankruptcy. Um, I could have moved into my parents' spare room, you know, something like that. But, you know, cause I had, I had, I lost everything in my divorce. Um, I had huge child support payment. Um, you know, not that that has anything to do like with my, my ex-wife, like I absolutely signed up for that. Like I wanted to pay that. Um, but it was, it was, it was a chunk of change, you know? So we're talking about a couple thousand dollars a month for, you know, for child support, um, she got all of the apartments that we had. We had about a million, million and a half dollars worth of apartments, which isn't a lot now, but that's probably five or six million dollars now. So she got all the apartments. So she got everything. So now I'm sitting here like I got no, I can't be a mortgage broker. I can get my nine thousand dollars, but I have to help this guy run this company, train people, do that sort of thing. So what I decided to do was I was going to start flipping houses. Legitimately or not? Well, initially I thought about doing it. Um, legitimately, right? But at the same time, I was also in the middle of figuring out how to make these synthetic identities. So I'm making the payments every month, remember? Two months in, three months, no no credit scores, no credit scores, no credit scores. And I'm also saying, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna start buying houses, renovate them, sell them. So to the the truth is we actually renovated probably one house completely. I remember it was on 26th Street. We renovated the house completely. On the outside in, and the inside. Yeah, outside, inside. It's done. It's good. Okay, great. Um, me and me and uh, this guy, actually Dave, Dave Walker, the guy that bought my business. So we renovate it, and it just so happens at the same time, I go to pull credit one day, and wow, 700 plus credit scores. And I went, we don't have to sell this thing at all. Like, we just... We just, I can sell it and put it in this guy's name and let him refinance it. 
And so that's what we did. We ended up, I ended up selling it to this synthetic identity. Do you remember the first synthetic identity, the name? The first one was a Joel Cologne. Yeah. And then I started getting creative because the, the ones after that, I started naming. Well, I, so I had like Joel Cologne and an Alan Duncan. But then I, I do you remember the movie War, Reservoir Dogs? Mm-hmm. So I I started naming the characters after guys in the Reservoir Dogs. So I, I had a, I had a, a James Red, you know, I had a, like a Michael White, a Lee Black. Mm-hmm. I had a um, William Blue, David Silver, mm-hmm. uh, Brandon Green. So then I start developing these guys. Now I thought, oh, forget those those normal names. I'm going with these with the Reservoir Dogs, and I thought it was so cute too. You think in retrospect that was a mistake? It was so stupid. That was just it's just there's so many things, so many mistakes I made. I mean, within the fraud, there are mistakes I made, but you know, other than just the overall committing fraud. But it was just like I thought it was so cute, and then you know, you get in front of the judge. And the judge is hearing about the Reservoir Dogs and Mr. Mr. Green and Mr. Black, Mr. White, Mr. This, Mr. That. And he's looking at me just like, you jackass. Like, and you know, what am I saying? I'm like, yeah, I thought that was cute. Um, you know, but nothing's cute. So, you know, plus I'm making fake banks. What's the purpose of the fake banks? Well, sometimes you have to have your down payment in the bank, right? So you have to, they, have to, they want three months worth of bank statements to see that, hey, he's got his $50,000 in the bank. And then the more the more properties you buy, they want start to want to see what's called reserves. They want to make sure that you can pay all your mortgage payments. If this guy loses his job, can this guy maintain all these mortgage payments for the next six months? And so they do that and they think you're going to go, you know, oh, no, he can't do it. They go, well, then we won't lend it. Well, when they do that to me, I go, of course I do. Of course he's got it. Let me send you over the bank, uh, bank statements. Oh, you want to call the bank? Call them. So there's a phone number, there's a website. Yes, you can call. We'll get on there. I'll, I'll do the whole, you know, and uh, hold on. Okay, uh, what's the name again? Do you have the account number? Hold on. You wait a little bit, you know, you come out. Oh, okay, I got it here. I, I can't tell you the exact amount right now, but uh, what is the, the what what was his uh, balance last month? And the, the, oh, yep, that, that's it, exactly. Okay, thank you, click. Would you do different voices or would you be? No, I've done different voices or I just have somebody else do it. You know, Gretchen would have done it or um, or one of the brokers, Susan would have done it, one of the brokers that worked for me or, you know, Kelly or Johnny Moon. Or, I, mean, I have so many guys and, you know, they just get on the phone and they do it because they're all doing something fraud and we're all working together. So, hey, I need you to call this guy. I need you to call this guy and verify this. And say, oh, what, I'm, I, I'm at the bank. Okay, I'm at the bank. Okay, cool. And they call back. And Does this feel like an organized system or was it more improv? Just like dealing with the different situations? The government would definitely say it was organized. I would say it was, you know, you're a bunch of, you're just a bunch of guys, you know, to, you know, it's, you're joking around with everybody and you're, mm-hmm. you're helping each other. And it's not like everybody's, you know, kicking up the Tommy, Yeah, you know? So, so, and then all these new puzzles come up and you figure out ways to solve right. these puzzles. You go in and you say, Hey, I've got, I've got this loan. I need to get this loan. And this guy's trying to buy this house and I need a loan that looks like this. Where can we go? And by the way, they cannot, they cannot order a copy of his tax returns. So you don't want to have to sign what's called a 4506. So they're like, oh, okay, listen, so-and-so's got a program that, you know, and you go back and forth, but you have to have this much in reserves, but you got the bank, right? Yeah, yeah, I got the bank, I could do that. You know, so you you go in and you throw it out there to five or six guys and you're gonna come up with an answer. So you're on probation here, just uh, to self-reflect. Did you start doing this 
while on probation because of the money or because it gave you meaning? God, I, you know, I mean, part, a big part of that, the reason is I, I did not want to move back in with my parents. And I didn't want my father to see me struggling. And I didn't want him to, it was my success. He had no idea. My success had been the first time he'd ever really been proud of me. Does Your that make financial sense? success? Yes. At which point, when was the first time you told him you did something and he was like, you could sense him being proud. Oh, when I became a mortgage broker. When I when I became a mortgage broker and I went to work for the company and we're, we're talking about within a week, I got a client. Three days later, I got a client. A week later, got a client. Two days later, got a client. Like I closed four loans my first month. Mm -hmm. And my dad was like, well, well, how much money are you gonna make? And I'm like, oh, I'm charging this much, this. I got a point on the back. I got this. I got, boom, I, I don't know. I'm thinking I'm gonna walk home after taxes, like 10, 11,000. Jesus, God almighty. <laughs> You know, are you serious? Well, well, we'll see. Don't start counting your chickens before that, you know. And and then, you know, two, th whatever, three weeks later, four weeks later, you know, boom, I got a check. It's like $9,000 or something. Or And then, you know, the next month it's 12 and the next month it's 16. And, you know, then they make me a manager and, you know, um, it and just. He didn't know and no, it was illegitimate. No, he thinks, he thinks, oh, my son, he's brilliant. You know, he's great. He's wonderful. I, I had, you know, was certainly not proud of me prior to that. Um, but, you know, my dad was athletic. He was extremely bright. I mean, brilliant. And I was a kid who had to be put into special schools, who barely graduated high school, who ended up going to college and getting a degree in fine arts because I was never going to be able to get a degree in business. It wasn't going to happen. So when I graduated college, I remember with the, the degree in fine arts, he said, uh, the best you'll, the best thing you could do with that is maybe you could draw caricatures at Disney World. You know what I'm saying? Which wasn't a compliment, but it wasn't like, hey, you could draw. Um, so yeah, he, you know, and then I turned around and I, I tried to go to work for State Farm Insurance, which is who he worked for. He worked for them for like 40 something years. And I failed the aptitude test. So then I went and worked for another insurance company and I was uh, an insurance adjuster, but I couldn't keep up with the workload. And then I ended up working construction. I'm still barely paying my bills. You know, that's basically where my dad felt like that's, that's, you know, he was polite to me. You know, we were, we were, you know, cordial, but yeah, I wasn't, I, I think he felt he deserved a better kid. So well, when you when you started doing mortgages, that's of, when he was of like, "Of course, he was like, oh, this kid's got something." I'm driving. I'm driving a new. I got to just pulled in in a new car, and I got a. I just bought a house that was you know four or five blocks away from his house, from where I grew up, from where he lives. You know, lived at that time. You know, six blocks away from where my sister's married to her lawyer husband. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm doing pretty good, and then. Within three months, we bought, you know, we're my new wife, we buy a um, a quadplex and then we're buying a triplex and another quadplex and a 10 unit and then a duplex and another duplex and a quadplex. And it's like, what the hell's going on? This guy is blowing up. He's going on vacation here and vacation here. And, you know, so he, 
you know, and so when, when, when the FBI comes in and they indict me and I, I take the three years probation, like, I mean, the, probably the worst thing in the world, you know, other than going to prison would have been just having to just sell everything and go move in and start over and sell used cars. Not that there's anything wrong with selling used cars, but I just felt like, you know, I just didn't want to disappoint him any more than I already had. So I thought I'm going to flip houses and then I'll start maybe a development company. So I'll buy some vacant lots and all this and that. The problem is these houses I'm buying for 50,000. If I fix them up and sell them, maybe I make 20, 25,000. And then you got to find a, a, a qualified borrower. It's very hard to find a qualified borrower that wants to live in Ybor City. Back then, it's, I still think it's rough, but those same houses are going for three and 400,000. So, you know, I'm buying houses. I got to, I got to get qualified borrowers. I have to do all the renovations. It's, it's a nightmare, you know? And if I, you know, looking back, it's like, okay, well then you got to bite the bullet. It's just what you have to do. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to do it, whether it was laziness or I don't know. You know, I just thought I'm good at this. I'm going to run. I'm just going to start running a scam. I'm going to figure out how to drive the prices up, buy the houses for 50, record them at 200,000, and then have these synthetic identities, buy all the properties, refinance them, pull out the cash, make six months worth of payments, let them all go into foreclosure. And that really, really started working well, very well. I had one time where I had a guy, it was James Red, the synthetic identity was James Red, and he had bought two or three houses. and. There was somebody at the office who was friends of somebody who knew the title company where we were closing the loans. And he called that her, her name was Mary and said, Mary, this guy, James Red, like Cox is doing something shady. James Red doesn't even exist. She goes and looks at the file, her, her last couple files. And, and she realizes, of course, obviously like this guy never showed up. She remembers Cox picked up the files like and he's saying he doesn't exist. So she freaks out. She calls the mortgage broker. Mortgage broker calls me. Mortgage broker calls me up and says, listen, Mary said she's not closing the next loan unless James Red shows up. And I went, wow, that's a, that's a tough one. And she's like, okay, so what do you want to do? Do you want to go to another title company? Like we're supposed to close in like three days, two, three days. I said, well, I mean, he's going to have to show up then. I said, I'm gonna, I'll figure it out. Like, like give, give me a couple of days. Give me, let, let me figure this out. And she's like, okay, well, I don't know how that's going to happen. He doesn't exist. Keep in mind, at this point, I don't need IDs. I don't need a real ID. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, can, I figured out how to kind of make a real ID, right? Like I could make one. I could take sandpaper and sand off the information on a regular ID. And then I would print the, the corrected information in reverse on a piece of um, transparency and I would glue it over there and you could still see the holograms and stuff. It actually worked pretty good. I don't, a cop's not going to, it's not going to pass mustard with a cop, but somebody at the bank, like I was able to go in and I would open a bank account with it. Well, so one of the things I had done when I was closing these loans was I would go online and I would pick you have to pick a photo of somebody, right? To put on the, on the driver's license, right? So I'm not making a fake ID for all these guys. Cause I don't need a fake ID for all these guys, not with my picture on it, but I need a fake, I need, I need a copy of an ID, but I need a picture. Where do I get the picture? So I go to Hillsborough County's arrest website 
and I would find people that I knew that had been arrested. And so I found a guy named uh, Eric Tamargo who had been arrested. He had like, I don't know what it was, the DUI or domestic violence. I forget what it was, but there was a picture of him. So I print out the picture. I cut it up. I paste it onto uh, a driver's license and I make a copy of it, you know, for, for James Red. Mm-hmm. That's what I'd been giving the title people. When I would close, I'd sign all the documents and I'd leave them that copy so that it looked like they made a copy for, of, the, of it. And then they would notarize all the documents, even though they'd never seen this person. They have a copy of his driver's license. Everything's signed. Cox said he signed it. It's good. Notarized. Here's your check. So what I do is I think, let me see if I can get Eric to do this. He's been to, I knew he'd been in prison before. So I call up Eric and I remember one of my buddies like, he's never going to do this. And I was like, I, I think he will. I think he will. So it, that's how, and that's really the, that yeah. kind of like, you think, what do you think? No, let me try. Let me call him. I don't know, bro. Like that's the kind of conversations you're having. Like it, but really looking back, I would, like, I would love so to hear the, the opener few sentences that you have with him. I got, I can tell you exactly what I said because it's burned in my mind. Mm-hmm. He comes in. So, what Eric was doing at that time, he was actually working for us. He worked for somebody else, but periodically we would, you know, we'd buy a house and we'd call him up and we'd say, hey, can you, you and your boss, can you guys come over and trim the trees of this house? Trim all the trees, take all the crap in the yard, clean it up. They go, yeah, sure, no problem. Because that's what he did, worked for like a handyman service. Mm-hmm. So they would come and they clean it up and they'd do that. So I say, can you come over? And he goes like, yeah. So he comes to the office, whatever, a few hours later, and, I, and he comes in the conference room. I said, hey, Eric, what's going on? And he says, uh, he says, hey, you know, how's it going? I said, yeah. I said, um, listen, I said, I, I'm, I'm going I'm to tell you something. I need a favor. He's like, okay, cool. He's like, what is it? I said, you know, all these houses we've been having you go and clean up. He's like, yeah, we had that. You had, you painted that one house. You did this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I know. Right. So here's what we've been doing. I've been buying these houses for $50,000, recording them for 200. And then I have these fake people buy them. And I explain, I just lay it out for him. And he's like, wow, that's, he's like, that's fucking bro. That's ingenious, man. That's some, that's smart. Like, wow. And, you know, I was like, okay. I said, yeah, I know. That's great. So here's the thing. I said, the title company who's been closing some of these loans, and we have a closing in a couple of days. She wants this guy, James Red to show up. And I need someone to show up as James Red. And he goes, wow. He goes, who are you going to get to do that? And I was just thinking, <laughs> just like, you're not understanding. I'm not confiding in you because I need a friend, you know? So, and I looked at, I said, well, oh, I was thinking you might do it. He was like, because that's a big favor. Mm-hmm. I said, it is a big failure. I could be in a lot of trouble. And I said, I, I know. And he goes, well, wait, wait a minute. He goes, I can't go. He said, you have to give these people a driver's license. You said the driver's license is you were, you, you were using mug shots. She's, you said she's closed a couple of these. Mm-hmm. She already, she's seen this guy's picture. And I go, she has seen his picture. I said, the thing is for James Red, I pulled the mug shot offline of you when you were arrested a couple of years ago and he jumps up and he goes you motherfucker and i go oh i said eric i said wait a minute i said hold on hold on i said listen i said i only did that because i knew if it came down to this moment you were the only person that i knew that could pull this off that it had the balls to walk in and do it and he sat there and he went yeah you're right you're right and I mean, I, I, bro, I don't, I, I couldn't believe he fell. Listen, this guy would beat yeah. the brakes off me. Yeah. He was, he's like 5'10", 5'11". He's boxed. He's a big guy. Yeah. So, you know, it's like I've weathered that part of the storm. Yeah. And he sat there and he goes, right, right. And he goes, 
well, I'm not doing it for free. I'm not doing it for nothing. I said, no, bro, of course not. I mean, what, you know, what he's like, you're making a lot of money. I said, well, keep in mind, a lot of that money goes back in the prop property. It's not like we're walking away with, you know, I think I said like tens of thousands. We're really walking away with hundreds of thousands. And it's not like we're walking away with a bunch of money here. You know, it's, you know, we got to put it, but we got to buy more properties. We got to keep it going. We got to make the payments. You know, I know, but still I could get in a lot of trouble. I said, I understand, bro. I go, well, what do you want? And I remember thinking if he asked for more than like 10 or 15,000, like I'll just, I'll do it myself. We'll just change title companies mm-hmm. and we'll go and I'll, I'll do it myself. And he sat there and he went, I want $500. And I went, $500? Listen, I almost started laughing. I mean, I was like, I put my hand over my, I was like, $500? Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to take you 30 minutes. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, I don't care, bro. I get in a lot of trouble. I was like, oh, well, yeah, I'm not paying you now. You got to sign first. And he's like, oh, you know, I'll sign. I'll sign. I know you're good for it. I, bro, he, for 500 bucks, I made a fake ID for him. He goes in to the place. He signs James Red. Mm-hmm. Comes out. What was even funny, what was funny about that was when we walked into the title company, we're sitting in the, in the lobby and Mary comes walking out. She looks at me and she goes, Mr. Cox, I don't know why you're here. She goes, I told Kelly, that was the broker. She goes, I, I told the broker that uh, I'm not closing the loan unless, unless um, James Red shows up. And Eric stands up on cue and he goes, I'm James Red. And she was like, and she goes, hold on a second. She runs in the back, comes back with a file, opens it up. She looks at the picture and she's like, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. Uh, give me five minutes. I'll, I'll, uh, I've got the file. I prints up the docs. He goes in signs. And when we're there, she's passing out the checks, 5,000 here, 25,000 here, 35,000 here, 7,000 here, 6,000 here. So he sees all these checks and I'm like, oh, I, I got that. I, and the construction company, no, 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 I, I have that. I'm, I'll take care of that. I'll take care of that. So I get all the checks and I leave. We go sit in my Audi and uh, he sits down and he's like, bro, it's a lot of money. A lot of that money goes back in the properties, Eric. And he's like, I still, bro. And I said, um, and I <laughs> counted out 500 bucks. But listen, a week later, mm-hmm. it, we had another closing. So I, he comes in. I said, hey, bro. He's, hey, what's going on? And I said, uh, I need you to do the, the James Red thing. He goes, yeah, I've been thinking about that. I did that way too cheap. I said, I get it, man. Well, how much do you want? What do you want? And I'm thinking if, if it's if it's more than 10 or 15, I'll do it myself. And he sits there and he goes, I want a thousand dollars. I go, a thousand dollars. I'm like, oh my God. So uh I gave him a thousand dollars and we he, he did another one. And uh, but by that point it was like five or six. We'd done five or six with that guy. And after five or six, plus the credit cards, plus you know, all the other things like their credit scores start dropping. And, you know, if it was 700, now it's down to like 600. And at 600, you couldn't really borrow enough to make it worth it. So like, and I have other people in the wings waiting. So, um, you know, we would just, we'd, I'd go out and I'd, I'd run up the credit cards and and pull them as much money, pull all the money out of the, out of the banks and close the accounts and then stop paying. And you said a lot of people knew. So yeah. he was one of the people. And it, wh- he was one of the people. Wh- why do you think nobody said anything? I, well, I mean, I think everybody was making money. The appraiser, at that time, I had an appraiser. Eventually, I ordered the appraisal software, and I just start doing the appraisal myself. Like, why give this guy 500 bucks? Um, so so you were doing the appraisal yourself. Bro, I'm doing How's that appraisals. possible? How's that? Is there a check against it? Is there? There is. It's funny. Nobody ever questions that. You actually have to have a license to get the appraisal software. 
So I get an appraisers that we're working with. I get her license and I, 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 uh, create a, um, an email address mm -hmm. as her. Ah, so it was a synthetic appraiser. Right. It was a real person, but I end up ordering the appraisal software by, by, um, emailing, uh, it was called Alamo, Alamo appraisal software. So, uh, I end up emailing them as her and they go, well, we can't give you, we can't sell you the software unless we, we need a copy of your license. Boom. Here's your license. So I send her the, I send uh, then the license, and then we paid for it with a credit card. You know, you could go get like a green dot card. You go put 500 bucks on it or a thousand. The software was like 1500 bucks or something. So you pick them like back then, you know, it was a long time ago. So 1500 bucks, they mail it to us. And now I've got the software. Mm -hmm. So now I can, you know, I can do the appraisals myself. What stops you from appraising it? Not for 200,000, but even more. There's no comparable sales. So no matter what you sent to the bank, they're going to look at it. Like they're going to have a, their in-house appraiser is going to do a, a desktop review. He's going to go online. He's going to check to make sure all the appraise, all of the comparable sales are sold for what you said they sold for are the same square footage were built, what the pictures look like, where, how far they are. He's going to double check everything. But, you know, he's some guy who's on salary and he does, you know, whatever, 40 or 50 of these a day or something. It doesn't take him long. And. So it's cheaper that way where we pay for the appraiser appraisals, the whole thing. Got it. So um, everybody's getting paid. Right. And so it, it, at this point I'm, I'm doing that. Right. You know, and I'm getting caught periodically. Can you uh, give an example? What do you mean getting caught? I'm living in Tampa Heights, which is right next to Ybor city in Tampa. Right. So this is all, these are all like little suburbs of Tampa and they're all built back in the 1920s, mm -hmm. right? 1890s, 1910, 1920s. So I'm, I've, I bought this eight unit building. I renovated it into a triplex. I mean, I'm driving an Audi. I'm dating a, a, a woman that I should not have been dating. Like, I mean, I don't know what she was thinking. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm going on vacations, like everything, life's good. So, but every once in a while, you know, like we're, you know, we're, things happen. You get a phone call. Hey, this is what just happened. And I, one time I got a phone call from same broker kelly mm -hmm. kelly called me up and said listen we got a problem this was i want to say this was alan duncan this was one of the first ones that i had done right we, we used him but uh and so he so she calls me up and says listen alan duncan never made his first mortgage payment and i had a friend of mine or a, one of my co-defendants when we closed on that loan, we both got checks for whatever, 40 or 50 grand. Keep in mind, we're also buying, some of this money's going into a business account. We're buying property. We're buying, so it's not like I'm pocketing hundreds of thousands of dollars or even, you know, even 20 or $30,000 on every closing. I'm more like I'm getting 25, 10, 20, and this guy's getting 10, and this guy's getting 15. And then we're taking... 60 and we're putting it into the business account. We're buying a bunch of vacant lots or we're building some new houses. So we're trying to kind of take all this and turn it into a development company. Mm -hmm. um, but we still have to pay our bills. So, you know, my buddy's got to go to, he's got to go to Amsterdam at least for two weeks, you know, right. he's from Belgium. That's, you apparently have to do that at least once a year. So uh, he, he was, so when I gave him his check, the check, I said, look, 
you're going to make the, pa- here's the, like 20 grand or 15 grand, but you got to make the payments on this thing for the next six months. He goes, no problem. I said, okay. So she calls me up a month and a half later and says, hey, um, Alan Duncan did not, did not make his first payment. And I went, uh, oh my God. And I, I, and he was actually renting the apartment downstairs from me. So I run downstairs and I open the door and I go, bro, I'm like, did you make Duncan's payment? And he turns around and he's like, is it due? And I was like, oh my God. So I run back, you know, I, I grab the phone. I'm like, he didn't make it. He didn't make it. She's like, okay, well, here's what's happening. The account executive is calling. They've got the file and it was called it was South Star Bank. South Star Bank has it. They reviewed it. They've already been ordering documents. They, they, they're saying that this guy, there's, there's a problem. They are, it's, it's, it's falling apart. Like the whole thing's falling. They, they, they know something's wrong. But they don't know exactly what. It's just, just something suspicious. At that, she didn't tell me that on the phone. Okay. Like she, she's saying there's something wrong. They're freaking out. Yeah. Because the account executive didn't really know. She just got a phone call saying, hey, have you ever met this, this broker? Did she meet the guy? Who is the guy? He hasn't paid. We're calling the cell. Nobody's answering. And really most of this was, was my buddy Rudy's fault. He's just not doing any of this stuff. He, any of the things he's supposed to be doing. So we go to the office and I call South Star Bank. Uh, I get the secretary and I said, look, I need to talk to whatever the guy, the big guy was. It was one of them was like the president and one was like the somebody else. Anyway, vice president. So I said, I need to talk to so-and-so, the vice president. And she says, I'm sorry, he's in a business meeting. I said, well, listen, tell him this is Alan Duncan. Like you, you need to go tell him it's Alan Duncan's on the phone right now. I'm sh- assure you he wants to talk to me. And she's like, all right, hold on. And I mean, like 20 seconds later, you know, speakerphone. Hey, Mr. Uh, Mr. Duncan, uh, this is so-and-so. And, uh, you know, I'm here with the, uh, with our lawyer and the president of the bank and our head of fraud. Mm-hmm. We were just discussing you. And I was like, okay, um, I understand that you guys are, uh, I haven't made my first payment. I said, it actually came back in the mail. I had the wrong address. That was completely my fault. And I apologize. I said, but I can get you a cashier's check today. I will overnight it. No problem. Uh, hope that's going to be okay. I said, they said, way, we're way past that. Way past that. Mm-hmm. I said, okay. Um, well, what's, what's the issue? And they were like, I mean, look, to be honest, I, I don't think I'm talking to Alan Duncan. I don't think there is an Alan Duncan. He's like, I mean, your social security number was issued a couple of years ago. Um, the, we called the bank. Um, and, and this was why we had gone with like South or SunTrust bank. Right. So it was a real bank. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't our normal bank and they called, they don't, they don't have any record of you. And I was like, well, I've never been happy with South Star Bank there. If, you know, it sounds like a banking error. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and they're, and they're like, yeah, I don't think this isn't cute. He says, I don't think I'm talking to Alan Duncan right now. Right. And you were a terrified, just terrified. I'm, but I'm not, you have to be playing it cool, I guess. I mean, I know, what am I going to say? No, you're talking to Matt Cox. Like, I, I can't say that. Yeah. Like, I'm just got to keep running with it. Just yeah. like, okay, well, look, you know. And he's like, you know, we called the DMV this, you know, uh, they don't have a list for you in the, in the, you know, in their website. Uh, we think that the, uh, you know, we don't think you exist. Yeah. You know, we're still waiting for a phone call back from who, so, so, and so, and so, and so. And I'm just like, oh my God. And I said, um, have you called, have you called the authorities yet? And they were like, no, we haven't. But once we put our file together, we will. And then the head of the fraud department, they said, oh, by the way. Mr. I forget his name, but the head of the fraud department worked for the FBI for like 10 years or something or 12 years. And I, and I, so, I mean, I'm just like, and by the way, the, uh, the broker is there. 
Mm-hmm. And my buddy Rudy is there. And I mean, there he's pacing the room. She's in tears, crying. Like there, and I'm like, okay, well, fellas, I said, where's this headed? Where's this going? What are we doing? And and they so they're they're kind of chuckling and joking about it. Mm-hmm. And I remember being like thinking, what's the deal? Like, it's weird. And I said, look, well, why don't I just let me just pay you back? Mm-hmm. They said, ah, we'll, we'll we'll get the money. We're not worried about. It. I said, you don't seem worried about the money, about getting any of the, the money back. Like, don't why don't you just let me? I'll cut you a check. I can get you the money back. Like, what do I? I owed him like one fifty or something. I forget exactly. It was nothing. I'm like, I owe you one hundred fifty thousand. Let me cut you a check for one hundred fifty thousand. Mm-hmm. And they were like, no, no, you know that's uh, uh, we'll get the money back when we foreclose on the property. And that's when I was like, oh, they think the property's worth like. $195,000 or something. And I went, oh, I said, I understand. Okay. I said, do you have the appraisal in front of you? Mm-hmm. And they were like, yeah. And I said, open it up. I said, take a look at comp number one. That's owned by a guy named, you know, Lee Black. Mm-hmm. Comp number two, you know, is owned by, you know, whatever, David Silver, whatever the names were. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, like black, silver, red. I said, I am all those people. And I said, let me tell you what I've done. And I tell him, just lay it out. Boom, 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 boom. Mm-hmm. I said, so you can call the FBI, but you're not going to get all your money back. Or you can let me give you your money back. And we can let this, ho- we let sleeping dogs lie. The whole thing goes away. I apologize. You know, I had every intention of making all the payments. It's a glitch. You caught me. No, my bad. And so these guys are just like, oh my God. Like now they're, they put me on hold. They're looking through the file. They come back. And I remember at some point we go back, forth, back, forth. And finally they come back and they said, listen, you still have the money? I said, yeah. Well, first they come back, they threaten me. Oh, well, when the F- we give us to the, to the FBI, you're, and I said, that's not true. I said, the money was deposited into a bank account. It has since been moved. The bank account bank account has been closed. It's been removed in cash. That money is gone. You will never see that money. I will be cutting you. If I pay you back at all, it'll be from another account. Mm -hmm. And so the FBI agent ends up saying he's right. Even if we caught him red-handed, the likelihood that any of these funds will be ever be recouped is, is zero. Like there's almost no money's ever recouped. And so we end up, um, they put me on hold again. They come back and they go, how quickly can you get us a cashier's check? And I go, and like that day I go, get them a cashier's check, overnight the cashier's check. They never called the FBI. They never did anything. Now, at that point, we actually ditched that whole, that uh, James or uh, Alan Duncan. Mm-hmm. I remember at that point, we went to the mall, ran up all the credit cards and just threw everything away and walked away because it was shot. You know, that whole, that guy was shot. I think we borrowed whatever. Eight hundred thousand dollars or nine hundred thousand in his name. So with the banks, it's really, really all about the money. That listen, when I go on the run, I got one where I was caught so red-handed. It's it's insane how how bad it was. And and listen, that's not that's nothing. I, I got caught by um, uh, Washington Mutual one time. I was caught by Washington Mutual where we had done six owner-occupied duplexes. So if you say you're going to live in a house. You can get about 95% financing. But if it's an investment property, you got to put down 20%. You get about 80% financing. So a buddy of mine who was a sheriff's deputy, we had his wife buy, I'm going to say six 
owner-occupied duplexes saying she lived in every single one of them. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't o- owner-occupy six dwellings. Like, it, it, that's fraud. Now, granted, her W-2s and pay stubs were correct, but she didn't put the down payments down. Even the down payments we didn't put down. We actually got cash back. But months later, we the they called the a lawyer from um, Washington Mutual ends up calling uh, the mortgage broker and saying, that they ended up with two of the owner-occupied duplexes because Washington Mutual had a credit line extended to one of the lenders who'd lent the money. So it actually was Washington Mutual. So it was a couple months later when they went to sell sell it in a, you know, they package them together and sell them. They realized we have the same customer with two duplexes side by side, both owner-occupied. This is fraud. So she comes in, she tells me, oh my gosh, this lawyer's on the phone. This is what happened. I'm like, oh, wow, this is horrible. I end up getting on the phone with him. We have a huge, we have a conversation. And I'm like, you know, he's like, look, you know, this is a big deal. We could call the FBI. I'm like, look, who knows who was involved in this? Maybe somebody on your side was involved. Maybe somebody on my side. I don't know what my mortgage broker did. I'll deal with her on my own. Why don't you just let us refinance the properties? Not only did we talk him into allowing us to refinance the properties, he gave us a reduced, um, a reduced balance of what we owed him mm-hmm. because we couldn't, we couldn't borrow enough to pay him off. Mm-hmm. So they took like a $20,000 hit just to refinance those properties. Never called the FBI, never did any. It was absolutely fraud. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, had a, I had a broker one time, we got called with over a million dollars in loans that he had done that were fraudulent. Pinnacle Bancorp, which was out of uh, Chicago, the owner called me and he was like, look, your mortgage broker did this. Like there was a bunch of uh, canceled checks. They were fake canceled checks. So they looked like they had run through the bank for the, somebody's rent, mm-hmm. but they hadn't. Does that make sense? Like yeah. you pay your rent, they deposit it, it goes to the bank and they've got all the numbers and everything. Well, I had a bunch that were blank that all you had to do was sign, fill out your, your borrower's information and then you cut and pasted his full his name and his address at the upper left-hand corner. You make a copy of it. It looks like canceled checks. We had 24 of them. Well, my one of my brokers was using them for all of his files. Like even if the person really had a rental history, he didn't want to order it. He just did this. It was easier. It's faster, yeah. Yeah, just an idiot. Wow. So they catch a million dollars worth of loans. They call me up and then they caught another million dollars, but they had already sold them to household bank. So while I'm on the phone with the, the owner, his name's Gary, and we're talking, he's like, look, this is what we found. This is this, this is what happened. And I remember I said, um, Gary, at the end of this conversation, if you think I'm cutting you a check for a million dollars, I said, I just don't have it. You don't have it. And this is when I owned the mortgage company. And he says, uh, no, I, what I'm, I'm asking you for your word that if any of these come back on us, they're in Florida, they're in your area, you'll help us get rid of the properties. You'll, we'll foreclose. We're going to have to resell them. I don't want to be flying down there. Just help us get rid of them. I said, absolutely, of course, no problem. I said, what about the, I said, well, what are you going to do with them? He goes, well, they're going to be a part of a, a package, like a $3 million package we're selling to household bank. The other ones they had caught had already been sold. The ethical thing to do is to contact household bank, say, we will buy those back. We are going to take care of, it's not what happened. In fact, Gary flew down a couple weeks later, took me and several of the brokers, not that broker, but several of the brokers out to dinner. Mm. 
had a few drinks and he openly admitted, he's like, look, I don't care if all the loans have fraud in them, as long as they don't come back on me, that's what I'm concerned about. Cause there's a, a clawback clause for one year. He's like, so if they can perform for one year, I don't care. That was it. How many people in the industry do you think are operating like this? Um, and by like this, I mean in the aforementioned gray area. I would say there's probably after like the, like after the 2008 financial crisis, yeah. I would say it cleaned up considerably. But I would say at this point, it's it's just as bad as it ever was. And and keep in mind these a lot of the loans that caused uh, the problems were like you know they called them liar loans or or um you know you know no no qualification like no qual mm -hmm. loans right no income. Um. Well, those loans are they exist again? Like there are subprime companies that are doing that again. They don't, they don't think they call them subprime anymore. They call them, so they got some other name. Yeah, rebranded. Yeah, they've rebranded a little bit, but it's it's happening all over again. It just seems the whole, the whole real estate slash banking system is very prone to this kind of corruption. I, I mean, but but how, how can you fix it? Like if, if the, a lot of the things they fixed, a lot of the manipulation they fixed, but if you, tighten it too much, then the average person can't get a loan. Mm -hmm. Like you, 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 so you, you know, and, and the thing is some of these loans, sometimes changing a W2, you know, should that person have gotten in that, into that house? No, he shouldn't have, he didn't qualify. Um, but he makes all of his payments. So it's like, is it a fraudulent loan? Yeah, but it performs. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that I would say that, I forget what the FBI statistic was. It was like, 20% or 30% prior to the 2000, prior to the, the financial crisis, it was like 20 or 30% of like bank loans, they were saying contained some kind of fraud, even if it was just a lie. You know, if you want to cut 30% out of the, out of the, you know, that, that's a ton. That's a ton. So you're on probation and you're doing these, you're almost getting caught. You're almost getting caught and you're doing these really large scale scams. How does it get to the point where you're on the run? So I'm doing multiple scams, right? So it's not just that I'm doing the scams with the uh, the reservoir dog scams, right? I'm not just doing those guys. Yeah. I'm also creating other identities because I've got other people that are involved. They they want to do a scam. Mm -hmm. So this chick I was dating, um, she wanted to uh, she wanted to run a scam, so. I set up a scam, it's semi-complicated, but the, the bottom line is she ends up stealing a real person. We, we, we steal a real person's identity. I have a real person's identity. We get a driver's license in her name, open up some bank accounts, go rent a piece of property in her name. And I transfer the deed or the deed from the property out of the real owner's name. I transfer it into her stolen identity. Mm -hmm. we then refinance the house like three or four times. And so she starts going to these different closings and she's, her name is Allison and she's pretending to be a, a, a Puerto Rican woman named Rosita Perez. Um, Allison has brown hair and blue eyes. 
Rosita Perez clearly doesn't. So Allison, when we we make the ID, she dyes her hair black, Mm -hmm. curls it a little bit, um, and gets the pictures, pictures taken of herself. But before she goes to the first closing to get a check for like $100,000, we've got like three of these scheduled. Um, she, she changes her hair color. Like the, she dyes it back, like, like a dirty blonde and she goes to the first closing and she gets a check, a check for a hundred thousand. Let's say, I, I don't know what it was like, either 95 or 105, whatever, roughly a hundred thousand dollars. She gets a check at the closing. They give it to her. We then go to the next closing. Well, at the next closing, the, the title person has her sign all the documents, but she's looking at her like something's not right. Looks at her ID, makes a copy of the ID, looks at it and says, this, this doesn't look like you. And she's like, you know, you don't look Hispanic. And she's like, oh, I'm half Hispanic. What, what do you, what? And she's like, you don't, I mean, but keep in mind, the photograph was her. Mm-hmm. So she's saying, this doesn't look like you, but it's her. Mm-hmm. Granted, she had, you know, the curly hair a little bit, but that's it. So Allison is like, it's me. And she's like, look, I'm not going to give cut you. I'm not going to give you the check. Yeah. I'm going to let you sign the documents. You know, we can get, you can get the check. I'll, I'll let you know. So she goes, gets in my car. She says, yeah, listen, there's a problem. So we're driving down the road. She explains it to me. I realize, you know, okay, that's done. It's over. We're, we're not going back. She's like, what about the other closing? No, no, no more closings. We're done. And, and I, you know, and it was probably more of a yell, screaming and yelling, like, what the hell did you do? Why told you not to change your hair? Why would you change your hair? Like that, when she came in like the day before and I was like, what did you do? What did you do? And she's like, I changed my hair. What's the big deal? It's still me. Mm-hmm. Sure enough. You know, and that's a, like, it's not that I knew that that was going to happen, but why tempt fate? How'd you meet Allison? Like, uh, what, she what? was a mortgage broker. Okay. And and I had done some fraudulent, she need. she worked for another mortgage company. Sorry. I, she worked for another mortgage company. She couldn't get a loan closed. The owner of that mortgage company called me and said, look, we got a loan. We need it closed. And I said, great. And I, when guys would call me, I'd say, great, I'll come pick it up. I'll give you a $300 or a $500 referral fee. No, no, it's a couple hundred thousand dollars. We want to close it. Well, if you then close it. Well, I can't close it. We need a W-2 or we need this. We need that. We can't figure out how to do it. So I go over there and typically I convince them, just give it to me. It's not going to close. She, she was, she was, she was, you'd have to see this chick. She was gorgeous. She was gorgeous. Very flirtatious. Made me feel like I was thin and handsome. So, um, <laughs> like she gets whatever she wants. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, okay, look, here's what you do. And I explained to her, do this, do this, do this, send it here. It'll close. And she, we close it. Well, then she starts calling me, right? Hey, how's it going? We go to lunch. Next thing you know, we start sleeping together. She realizes what's happening. She says, I want to, I went in on this. So now we do the closings. We're on our way. I say, look, that check's dead. What if she goes, what about the other, the other one? I go, no, no, it's all dead. We're walking away. Now that was easy for me to say, because for me, I had money. She's going through a divorce. She's broke. You know, like none of this did I take into consideration at the time, by the way. To me, it's like, nah, that's dead. We're done. Uh, We'll start over again. Well, and she's to her, in her mind, she was about to make, we we were getting probably, that was a million dollar scam. 
She was about to end up getting, you know, whatever it was, half or one third of half a million dollars in the next week. Now she's got nothing. So um, she says, look, let's at least cash this one. And I had a buddy named Travis Hayes who had been, you know, we actually were, we've been friends since high school. We were like best friends, right? Really close friends in high school. We were still close. Travis was running a scan, scam. This one, hers was in Clearwater. His was in Orlando. So I'm all, I'm getting on all over the state at this point, right? So he's running an Orlando scam that's already yielded half a million, maybe more. Mm-hmm. He's still pulling, he, we're still refinancing properties, right? So he's about to close on another half a million dollars worth of properties. He's got a, a bank account that's open. She says, let's give it to Travis, have him deposit it in his account. He's already pulled out like 300,000 out of the account. And she's like, shouldn't be a problem. I was like, um, no, no, no. And she just let me call him. She calls him. I think I called him and, and he, I explained the situation. He's, you think it's okay? And I said, no, I don't think it's okay. I don't think it's okay at all. And he's like, no, it's not a big deal. Um, just give me the, give me the check. So I give him the check. He goes, he deposits the check. They say they're going to hold it till it clears. You know, that was kind of a thing back then. Um, it takes, I don't know. five days, six days, whatever it was, he was supposed to go back and it would have cleared and he would have been able to start pulling money out. And so I call him one day because Allison's bugging me. So I call him and I go, hey, where are you at? He goes, I'm actually on my way to Orlando. And I said, oh, okay. So you but let Allison know I'm not getting any money. He said, the bank manager called and said that because the check was over $100,000, they have to witness me endorsing the back of the check. Mm-hmm. Or they had to see my something, right? And for me to come in, I went, oh, I said, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Don't go to the bank. Um, what do you think's wrong? I, go, I think the cops are waiting for you. That's what I think's wrong. And he goes, no, the cops aren't. He goes, man, I'm, I'm in the parking lot right now. I just pulled in the parking lot. There's no cops. I'm like, they're not going to be in squad cars. Like, and he's like, no, he said, it's fine. You're overreacting, bro. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, you're shaking like a little girl, bro. Calm down. I got this. I'm cool with the manager. Like the manager, like because you've chopped it up with the manager, he's going to let your fraudulent check go through. So he walks in. The cops are in there. They locked the door. He just told me later, you know, they closed the door, locked it. The cops are in there. They grab him. And uh, they bring him downtown. He didn't say anything. You know, he won't say anything. Um, that's not true, by the way. Um, but he's so here's what he told me. He wouldn't say anything. I told him I'm like. Talking to your coppers. Oh, he told uh, yeah. yeah, he told you, but he actually did. Talk <laughs> he actually did talk to him. So, um, he what he ends up doing, what ends up happening is uh, we can't get in touch with him. Yeah. So we're calling and calling and calling, and then finally I decide, you know what? I'm not going to call his cell phone anymore. I'm going to call the name of the person he was, um, the the synthetic identities number, right? So I go and I call the synthetic identities number. I call and I say, somebody answers and I go, hey, is so-and-so there? Mm -hmm. And he said, and it's a gruff authoritarian voice, you know, it's, this is law enforcement. And he's, and he's like, no, who's this? Mm -hmm. He goes, no, he goes, no, this is officer so-and-so. Who's this? And I go, I I was like, oh, this is Lee Black. I said, he said, he goes, how do you know so-and-so? I was like, oh, no, no, click. And I just hung up and I called for like a payphone. So I turned around and I said, he got arrested. And then later on that night, he showed up on the, the county uh, website, you know, the, the arrest website showing he had been arrested. And 
the next day he calls me and he asked me to get him out of jail. Like, hey, I, I, you got to go. So I, I have to give his brother-in-law money. Um, you know, we get him out of jail. Uh, he actually for, got out. For bail? Yeah, he got out for like nothing. And here's what I should have known. Uh, he was cooperating. He, it went from like $300,000 bond down to like $10,000. So it's a thousand bucks. So right then, I didn't know it at the time, but obviously that means we're going to let him out of jail. We're, he's cooperating. Mm -hmm. So they let him out of jail. I go and I get him a lawyer, a state. This was state, by the way. It wasn't federal. So um, I get him a lawyer for like fifteen thousand dollars. I he come, you know, he comes. You know, of course, he tells me, "Look, they asked me a bunch of questions. I told them that, you know, I that." He, you know, he made up some story about there's a, he's working with another guy, but he doesn't know the guy's name. He made up a name. Like there's a whole, he has this whole kind of th thing where he tells them about me, but not me. And he's like, and then, you know, the, the numbers, the, none of the numbers led anywhere. So they all lead, lead to cell phones that are only being used for those scams. So it's a dead alley or blind alley. And, uh, I'm like, okay, okay. And I mean, I'm paying him like he's coming in man, I, my truck's no good. I need another truck. I buy him another truck. Hey man, my, the electric's going to get turned off and I don't have, oh, I'm, I'm I need a thousand dollars. Of course, here's a thousand dollars. I don't know what I was, I'm embarrassed. You had to ask, here's a thousand, you know, a week later, you know, he needs 2000 for this, a thousand for this, 2000 for this. He wants to start a tree trimming company. He needs to buy a tree trimmer. How much are those? 5,000? Of course, that's five. 10. So I give him another 25,000 starts like a tree trimming business, which he runs to this day. Um, what I don't know is that, you know, the whole time he's actually working with a, a task force that's been put together. Federal or? This is state at this point. It's a state task force because uh, there's multiple counties involved at this point. And it wasn't hard for him to explain. Like this, this, is, this comes back to Reservoir Dogs. I got a much, all he had to say to the officers was, listen, you got to let me go. I can't do any prison time. I'm going to tell you about a much, much bigger scam. And they go, okay, well, how can you prove that scam? Pull up Hillsborough County, uh, Hillsborough County's tax appraiser website. Okay, look up the name James Red. Look, all of these were built, bought six months ago. Six months later, they're all in foreclosure. Pull up Lee Black. All of these were bought. Look, six months later, all of them are foreclosure. Hey, pull up James Red. You <laughs> pull up Brandon Green. Pull up. So all of these are going in foreclosure. I mean, it's it's so it's like you know that what I thought was so cute not cute. It was just stupid. And so he very quickly, they put together a task force. He's working with them on the task force. And um, we're still buying houses, flipping houses, doing everything. Cause I'm, I believe him. I believe he's not, you know, he's saying, look, if I have to go to jail for, you know, a year or so, like, you know, and he's also paying, you know, he hasn't paid them back yet, but he, but we're saying he can pay them back. Mm -hmm. Like, it's like, look, if we get to the point, you know, when we get to that point, like we'll pay them back. Um, but we haven't paid them back yet because we have no way to show where that money came from. We can always go to like one of his relatives and give, give his dad 40 grand, give his mom 20 grand, you know, that kind of stuff and start putting money that way. And all that money was taken out in cash too. So we could always show up with a chunk in cash regardless. You know, it's still in the process. And I think it, we're still in the process and it could be six months or a year away because it's a slow thing. I've already been through the process my first time when I got in trouble. And it was a year but from the time that I was spoken to until I pled guilty and was sentenced. So um, I'm not concerned about it. Well, that's happening. We're still flipping properties. And one day, 
I have a buddy named Steve Sutton. Remember the sheriff's deputy. Mm-hmm. And keep in mind, it's funny because like I've done bad loans for police officers, sheriffs, um, lawyers, doctors, like, you know, across everybody across. These aren't like all, you know. Yeah, everybody. Guys that, you know, these aren't all like, you know, construction workers or guys that work in, you know, or mechanics or something. These are like legitimate, these are legitimate people that have credit problems or whatever the case may be. So one day I'm sitting at work and, and I'd been getting phone calls for the prior week from people at title companies saying, Hey, Matt, wanted to let you know, we just had some subpoenas served mm-hmm. on several of your files. And I'm concerned like that had me concerned. Then a guy named Jeff Testerman starts making phone calls. Jeff Testerman is a reporter for the St. Petersburg Times. He's calling people saying, hey, um, I noticed that you sold a piece of property to Lee Black. Have you ever met Mr. Black? You assume it's like, and they're like just hanging up on him or saying, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not sure what that guy's name was. Let me call you back. I'm getting phone calls from people. So I know something's up with the newspaper. Now, now I know something's being looked at, but nobody's really talking. I know that there are subpoenas being, um, being served and I'm, I'm nervous. You know, I'm, I'm very concerned. And then one day I'm in my office and the sheriff's deputy walks in, Steve Sutton in his uniform too, which everybody always stiffened, you know, when he would walk in. So he walks in, I go, Steve, I said, what's going on? He said, and usually he's jolly and laughs and stuff. And he goes, and he says, "Uh, I got to talk to you outside. I was like, okay. I walk outside, what's up? And he says, "Uh, I used to date this girl in the, uh, like the Tampa police department or something, right? I was like, okay. He said, she showed up at my uh, house this morning at like six o'clock in the morning. I went, okay. He said, she said that she's been working on a task force. And he said, apparently one of your buddies got arrested in Orlando. Uh, they're investigating some other thing in Clearwater. Uh, they're investigating a ton of properties here in in uh, Ebor, Tampa Heights. And I mean, there's like a hundred properties involved. And my name came up because you've sold some properties to me which I had and, and he's like, so she came to me and said, look, your buddy Cox, he said, and the, I go, I was like, okay. He goes, he said, well, the task force is on you. And she said to stop talking to you because they're going to come arrest you in a couple of days. They just handed over the task force findings to the, to the FBI and the FBI is going to come arrest you in a couple of days. And she said not to talk to you because, and because you're, you're going to cooperate and because all white collar guys cooperate. So she thinks you're going to cooperate and and not to talk to you because she's afraid you're going to get me hemmed up. And she said just to, to walk away. And, and I, he was like, so I, I thought you should know. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And he said, uh, what are you going to do? I said, oh, I'm, you know, I don't know. Well, first he said, what, what should I do? And I go, tell him, tell him that I arranged all the loans for you. You came in, you signed the paperwork. I filled out all the documents. You signed the paperwork. You, you know, I arranged everything. I'm like, you're not a mortgage broker. You don't know if this is legit. Like you sign, you have perfect credit. You signed the paperwork. You walked away with a check for 30,000. You don't know. Yep. And he was like, cause he did it. Cause he had a job. He was a sheriff's deputy. Like I'm not a, you know, I went in, I applied, I applied for a loan at a bank. They said, we can buy, you can buy the house and we'll give you $30,000. So of course I'm going to do that. You know, that's not going to happen, but 
he doesn't know. He's and and I said, just tell him, yeah, tell him you'll cooperate. Like, absolutely. Um, he goes, What are you gonna do? I said, Me, I said, I'm I'm leaving, bro. I'm leaving. I said, I can't, I can't stay here. I can't go to prison. Like I was just sentenced. I'm on federal probation right now. Like the judge isn't gonna be cool with me getting popped again. Like, I mean, he I can't do it. Can't do it. I said, I'm leaving. Can't go to prison. I'm adorable, bro. Like, you know, I can't, I saw Shawshank Redemption. I know what's going to happen. I can't. You're too good looking. Yeah, I can't do that. That's not going to happen. Like, I, I can't, you know, I can't, I'm not going <laughs> to defend myself against a guy who's six foot three and tatted up. Yeah. No. So, and, you know, and I can't, I'm not going to, I'm no benefit to a gang. Yeah. Like, I'm not, I'm a nonviolent, you know, soft white collar criminal. So I was just like, uh, I was like, yeah, I'm leaving, bro. I'm leaving. So I, actually went home. Well, actually I was able to, I started cutting checks to people. Right. Mm-hmm. So I cut checks to, uh, Allison, to Johnny, to like everybody I could think of. Here's 5,000, here's 7,000, here's 8,000, here's six, here's nine. And had them going to all these different bank accounts, pulling out cash. But this is like a Thursday at four o'clock. So the next day they show up with cash, write some more checks. They go again. I get about 80 grand in cash. That's all I can get. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I go home that night I start packing my bags and I was dating this, this chick named, uh, Rebecca Halk. We've been dating about a month and she shows up at my house. You know, I hadn't returned her phone calls all day and apparently we we're supposed to go out and I'd forgotten about it. I had bigger issues. And so I'm packing a couple of duffel bags and she walks in and she's like, what's going on? I'm like, um, I'm leaving. Where are you going? I thought we were supposed to go out at such and go do something tonight. I'm like, I'm leaving. It's over. And, and she says, what happened? I tell her what happened. This is what happened. She's like, oh my God. Like she had no idea. Well, she had no idea about anything you were doing. No, I barely knew her. Like, I mean, she's coming over two, three times a week for a month. Like I've, you know, this isn't love. This isn't, you know, this is a booty call. That's all it is. Like we're hanging out, we're having sex and that's it. I don't even know you. So she suddenly just begs to come with me. You got to bring me with you. You have to this, you have to that. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like you've got a, uh, you've got a son. You have your mom lives here. You're, and she's just in tears and crying. And she suddenly said, and this is what's so funny about it is that she had just moved from Vegas Mm -hmm. to, to um, St. Petersburg to work at the dog track, to work for a company that owned the dog track, right? A casino interest or a, a, yeah, like a gambling company. And, uh, she said, you don't even know why I'm here. I was like, okay, why are you here? She said, I'm here because I was working for a law firm that worked for the, the, um, casino company that I work for. She said, I got caught embezzling nothing. It was like 10 or $15,000 from my boss because she had a gambling habit. And she said, he didn't call the police because we were sleeping together and he was afraid his wife would find out. She said, so instead he banished me here to St. Pete. My son just came to live with me. He's been caught sneaking out because uh, he, he, the father had raised him. He'd only been living with her since she got to Florida. And she's like, I was about, I was going to send him back. He's failing school. He's smoking pot. He's been caught sneaking out after curfew. I'm like, oh, okay. I don't, I don't know any of this. She's like, he was going back in December. You know, or, or no, he was going back after the school year, which would have been like May. Okay. And I'm like, so 
where before, five minutes earlier, I thought she was this sweet secretary, sweet, innocent secretary. And, and she's like, you know, I've been married three times. I am a gambler. I've claimed bankruptcy. I'm sleeping with my bo- old boss. I got like, you know, she went from this, you know, thieving adulteress, mm-hmm. th- you know, th- and I thought <laughs> these are all really beneficial to my, <laughs> you know, my future plans. Yeah. You know, and I shouldn't have at that moment, you know, I was so just flipped out and concerned and up and leaving your life and everything you know behind that's a that's terrifying and you know and and so now you're alone in a strange place and that's the you, first time you've done something like that like leave to go on the road yes so i'd never just up and moved and, and keep in mind now i can't call home i can't like i'm i'm leaving there there are things that i feel like get you caught mm-hmm. and every you know i've watched tons of these tv shows and, you know, there are certain things that get you caught. And, you know, one of them is keeping in contact with anybody in your old life. So I'm thinking that's that's not going to happen. Like, I'm not I'm not contacting anybody. I'm leaving and that's it. That didn't really happen. I kept in touch. I call my mom every once in a while. But I was like, um, okay, that's cool. Fine. Did the loneliness of that hit you early on or no? Like, the, as you're packing? I never, I never did. Well. You're leaving your life. I mean, there's a. It feels like a fundamental transition. Oh, listen, <laughs> you think? <laughs> I mean, listen, not just that. Like, I'm leaving my my son. I have a son, and I'm you know I was I was leaving everything. I was just terrified of going going to prison. And you know, I mean, I don't know. It was just it was just so stupid. It was just arrogance, and you know, I should have stayed. Like, I made things so much worse. But I I also thought I'm smart. I can I can figure this out. Like I can change my identity, blend in, I'll be fine. Aren't you already like people know what your face looks like? They do. They do. And but I one of the first things I did was I got plastic surgery. What what kind of plastic surgery? I've got I've got a nose job. Mm-hmm. I got uh what they call a mini facelift. They go in through your back of your ears mm-hmm. and they suck out all the fat in your neck. Mm-hmm. Does that change your appearance much? Uh a little bit. Um I got I was balding. I got uh, two hair transplants, you know, two hair grafts. So the hair in my head, this isn't my hair. It's my hair, but it's from back here. Mm-hmm. So there's, they cut it, it from here. and they, <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, so they re-implanted it there. Uh, you know, got liposuction, just some, you know, other stuff. And, you know, got my teeth done, that sort of thing. You know, so, you know, and I, that was kind of like my plan. I'll go, I'll take off. I got 80 grand. I'll steal some more money, you know. But I, I let her come with me. And we ran up all my credit cards over the next few days, packed up the car, traded in my my Audi and got like an Audi, I don't know, was it like an A6 or like a Ford or like the big Ford or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, got that and uh, drove straight to Atlanta. And um, so I, I wrote a letter to my parents before I left, just explaining, this is what's happening. I'm leaving, I'm done, I'm not going to prison. Love you. Sorry. 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 I'm I know I'm a disappointment. Sorry. Bam. So I take off, go to Atlanta. When we went to Atlanta, I already had the name of a guy named Scott Cugno that I'd done a loan for. Mm-hmm. So I, I had his his 
you know, his, uh, his vital information, right? Like I have his name, date of birth, social security number, mother's maiden name and where he was born. One day we were having a conversation and I just slowly pried all that out of him, right? Like I already, I, we'd done a loan for him. So I had his name, date of birth, social security number, but I need to steal his identity. I need to know where he was born and his mother's maiden name. So through the course of a conversation, I just pried, you know, hey, you know, Cugno, is that, you know, what is that? Is that like Irish? Is it? No, it's such and such. Well, what's your mom's name? Oh, such and such. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, oh, were you born here? You're born in, in where, why aren't you from? Oh, man, I was born here. I was born in such and such. Oh, Hillsborough County. You know, like I, so it was no big deal. We get to Atlanta. I make a fake ID for both of us. But keep in mind, I don't, I don't have, like, I don't have a driver's license. I, I do, but they're, they're fake. Like, I can't give this to a, to a cop. Can't give a driver's license that says David Freeman. What's David's residence, Florida or is it Georgia? No, this is Florida, okay. but it was just a made up name. Okay. I'd gone to like high school with a kid named David Freeman. Um, so I, I had an ID, but I can't give that to a cop. Like that's enough to get like rent a place or do something. Or, yeah. So we go, go to Atlanta, make an ID, set it up, make some business cards, set up a couple websites, set up some, uh, um, get a, a, an HQ, which is that like a, it's a company that will, you can do virtual, you can rent virtual, you can rent offices and they'll answer your phone for like a hundred bucks a month and they'll forward them. So it seems like you have a, an office still, they, you know, they give you a phone number that you call up and they say, you know, hi, United Southern Bank, you know, and they'll answer the phone and forward messages. So we get one of those, make a business card for, uh, for Becky. She rents a house uh, from a guy named um, Michael Shanahan. So we rent Michael Shanahan's house. It's like $200,000, $200,000 house in Alpharetta. And I then go to Alabama. Wait, I then order Scott Cugno's birth certificate, social security card. I think I registered to vote in his name. And I, th and we, I made a lease agreement in his name. And I think that's all I needed. And then I went to Alabama and got a driver's license in his name. So I went into the DMV, give him all these documents, and which are almost all of them are real except for the lease. Mm -hmm. They said, sit over there. I sit over there. I sit down. Boom. 20 minutes later, I have a driver's license. It's, you know, it was $20 something. dollars. It was nothing. So I get the driver's license. Now I'm driving this. I'm still driving a car that, an Audi that is in the name of Matt Cox. Mm -hmm. So I park that. I then go get social security to issue me a social security number in the name Scott Cugno. Mm -hmm. And I then turn around and I go and I get a loan. You put down 20, 30%. There's all these first time or first time buyers, 30% down rent, get like a Honda or something. Mm -hmm. So now we're living in a house. We've got some furniture, bedroom furniture. And I go downtown. I pull the title to this guy, Michael Shanahan's house. And I go downtown and I satisfy the loan on his house. So he had two loans with Bank of America. And so I, I make create two satisfaction of loans from Bank of America. So Michael Shanahan owns a house in the name Michael Shanahan. He has one mortgage with Bank of America and a second one. When you pay your mortgage off, the way public records knows it's paid off is they mail public records a satisfaction of mortgage. It's a one-page document and it's notarized. Mm -hmm. 
So you got two of those. I filled out two. I, I created two of them. I, I just ordered, you know, you can re- do research. So when I went downtown, I researched Bank of America Satisfaction of Mortgages. And, you know, thousands show up. So I just grab a couple of them. And now I know what the basic template is. They're all, and they're all different, by the way. So it's, you know, it's not like you even have to be that close, but whatever. I mimicked some of them, uh, ordered, I had a notary stamp, not hard to get, you know, you just, you go in and you'll, you go into three different, um, you know, uh, office depots and you say, Hey, I need a notary stamp. And you give them the information and you come back four day or whatever, a week later, and they give it to you. So I've got these notary stamps. So I notarize the satisfactions. I go downtown, I file them, boom, the mortgages are gone. Keep in mind, Bank of America, he, he's still paying the mortgages. They don't know that they've been satisfied mm-hmm. in public records. They're not notified. So those are gone, but it takes about a month or two for it to show up. Atlanta was that far behind. I think it was Fulton County. They were just way behind. So we just kind of have to dick around for a while, right? So we're going on little vacations. We're going to New Orleans. We're going to different places. Um, as Scott Cugno driving a car as Scott Cugno. Mm-hmm. Uh, we open up several bank accounts. We have multiple bank accounts. And then um, we end up going to Vegas. And we don't get, we, we do go to Vegas, but what happened was we're driving around. And I remember thinking, telling her, I was like, you know, this is a problem. Like we have to get real IDs, real driver's licenses. I mean, this is real, but this is a real person too. And he may stumble across it. And, and so what I did was I, I started running ads in um, magazines saying um, home loans available, good credit, bad credit, no problem. Call now government loans, you know, government, you know, VA, FHA, finding, you know, whatever, yeah. uh, call this number. So people start calling and I'm getting their information. One of the guys I got was uh, Michael Eckert. Yeah, I remember Michael Eckert. Poor Michael Eckert. Um, I actually, I actually legally changed his name to Michael Johnson at one point, but at this point, it was just Michael Eckert. So I don't. <laughs> I wanted to see. You know, I'm bored. I want to see what the process is. How yeah. much does it cost? Yeah. Can it, is this possible? Let me see if I can change this guy's name. It was it was fifteen hundred bucks. I changed it without him ever showing up anywhere. So you can. Well, I have a driver's point. license in his name. Right. I am him. So he did yeah. show up. He showed up at the lawyer's office. Right. He, so, you know. Right. So I'm, so I do that. I'm living in the house. Um, and we're driving along one day. And I'm saying, Man, we got to get real. Like these people that are calling like that. One guy, I, I get his information. But during the course of taking the application, and I'm asking like these, these government survey questions at the very end. It's like 20 questions and I'm rambling them off. And at some point he was like, he said, he, he volunteered. Like I didn't know, I never even asked anybody about criminal history. And he just, he ended up saying something. Well, I do have a felony. Does that matter? I mean, he's like, he was, I mean, it was a DUI. I've had a couple DUIs, but I got my license back. And that was part of the reason he had bad credit. And it was like, okay, uh, no, no, it doesn't matter. Don't worry. I'm thinking you're not getting a loan. So this is, I'm just taking your, I'm just stealing from you, sharing your information. So I get all this information. I'm, I'm gathering it. And so one of the things I said to Becky while we are sitting at this stoplight is I'm like, we got to get real people's real information. Mm-hmm. And I said, like, for instance, I said, what if I steal somebody's identity? I get a driver's license in his name, four states from where he lives, and he gets a DUI. I could get pulled over two years later and get arrested for a DUI that he got in Florida. 
and she's like, well, what do you, what do you, what are you thinking? Are you thinking like, like criminals or are you thinking like, like prisoners, like mental patients? Like, and I went, I mean, I don't, and I looked over and there was a homeless guy holding a sign. And I went like that guy. And I never forget, she goes, she's the hobo. Like, I don't know who calls them hobos. And she's like, the hobo. I said, yes, that guy. I said, hold on. Pulled over to a subway, got out. She went inside to get subway. I walk across the street, pulled out like 20 bucks. And I said, hey, bro, can I ask you some quick questions real quick? He's like, uh, yeah, what's up? And I go, here's 20 bucks. I said, listen, um, I said, when was the last time you were gainfully employed? He's like, ah, whatever, 10 years. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, do you, do you have a criminal record? He's like, ah, I've been arrested in misdemeanors, like, you know, vagrancy. And he names off some things, you know, drunk in public, whatever. And I was like, are you on probation? He goes, I can't, we can't, can't. I can't do probation. They don't give us probation. They keep us for 90 days. They release us. Like they, the judge knows I can't do, I'm not going to show up for a probation. I'm like, okay, uh, do you have a driver's license? He's like, maybe. I don't think so. I think it's just, ex- like, was it, did you get a DUI? He's like, no, I think it's just expired. Mm-hmm. Did you have a driver's license with you? He's like, no, I got nothing. I'm like, okay, well, you know, he told me he lived in like a tent in the woods mm-hmm. and and so I give him like another 20 bucks, asked him a few more questions. And, uh, and then, oh, and, and I remember in the middle of it, he said, he goes, well, are you taking a survey or something? And I went, I remember thinking, I go, not thinking, I, I go, I, I kind of chuckled. I go, you get a lot of surveyors out here <laughs> like that. And he goes, yes, and sometimes. And I was oh, like, shit. really? He goes, yeah. He said like the, um, uh, he said people from like, you know, halfway houses and, uh, what do, what do you say? Uh, um, social workers and stuff they'll come out and they'll you know they'll pass out stuff and they'll ask us questions and stuff i'm like oh okay and i was like i thought that's good to know so i go back i get grab becky and she's like oh she's like did you give him money i said give him like 40 or 60 bucks or something forget what and she was like yes what a waste of money that was good that was money well spent i said that guy's perfect i said that guy is he's got everything. He has no way to be contacted. He has no documentation on him. I said, he's, he's not going to drive a car. He's not going to get a DUI. He has an expired license. I just have to get his license reinstated Mm -hmm. and I can be him. So I went home. I typed up a, what I called a federal statistical survey form. And I made a little thing. I mean, I went online. I mean, I'm always filling out federal documents as a mortgage broker. So it looked identical. I mean, I had like this little, like the, the recycle symbol. And it was like, you know, federal form 17017, you know? Um, and so I print out these forms. I get a clip, go buy a clipboard. I make a little, a salvation army ID. I pin it on me and I go out mm-hmm. and I start, um, doing surveys. I start surveying homeless, homeless, people. homeless people. Don't judge me, bro. I was in a bad spot. I was in a bad <laughs> spot. <laughs> I see the judgment. I see the judgment. Let's, ma- let's maintain civility here. Like, so, stay neutral. Stay neutral. So these homeless guys, I mean, they have uh, they have a social security number. They have a, a birth certificate, I guess. I mean, they're a real person. Right. They're, they're a real perfect. person. With, they're just not using their real person. Yeah. They're not actively yeah, engaging with the, the economic system, the financial system. They're not... They're not employed. They don't have housing, all that kind yeah, they of thing. They don't file taxes. They don't. So I, one of the questions I even asked the guy, at the, one of the last questions I said, do you believe that you will be gainfully employed within the next two years? Mm-hmm. Every one of them said, no, no, no. So 
you know, it was like, okay, they're not even, they're not even trying. And they all had alcohol problems or honestly, the few of my talk to like was pretty clear. I mean, it takes literally five minutes, less than five minutes to fill out the form. And I filled it out for them, of course. Um, but even filling it out and that brief, just asking questions back and forth, half of them, you could tell you've got some mental illness, like something's not right with you. Like these aren't guys that are going to go out and get, are going to get jobs. They're not cleaning up. So they were perfect for my purposes as <laughs> horrible as I know that sounds. So Do you feel bad about this little this small tangent. No. Do I feel bad about it? The homeless people in society are really, it's a difficult life. Like dealing with mental illness, dealing with drug addiction, all that kind of stuff. I mean, listen, being in prison and then the, the kind the people that are in prison that, you know, are, are going to be homeless or have been homeless or the mental illness that I've dealt with in halfway houses and even doing this. I don't know what you do with these people. I don't even know that you house them. You can't necessarily even house them together. You know, they, they cause such problems. Like, I don't know what the solution is other than just kind of keeping them fed maybe and keep them away from normal people, you know, so they don't cause crime or whatever. I don't know about housing them in one area. That seems like a mistake. Like there is absolutely no good solution to that problem. None. Because it's not like, hey, if, if we gave you a house and we gave you job training and we gave you this, okay, you might get 5%, yeah. 10, but most of them are on the street because they've just messed up over and over and over again. And they but just kind of gave up. But, you know, I guess we still have to remember that they're human beings. I mean, we mentioned off mic, uh, Soft White Underbelly, and he highlights the humanity of people who've had a real difficult life. He does it well. So. He's, uh, yeah, Mark Leda is amazing. He's amazing. And one of the things he had said was like, these are, he was like, these are real people. And he's like, their stories. He's like, they have stories and they need, you know. But if you also talk to Mark, he'll tell you. You can't just, you can't give him money. You can't, like, you can't, like, he's tried over, every time he's reached out and tried to help these guys, put them in apartments, fed them, got them back on their feet. Within six months, they're back on, they're back on the street. I mean, it just, it just happens over and over and over again. I, I mean, I think the amount of money that would have to be dumped into correcting that problem, I don't know. I mean, you can say, well, yeah, but just, you know, you should do it because it's the right thing to do. I don't know who's paying for it. It's complicated, but for your purpose, they have, they have a social security number. They got so 20 bucks. They seem very happy. There you are with a clipboard um, taking a survey. Right. Took a survey, uh, went home, ordered their, and they, you know, of course they give me everything, name, date of birth, social security number, um, mother's maiden name, where they were born. Have they ever been in the armed services? Have they ever had a passport issued? What states have they had identification in? Have they ever been arrested? Have they ever been on probation? Have they ever claimed social security disability, SSI? I mean, every, I, mean I had like 17 questions and it absolutely answered everything. What high school did you go to? Because high school transcripts are great for documentation. A lot of times they'll ask you for high school, you know, can you get us a copy of your high school transcripts? Like, that's good now. And I'm a big believer in overkill. So, I mean, I ordered a ton of stuff. If I needed three things to get a driver's license in your name, right? You know, I'd come in with like six. Because what you do is you get in front of the the, the guy at the DMV and you kind of fumble through like, oh, I got this. Uh, what else do you need? Uh, you know, I know exactly what you need. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they'll be like, oh, was that high school transfer? Yeah, I'll take that. And uh, we're, 
Oh, voter's registration card. Give me that. Yeah, that's you're perfect. You're good. Sit down right over there. That's it. You know? Who is, by the way, lurking in the shadows trying to catch you? You've mentioned FBI, Secret Service. Oh, yeah. you, you mentioned, uh, I think I've heard you mention U.S. Marshals, which yes. is interesting. Cops in general, the police, CIA. I guess CIA is international only. Yeah. FBI is internal. Yes. Okay. Well, so who is, when you're doing this, who are you afraid of? So by the time I've gotten to Atlanta, within four or five days, the FBI raided my office. I guess I kind of missed that. Back so, in Florida. Back in Florida. When I left and drove to Atlanta and left, remember the FBI was going to show up a few days later. Mm -hmm. They were going to arrest me. And they did. They did. They showed up like I left on a Sunday night or something. Because for some reason, my stupid thought, I thought, well, they won't arrest me on the weekend. Like they don't work on the weekends. Um, so they came on like a, whatever it was, like a Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday. Like within a few days, they come in the office, they raid it, they're looking for me but I'm gone. Nobody knows where I am. And uh, so now I'm, I'm surveying the homeless guys and I turn around and I'm ordering their documents. And as their documents are showing up, you know, I'm, I'm going to different states and getting IDs. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to Florida. So over, over the course of this whole thing, I've had 27 driver's licenses in like seven different states. I've had two dozen passports because if you're going to get the driver's license in the guy's name, mm -hmm. you might as well get, or an ID even, you might as well get a passport because a passport's not difficult to, to get. They don't fingerprint you. You know, all they look, all they're doing is saying, this is your ID and were you born here? And then they run a check. And if it, it comes back or it doesn't. And back Good. then you could do it expedited and I'd have it in like two weeks. Like now it takes like 90 days or 60 to 90 days to get one. But, and if you have multiple ideas for a single identity, that's more proof. Like, right. right. So wait, wait, what number did you say? How many, <laughs> how many ideas, how many identities? So I had, well, I've had over 50 identities, yeah. but I've had 27 driver's licenses issued from state DMVs, Department of Motor Vehicles. So like legitimately. Legitimately. I walked into the DMV, mm -hmm. said, hi, my name's Michael Eckert. And I just moved here about three weeks ago, four weeks ago. Here's my lease. And here I I I lost my I lost my driver's license, bro. Mm -hmm. Like I don't know what I did with it. I don't know. I don't know what happened. I don't I don't know. And they're like, no, it's all right. Uh, what, what do you have? Do you have I need a proof of residency? Well, I have my lease. Oh, okay. Um I need a a, a primary uh okay, here's my birth certificate. Okay. And I need a a, a secondary. Here's my social security card, but I also registered, you know, I, I registered to vote. My girlfriend made me vote immediately and she said i would need it oh yeah it's perfect you're you're good i don't even need that okay great stand over there pay that person they call your number 275 you know 45 minutes later you go you pay your 25 bucks you stand in front of the the screen they take a picture you got a driver's license you walk out it's still warm it's beautiful it smells like pop plastic it's amazing and so i i'm opening up different uh different bank accounts in these guys' names. And just what about- you, Yeah, sorry. Well, what are you mostly doing with the identities? You're opening up different bank accounts. Right are now- Are you doing a credit, uh, starting to establish credit or no? Some of them. Like I might order, um, I might order uh, secured credit cards. So I can't get credit, you know, I'm, I'm building their credit. Like it's not helping me in any way. I'm just sending out $500 to get a, a Capital One card or a, an American- I'm sorry, a Bank of America secured credit card, whatever. So 
I'm building their credits, but not all of them, only a few, because I'm collect. although I'm collecting them, I'm also going to be moving soon. I'm only here to get a few hundred thousand dollars and move. Hmm. I need some kind of a base. So I don't want to start getting credit cards and building up a, a history in Atlanta in anybody's name, but I am getting driver's licenses in other states. So I've been like North Carolina, South Carolina. What's the primary method of income here? When you move to a place, South Carolina, how do you make a hundred thousand at this at this? Oh time? well, I mean, right now I'm living in this guy's house, and I satisfied his loans. The house is worth two hundred thousand. Got it. So what happens is one day we go and we check public records. Remember, I told you it takes months for it to show up, mm-hmm. and it shows up. Mm-hmm. He's got no mortgages on the house. So now I'm, I turn around and I make a fake ID in the name Michael Shanahan, mm-hmm. and I'm living in his house, but I have no credit. Right, there's no credit. So I've got a, it, it, the, the ID, I, I've got a, a social security number and I order some secure credit cards in his name. So if you pull that credit profile, it does, it shows up saying he's got some credit cards, but it's, they've only, they're only a month or two old. So I can't go to like Bank of America. I mean, I could, but I needed to get the money as quick as possible. Like I, I want to get out of Atlanta. So and at this point, by the way, there's multiple articles showing up in Tampa. So the St. Petersburg Times is is writing multiple articles about me. With your face. W- with my picture. Yeah. yeah. But it's honestly, it's it's pre, I mean, not pre-internet, but it's, it's post-internet, but it's it's in its infancy. Like no, yeah. nobody's, it's not huge. And and honestly, it's a it's a it's a it's a local newspaper in Tampa. It's not that big of a deal. Like, I'm not concerned about that so much at this point. What I'm concerned about is getting a chunk of money and just moving on and kind of reestablishing ourselves in a better way where we're not living in a in a building that we're going to be committing fraud in with our house. So, but I'm living in this place. I make a fake ID in the name Michael Shanahan and I call up three secured, or sorry, three hard money lenders. A hard money lender is a guy that lends his own money or other investors' money on property, mm-hmm. kind of like a bank, but he's lending his own money, so he doesn't have to really meet the banking requirements. And he tra- can charge a much higher interest rate. These guys are charging 12, 13% interest, uh, simple interest. And they're only lending you a, per- a much lower percentage of the value of your home. So they're not lending you 90% of the value. They're lending you 65%, 60%. So I call three of these guys. They all come out to the house at different times. And each one of them says, I'll lend you 100,000 or it's like 150,000, 150. Like they all lend roughly 150,000. So we schedule three separate closings. N- none of them know about the other person. Okay. So what I do is I close I close one loan on, let's say, Monday, and then one on Tuesday, and then one on whatever, Wednesday or Thursday, or or that may have all been the same day, to be honest, but I don't remember. The point is, I go to three separate title companies or uh, real estate attorneys, and we close, and I get checks for, you know, after costs and everything, the total ends up being roughly 400000 So I've got 400000 uh, Becky and I run another scam in in. Tallahassee, Florida, and we get like 50 grand. And plus we, the 80, the 80 is dwindled down to close to nothing. Cause we, we had gone on several vacations. We went to like Bermuda and I think we went to Jamaica 
we actually stayed at the Ritz in uh, in Jamaica. So it was very nice. Uh, you and Becky. So Becky turned out to be pretty good uh, in terms of scams on the road. No, she was useless. She okay. was she was she was horrible. And, and she just spent money all the time. And by the what I realized too very quickly is she's bipolar. So she's bipolar, and she's absolutely you know insane. She smokes pot all the time. Um, did that matter for you personally, or did it actually affect the uh, how was, good you were able to do the, these particular scams? It was that she was the type of person that would start an argument at one o'clock in the morning, yeah, and scream at the top of her lungs and get the cops called. So I can't have the police called. I can't get taken downtown and fingerprinted. I can't have the police showing up. I don't know who's really who's looking. We haven't had plastic surgery at this point. We're still pulling money together. So. Oh, Becky. Yeah, Becky's a problem. And at some point, I actually, so we send her to a, a, like a psychiatrist and they, they give her, um, they put her on Zoloft. And she takes it for like a month or two and then she stops taking it. She's, she, she thought she was all better. Mm-hmm. Like you're not all better. So, so can you give me a timeline here? How long are you able to be on the road here successfully? Three years. Three years. This is me. This is the first few Three months. years. Well, so. Three years. Yeah. <laughs> what happens is we, I, we get that little chunk of money. We put it deposited into these bank accounts and we start pulling out cash. Mm-hmm. Um, and which works out fine because we got a bunch of accounts and we're pulling out little amounts, 7,000, 5,000, 8,000. And, you know, I would cash checks against her accounts and they would call her to verify, oh, is there someone here trying to cash a check for $9,000? You know, can you verify the payee? And they go, oh yeah, that's Scott Cugno. Oh, okay. Thank you. And they cash the check. You know, these are new accounts. Mm -hmm. So it looks odd, but you know, we're always, I open the account. So what, what ends up happening is um, we're cashing them. And I remember getting really frustrated because it was just taking forever. And I had gone into a bank one time and, you know, they have banks where that they, they cash, they actually cash like large checks. Like if you go into Bank of America and you try and cash a check for $15,000 or $25,000, they probably won't do it. They'll tell you, we don't have that much cash on hand. We don't this, we don't that. They have certain banks that do that. So I, they told me where one of those was. I went there. I had a check for like 29000 that had been cut on a closing for Michael Shanahan. Remember, I refinanced Michael Shanahan's name. Mm-hmm. I've got a check for 29000 that was issued to Scott Cugno. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting in the bank. I go in there. I say, I need to cash this. And she says, um, you're going to talk to the manager. I go, okay. She says, go sit down over there. I go sit down in the little glass cubicle. He comes over and he says, uh, I see you're trying to cash this check. And I was like, right. He goes, why don't you just deposit in your own bank? And I went, my bank account, my bank is a credit union or something. And it's in like Florida. Like they'll hold this thing for like two weeks. Like I need the money now. I have people I need to pay. He's like, well, um, I'm not sure. And I was like, well, it's fine. It's a, it's a cashier's check. Like it's good. Mm-hmm. And he goes, no, it's, it's good. It's good. As you have the money. And he's like, yeah, we have the money. He said, it's just odd. Um, hold on. He goes back in the back and he comes back and he says, um, where'd you get the check? 
cashier's check. I said it was a cashier's check. It was drawn off of a closing for um, somebody's property that I, I were doing, the company I work for, we're putting on an addition on. Okay, that makes sense. Comes back, goes, well, why do you need cash? And I was like, I, I'm cashing guys' checks that work for the company. Like, there's a lot of these guys that are like Mexican guys. They give them a check. They go to a check cashing company or they get charged 5%, 10%. So I cashed them. I'm like, I don't under, like, what? The check's good, right? Like my, and he's like, yeah, we're just trying to verify some stuff. And he went, um, yeah, hold on. And he leaves again. And I remember my cell phone rang. And I pick up the phone, it's Becky. What are you doing? What's taking so long? I go, ah, the guy's being a jerk. You don't want to give me the money. Oh, she's like, oh my God, get out of the bank. Get out of the bank. And I went, I can't get out of the bank. The guy's got my ID. He's got my credit card, my ID, and the check for 29000 Like, he's going to call the police if I just jump up and run. Mm-hmm. And I go, look, don't, don't call me again. I'll, I'll let you know. It'll be fine. I hang out the phone. She calls back. Same conversation. I'm, I'm bouncing on the walls. I'm like, I'm going crazy. Like, it'll be fine. Hang up the phone. He comes back out and he goes, uh, he said, um, I said, hey, so what's what's taking so long? And he goes, um, we're trying to get in touch with uh, with Michael Shanahan to verify the check. That's not good for me. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm thinking, right, right. Okay, okay. And he walks away. The phone rings. It's Becky. What's what's going on? I go, he's, they're trying to get a hold of Michael Shanahan. She goes, oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> and I'm like, oh. And I remember thinking I should I shouldn't have left her the keys. There's a good chance I run out of this place and she does. She's not there. But by the way, when you're sitting there, you're who Scott? You're Scott. I'm Scott Cugno. And then the other guy calling is, Michael Shanahan. Right. Okay. They're saying they're trying to get in touch with Michael right. Shanahan. So then the phone rings. My phone cell rings again. And I look and it's not Becky's. Yeah. Not Becky. So I pick up the phone. I go hello, and she says hi. This is Kim. Is it from SunTrust Bank? Is this Michael Shanahan? So I'm like. Yes, it is Michael Shanahan. And she says, there's a guy here. He's trying to cash a check. It's very large. Could you verify the payee? And I go, sure. It's Scott Cugno. He's trying. I said, I believe the amount's $29,000. And she goes, that's right. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I said, okay. I said, hey, by the way, how'd you get my number? This is my cell number. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. We called the title company. And the title company gave us your phone number. Mm-hmm. Well, I closed those loans. That's my cell. That's why if they'd mm-hmm. looked in any other way, I would have. they could have gotten in touch with the real Michael Shanahan. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, okay, hang up the phone. You're sitting, you answered the phone from the bank while sitting in the bank. As, as Scott, Sh- as Scott, as Pugman. Scott pretending to be Mike. <laughs> so I just, <laughs> right. So I just verified <laughs> the check yeah. myself as Matthew pretending to be Scott as pretending to be Mike. Right. Yeah. So I wait there terrified. Still, they come out about two minutes later, the manager comes out plus a woman. I'm assuming maybe that was Kim. She never said anything. And he, she walks out and she says, and, and he counts out the money twice, 29,000. 29,000 and I st- stand up and I, I mean, just like, I'm like shoving the money in my pockets. Like I'm trying to get out of there so quick. I'm like, Hey, I'm like, okay, cool. Um, like I'm thinking this whole thing is, I, is you know, feels bad. And uh, I'm getting up and I'm, so I'm, I'm, I'm starting to walk out of the bank and he goes, he, he said, um, excuse me, Mr. Cugno. And I said, yes, sir. I turn around and he goes, I'd like you know, like you to know that I feel very apprehensive about this transaction. And I go, really? What is it exactly? And he goes, I, I can't put my finger on it. And I go, it'll come to you. 
And I turn around, I just bolt right out of there. And so keep in mind, a week or so later, the Secret Service shows up. Mm-hmm. Did you cash a check for $29,000? So um, what's so funny is like, that was one of the last checks we cashed. So we ended up with like 400,000. Was there a connection between the Secret Service and this guy? N- no. The, the apprehension. So the FBI is looking for me kind of in, in Tampa. Yeah. And they've put out a, a, a fugitive warrant for me, which is how the U.S. Marshals got involved. So this U.S. Marshals tracked in, down fugitives. Yes. Federal fugitives they tracked down. <laughs> but everybody's after you. You're on every list. Right. right? I'm on the FBI's most, most wanted. wanted list. At that point, the Secret Service got involved once I leave Atlanta. So when Becky and I pack up our bags and we leave Atlanta, the Secret Service got involved because of identity theft, um, you know, banking, identity theft. The, the Secret Service doesn't just do counterfeiting and protect the president. They also protect the financial infrastructure of the United States. And they especially have jurisdiction when identity theft is involved. So I- identity theft plus bank fraud there, that's when they, really, they move. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's their, their, um, their territory. So and they don't marshals are just fugitives. U S marshals, just fugitives. They don't do any investigation. They're all kind of work. Oh, okay. But they're all kind of working together. Yeah. They, yeah. The, the, you know, like the U S marshals are like, let's say a, an arm of all of the various law enforcement mm-hmm. agencies, federal agencies, not the states. The states have their own fugitive task forces or fugitive. So when you leave Atlanta, basically everybody's after you. Everybody's after me. Did you know this at that time? Or did well, you this sense point, it? Or? No, I mean, now, you know, we're, every day you're looking up, you're just looking your name up every day. Like I'm not, cause I'm just trying to get a bunch of money and, and just blend in, right? Things were not as interconnected at that time as they are now, yeah. but they're starting to get interconnected. But of course, I have no idea how much. I, I barely go on the internet for anything, you know, dating. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing, the internet. You know, I'd never been on Facebook. At this point, Facebook isn't even, isn't even out yet. This is 2006. Still, were you trying to stay low? Yeah, I, I am. I'm not a flashy person. Like I'm not driving, you know, like I didn't go out and buy a a, a red Lamborghini. You know, I'm driving... I'm driving forty, fifty thousand dollar cars. You know, I've had some sports cars, seventy, eighty. You know, maybe that's a hundred and fifty thousand dollar sports car now, but it's still not flashy. It's not like it's bright red or yellow. I mean, these are. It's always something, you know, nondescript. And, and I'm living in areas that these cars are everywhere. You know, I go to Nat. So I end up going to Charlotte, North Carolina. We rent an apartment. We decide to run a scam, uh, in in um, South Carolina. So I go to Columbia, South Carolina. And in between this period of time, we go to Las Vegas. And I, when we go to Las, we go to Las Vegas to drop off a bunch of money to uh, Becky's uh, son's father, who's taking care of her son. Mm-hmm. We drop off some money there. We go and we start. And, and while we're there, it's like, hey, there's homeless people here. So we... You're, so you're, you're making, always, you yeah, know, sorry. usually I don't feel bad telling these stories. You make me feel I'm bad. Sorry. I'm sorry. My judgment is showing. No, uh, but you have to be collecting identities, I guess, to be right. constantly creating new identities. So, so uh, <laughs> I, I got my survey forms. So I go and I, you know, we're, we, we go out and we're taking, I'm taking surveys and I end up going up to this guy. There's like two or three guys that are standing on like a bench or sitting on next to a bench or something. And I see him and I walk up. 
And the guy, one guy gets up and he comes over. He's like, hey, what, what do you need? And I went, um, I'm taking surveys for the Salvation Army to determine where we place our next homeless facility. And the guy goes, oh, I'm not interested. And they always said that. And I said, it pays 20 bucks cash right now. It'll take you five minutes. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you're $20 cash right now. I was like, yeah, I show them the cash. And they go, okay, yeah, yeah, what do you need? Name, date of birth, social security number. So when I get to um, criminal record, the guy, he says, criminal record. He's like, yeah, I've been arrested. He goes, I've been arrested like three, four times for, he said, for uh, prostitution. He said, um, but they're like misdemeanors. And I went, okay. Um, and it was like, okay, well, prostitution, I, to me, women get charged with prostitution, mm-hmm. you know? Men get pro- charged with solicitation. I went, prostitution? And he goes, and he went, he said, yeah, yeah. He said, I offered to blow an undercover cop for 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. He said, I, that's what I thought you were coming up here for. And I was like, <laughs> and I was like, no, no, bro. I said, uh, okay. And he's like, yeah. He said, uh, you know, he goes, he goes, I mean, he said, I mean, a girl's got to do what a girl's got to do, you know, right. and he made some comment or something. I was yeah. like, okay. Yep. So I jot down the rest of it. We're good. I give him 20 bucks. I get in my car. I leave. Uh, we get back to North Carolina. I order all of his documents. His name was Gary Sullivan. I then go to South Carolina. When I go to South Carolina, I get a real estate agent. We drive around for a day. We look at like five or six houses. I put five contra- five owner owner financing contracts on five different houses. So I get him. He writes up five contracts. All of them I'm, I'm asking for owner financing. I'll put down 10%. I want owner financing. Two of them end up coming back and saying, yes, we'll do it. I have two closings. One of them's a house that's worth like 225,000. Uh, I put down 25 grand. Another one's uh, 110,000. I put down 11,000. So I buy these two houses. I then satisfy the loans to, on both the houses. Everything seems like it's going okay. Although Becky's a, a lunatic at this point, she's, She's had so many, she, she won't take her medication. She's had so many outbursts uh, that, and, and we've had, by this time, we've had plastic surgery. Like she's gotten plastic surgery. She's gotten a boob job. She's gotten liposuction. I mean, all kinds of stuff. So. Look way different? Like appearance changes or? Thinner, better looking, you know, just tightened everything up, I guess. You know, she was in her. She'd had a, she'd had a kid and she was 30, 33, 34. I don't know how she was 20, 32, 33. I don't know, roughly my age. So yeah, I thought she looked, you know, she lost like 15 pounds. Like she was not because of the surgery, but just in general, we're not, we're just working out. We're going mountain climbing. We're, you know, we're riding bikes. We're doing, you know, there's fraud's not a full-time job. So, you know, we have plenty of time. So we're, we're goofing off and, uh, but she's also a lunatic. You know, she's getting the cops called. She's out, able to go out and she's able to stay stoned 24 hours a day. She's she's going out with friends, drinking. I never leave the house. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, even to this day, I really barely ever leave the house. I'm, I'm very much a homebody kind of person. So like the, the idea that I'm able to make my living doing YouTube and I'd never have to leave my house. Mm-hmm. I love that. I don't ever go anywhere except for the gym and back home. That's it. So- what happens is uh, I, I've actually moved her out of the, uh, my apartment 
Like I had an apartment downtown, 30-story building. I actually move her into another apartment. She's that much of a lunatic. We can't even be in the same place. Multiple times I've tried to leave her. She's called me up and begged me to come back. It's horrible. So I end up buying a couple of houses in, in Columbia, South Carolina. I satisfy the loans on the houses. I've got an ID, not a driver's license, but an ID in the name of Gary Lee Sullivan. And I refinanced, I refinanced those houses because keep in mind, they were owner financing, but they also had mortgages. So there's something called a wraparound mortgage. So these guys did wraparound mortgages. So let's say you buy a house for $250,000 and the bank lends you Mm $200,000 and then you owner finance the house to me. So we do a, I give you 50 grand down. But I'm not, I'm not able to get a loan from the bank to pay off your mortgage. So what we do is you do a wraparound mortgage. So I'll pay you your mortgage and you pay the bank. So there is a second mortgage on the property, but it's called a wrap. It's, a wrap, it's wrapped around the, your first. That's legal? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I wouldn't lie to you. So it's, so there's, these have wraparound mortgages. So <laughs> you're always selling I, and you're good at it. <laughs> so I go, I satisfy. Yeah. The loans, the owner finance loans, the wraparound mortgages, and I, I satisfy the loans, their, the original loans that these people took out on their own mortgages. Mm-hmm. One of them, by the way, I sat, you know, you have to sign as the president of the bank, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I sign it as C. Montgomery Burns, which is the aging tycoon in the, the, the guy that owns a power plant in the Simpsons mm-hmm. TV show. Yeah. So I sign that and I notarize it. Mm-hmm which I thought was cute. I actually wanted to sign all of them cartoon characters and Becky was screaming her head off and wouldn't let me do it, right? Like I wanted to do all the Simpsons, right? Mm-hmm. But she wouldn't let me do it. She's screaming and hollering. So I ended up, you know, see, nobody knows who C. Montgomery Burns is. Mm-hmm. So I sign it, notarize it. All of those are satisfied. I then go to the multiple bank banks and I refinance, start refinancing all these, uh, these properties multiple times. So I'm applying for these loans and I'm getting the loans and I'm closing. So I've got like five or six loans on this one house. The house is like 225,000. I think it was like 230, whatever. I, I, I get, I borrow like four or five loans on that house. So I borrow like $190,000, like five times. So I've got like $800,000 and then I borrow another three or 400 thousand on the other house, the one, the smaller one, right? So it ends up being like $1.3 million. It's actually like 1.5 million. It was more, but what happened with that was, so keep in mind, I, you can only open up so many bank accounts in your name. You can go to Bank of America, they'll open one. Then you go to SunTrust, they'll open one. They're going to add, they might even ask you, did you, did you open another bank account today? Because every time you do it, there's an inquiry into something called check systems. Um, or AccuCheck. Mm-hmm. And so then they go, so then by the time you go to the third bank, they'll say, listen, something's not right. You've got multiple inquiries. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go to whatever mercantile bank, there might be, they might go, okay, we're going to open one. They're going to need an explanation, but you're not, you're not opening more than three. Mm-hmm. By the third one, they're going to be like, absolutely not. Something's wrong. So, you know, I've got multiple identities, but I can only open up so many, so many banks. The other problem is that these, these checks, They'll only give you so much money on a refi. Usually after $100,000, they only want to let you walk away with, let's say, $100,000. So one of the things I did was I would, I would typically record another mortgage and have them pay that mortgage off. So I had to open, I opened 
a corporation to do that. So I could then turn around and go open corporate bank accounts because now it's not going off my information. It's going off the corporation. So I can open up multiple corporate bank accounts. Well, these corporations are fake or real? No, no. I went to a real corporate bank attorney, corporate attorney and had him open them. I gave him whatever. I gave him like $1,500, $2,000. And he opened up a corporation for me, Gary Sullivan. Yeah. And I then turned around and I went and opened up multiple bank accounts in that, in those, that corporation's name. How, how are you keeping track of all this? Because this I don't need this. So I'm, is I'm it only, in your head or do you have good no, organization? No, no, no. I have every single identity has its own file mm-hmm. with, with um, you know, plastic inlays, sleeves for their passports. That's nice and organized. Yeah, it's super you, organized. You open this, I'm Gary now. Right. It, that's exactly what it is. Like you kind of go over, boom, 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 boom. You sit in your car for a minute, you put it down, you walk in. Mm-hmm. Well, what happens is it went up to like 1.5 million. And I'm pulling money out of the bank. And then one day I get a phone call on Gary Sullivan's cell phone. The guy, it's a, it's a lawyer. They call up. He says, hey, I'm a lawyer with Washington Mutual. We have an issue. I said, what's that? He says, we got a phone call from the title company. One of the title companies that I was attempting to refinance a, one of the pieces of property with noticed that I, they had been sent, they'd been sent a document that showed that I had purchased the property and I said, I purchased it cash. And I, the document said I purchased it cash. And they got that. And there was actually a mortgage on the property. And so somehow or another, they, they connected it and they called Washington Mutual. And they said, look, there's an issue. There's a fraud. We have a fraudulent document here. And he was like, he said, so we went and we looked. And it turns out that we pulled public records and that there is a mortgage in front of us, several mortgages in front of us. So there's like three or four mortgages in front of me, Washington Mutual. You owe us, and it wasn't that much. It was like a hundred, hundred. It was like like a hundred grand, right? Like ninety five or a hundred. And I said, uh, okay. And he said, so there's an issue here. You've got a few mortgages in front of us, and we're supposed to be a first mortgage, and we're not supposed to be two mortgages behind or three. And I was like, okay, sounds like a, sounds like an error. Not a big deal. Um, have you contacted law enforcement? He said, no, I haven't. I was hoping we could rectify this some other way. I said, you know what? I think we can. I'm going to have my lawyer call you back. I'm going to go to his place right now. Give me about two hours. No problem. I immediately run, jump in my car, head towards South Carolina, call my corporate lawyer, tell him, look, I need to talk to you. Here's what's going on. I explain it to him. He doesn't really understand. He says, um, this sounds pretty complicated. I have a, my bit, my law partner is a criminal defense attorney. I'm going to have, I'm going to set up a meeting right now with all of us. Okay. I get there 45 minutes later. I walk in the door. I sit down. He says, what happened? I said, oh, they said, you know, Gary, this is, this is, doesn't sound right. What's, what do you, what happened? I said, okay, so listen, bought this house. I bought it cash. I then refinanced it. I didn't buy it cash, but I told him I bought it cash. I refinanced it like four or five times within a day or two of each other. And they were like, how is that even possible? I was like, well, I went to different title companies and I explained how I do it. I said, Washington Mutual just found out that they're in like second position or third position. Mm-hmm. And, or, or I said, but they're probably, they may be in fourth position. You know, they mail these things in. So you never know. And he was like, oh my God. He's like, that's uh." What do you want to do? I said, I, I want you to contact them and agree for them to not contact the authorities provided we pay them. I pay them off. He goes, do you have the money? I said, I do have the money. I can go get the money right now. He calls the lawyer. 
they this is back when faxes, right? So they fax some documents back and forth. They make they do a couple emails back and forth, and uh, they have a conversation. I remember the lawyer started arguing because he wanted to charge me um, like yield spread and fees and stuff. And I was like, I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I'll pay it. Like, so it ends up being a little over a hundred thousand. And I'm like, that's it. So he's like, okay. And so he says, okay, um, that sounds good. And so I, he said, okay, all you have to do is go get the check. And he said, bring it to a Washington Mutual branch. Tell them to call. I said, I'm not going into Washington Mutual branch, bro. I'll bring you the check. So he, he calls him back. He's not doing that. And he's like, okay, I'm not, I'll bring it here. You guys take care. He said, no problem. Okay. Hang up the phone. And he turns to me. He says, okay, well, we have a problem. He said, we still have the problem of these other mortgages. And I went, right. And he said, um, and he goes, okay, well, I said, they don't know anything. He said, I know, but Gary, he said, what if they find out? I said, they find out that they're like in second, third and fourth place. Mm-hmm. He's like, right. I said, I, I leave town. And he went, they, they, so they both laugh. They, <laughs> Gary, you can't just leave town. I, they, they have, they have a copy of your driver's license. They have your social security number. They have your birth certificate. I said, they'll find you. It's the FBI. And I go, you're assuming I'm Gary Sullivan. Wow. You tell them. And he, they listened, they looked at me and they went, and I, and I remember he said, he goes, well, uh, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. And I said, right. My immediate problem is getting rid of these people. Mm-hmm. And he goes, right, right. So wow. I go get wow. the check, bring it back, give it to them. Never called the FBI. I can't believe you got away with the, with the, with the Washington Mutual. Like, oh, bro. This is. I mean, these are all really close calls. It seems like. you. No, this is the close call. Mm-hmm. I have two more close calls that my hands sweat thinking about it. I walk in, I walk into Wachovia. I just opened this account two months ago. So it's a new account. So whenever I would go in there, I'd say, Hey, I need a $7,000, $6,000, anything over $3,000. They had to call to get permission, right? Like author uh, authorization. So she's like, okay, I got to go call. I said, no problem. So the, the girl walks in the back. I'm sitting there waiting all of a sudden a massive, person reaches over my hand and grabs my wrist and somebody grabs it from the other one and they pull my hands behind my back. These are two of possibly the largest law enforcement officers I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, they're massive. Mm-hmm. And they, they handcuff me and they say, you're um, uh, Mr. Sullivan, you're being detained. We're taking you into custody and you know, putting you, uh, we're holding you until a detective gets here. Who are these guys? Uh, is this U.S. Marshals or is this cops or what? These are it? sheriff's deputies. Sher- sheriff's deputies. Right. Okay. And as they walk Sullivan, me Gary in Sullivan, the right. right, as they walk me in the back, they're calling me Mr. Sullivan. Right. They sit me down, and by now I'm, you know, the Secret Service are looking for me. They're they're calling me, uh, well, they were calling us John and Jane Doe, but now they figured out who we were, and so now I'm on the Secret Service's most wanted list. I'm not like number one. At that, right, like I probably was, but I, 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 we just found out I was on, like, on that list. So it, it's, it's getting bad. So they sit me down and I'm waiting. And I remember thinking that the FBI was coming. You know, I don't really know. At that point, I couldn't tell you the difference between everybody. And then five minutes go by and, you know, I'm sitting there going, what is going on? Do you guys have any idea what's going on? They're like, we don't know. We're just grunts. We just do what we're told. So suddenly this guy walks in, he's probably in his, early thirties, maybe he walks in gray suit, 
I think he looks like he's FBI. He says, hey, I'm a detective with the, uh, I want to say Richland County, you know, whatever, Sheriff's Department uh, or Police Department, whatever. And I was like, oh, okay. And he says, yeah, listen, we've got an issue. Wachovia, Wachovia wants to, they want us to arrest you. He said that they, they're saying that you've got three mortgages on, on your house. And I go, is that illegal? And he looked at me and he went, you know, to be honest, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. and, I, I, and I distinctly remember thinking, I'm walking out of here. All I have to do is convince this guy I haven't done anything wrong. He's already said he doesn't know. So he gets on the phone with the head of Wachovia's fraud department. And he's tell, saying, this guy is running what's called a shotgunning scam. Mm-hmm. which is absolutely right. And so- What is, what is the shotgun? It's where you're cl- you you close on so many loans simultaneously, they can't catch it. Anyway, they they start going back and forth. And he's on the phone. And he's like, um, why did you close three loans? And I said, I, you know, what? why are you pulling? What I said, I, it's not illegal. I have a first mortgage, a second mortgage, and a, and a home equity line of credit. That's perfectly legal. And he goes, and you can hear the guy, yeah, it's not, they're all first mortgages. And I said, I read every one of those documents. Not one of them said they were first mortgages and they don't. First mortgages don't say they're first mortgages. It's the placement of the mortgage, placement of the lien that determines is it a first, second, or third. So it's possible that I wouldn't have known it, certainly that I could have read those documents and not known. And he's like, that's not true. And he's screaming. And uh, so I go, yeah, listen, and, and, he said, well, you're taking out all cash. Why are you taking out all cash? I said, well, I mean, I don't know if this, this sounds, I, said, I don't know, this might be illegal. I said, I don't know. I said, I mean, I work for, for a, I work for a, um, a labor company, mm-hmm. labor on demand. I pull out my business card. You can call. <laughs> so I'm like, I work for labor on demand. And I said, um, we, we hire a lot of guys that like, they don't have bank accounts. So the company pays them. And then I'll, usually I'll pull out money and I'll, I'll, cash their checks because they get charged like 10% of these check cashing companies. And I feel bad. I know the checks are good. So I just deposit them. I mean, I don't think that I said, but I don't, I don't know if that's illegal. I don't think that's illegal. Like if, if, and he's like, no, 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 that's fine. It's, it's, that's, that's a decent thing to do. It's not, that's fine. I'm like, oh, okay. So we're, so he's talking to the guy and, you know, Wachovia is screaming and hollering. He says, um, uh, he's doing that. You know, he's going back and forth, back and forth. So we're going back and forth. And I'm just derailing everything this guy says. And at one point, he says, um, he's screaming, he's committing fraud, we want him arrested. And he's like, I don't know what to charge him with. And he's like, you know, he's saying these aren't, you know, how did you, you know, how did you, he's like, hey, look, how did you even do this? I go, look, I didn't do this. I said, I came to Wachovia. I met with a loan officer. I said, I need a first mortgage. I need to pull out like $100,000. I want to start buying houses. He goes, that's right. You own another house here too, don't you? I said, I do. I said, we're putting a new roof on it. We're going to build an addition. We're putting in a pool. I'm buying one right down the street from that one. I said, so I'm I'm obviously, I'm pulling out money. Mm -hmm. I said, so I told them I need $100,000. They said, that's fine. They said they could only get me $100,000 out. For something about Fannie Mae guidelines, which is true. And I, and I said, so then she said, I, I can get you, I can send you to a friend of mine who's a loan officer. She can get you a second mortgage, which she did. I said, then I told her she could only get me a hundred thousand or so, 190,000 in the other. And she said, you should get a, an equity line of credit if you're going to be doing like, you know, um, renovating properties. So she sent me to somebody and they got me an equity line of credit. I said, I said, I, you know, I haven't committed fraud. 
I said, I wouldn't know how to commit fraud if you told me. I said, what sounds more reasonable? A guy that works for a labor company ripped off a bunch of banks for over half a million dollars. I said, or some loan officers got together and did something illegal. I said, there's a problem at the bank. And he says, I think you've got a problem at the bank. And this guy goes nuts. And while he's screaming, he needs to be arrested. This is fraud. My loan officers have not done anything illegal. They wouldn't do that. He says, look at his ID. His ID is fake. His ID starts with zero, zero, zero. South Carolina IDs start with zero, zero, zero. This guy's in California. He has no idea. So when he says that, he go, he the the detective looks pull, looks at my ID and he goes, "Listen," he said, "This is a real ID. I ran this guy through NCIC." He said, "This is Gary Sullivan." And I and I looked at him. I go, "Now I'm not Gary Sullivan." I go, "Come on, bro. What are we doing here?" And he goes, "I know Gary. I know." And he says, "I'm gonna take him downtown. I'm going to talk to my." whatever, lieutenant, whoever, captain, and I'm going to fill out a police report and I'll let you know. And he hangs up. Yeah. I get up. They've taken the handcuffs off. I stand up. As we're walking out with the detectives, as we're all kind of walking out, he goes, hey, you have an ID. Do you have a driver's license? Mm -hmm. And I went, um, I do, but it's in like Nevada. Mm -hmm. And he goes, oh, that's right. He goes, you're from Vegas. And he looks at the two deputies and they all kind of grin. And I think he ran me through NCIC, mm -hmm. which means he ran a statewide criminal database, which means he thinks I've been arrested three times for prostitution in Vegas. Ah, uh, right. I listen, I'm humiliated. <laughs> I was just like, and the grin told me, every, and I was just like, oh man. Yeah. And so one of the cops goes, uh, here, give me the ID. Takes the ID. He goes, I'll check and see. Because mm -hmm. I have to follow him back in my car. So he goes, and by the way, my car is, is in the name Michael Eckert. So Michael Eckert, he doesn't have a photograph of Michael Eckert. Right. Because you can't pull up photographs from other states. So he doesn't have a photograph, but he knows that's not my car. And he asked me, whose car are you driving? I said, oh, that's my boss. Michael Eckert. And I said, that's my boss. And he goes, oh, Michael Eckert. And I said, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And he's like, and I'm like, oh my God. So I'm thinking he knows Michael Eckert, knows it's registered in North Carolina, knows the address, which is where I was currently living. Mm -hmm. That's a problem. So the police officer or the, um, sorry, deputy grabs the ID, walks outside, comes back. I have no idea if this homeless guy has a, a driver's license in Nevada. Mm -hmm. I don't know. He had nothing on him. He comes back and he goes, he's, he goes, does he have a valid license? He goes, yeah, it's valid. And he hands it to him or he hands me the ID. And he says, uh, he said, he goes, is valid? And he looked at me, he goes, yeah, well, he said, it, it says he's like, he says he's five foot 11. Mm -hmm. Like it was like five ten, five eleven. 5'11". I'm clearly not five ten or five eleven. And they all look at me and I go, fellas with a good pair of shoes <laughs> like that. And they all go, ha, 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 follow us, Gary. Yeah. I follow them back yeah. to the police station. Becky is calling me mm -hmm. on the phone, screaming her head off. Now, I'd always told Becky, if I ever get arrested, yeah. immediately go get me a lawyer. The lawyer will be able to get me out on bond because I'll be arrested for something stupid. Mm -hmm. 
I said, it'll be something like trying to cash a check, you know, a fake check or, uh, you know, use of something. I said, it won't be the, all my IDs are real. So it won't be for, for a fake ID. So my ID, my ID won't be in question. And most, most, um, police departments and sheriffs at that time did not run your fingerprints through APHIS. So they didn't, cause they charge them for that. So they don't, they don't typically do it unless your identity is in question. Mine wouldn't be. I have a valid driver's license or a valid ID in that state. So I go back, she's screaming. She's like, oh my God, you don't understand. I just checked the, I just checked the, um, just checked the internet, the website. You are number one on the secret services most wanted list. And I was like, I got bigger problems right now. They just held me in the bank. I'm following them <laughs> right problem. now. I know. And she was like, yeah, get on the, get on the interstate. Go, go. I cannot go. The detectives in front of me, the cops are behind me. They're escorting me to the police. Listen, she's like, oh my God, run, run. I go, look, I'm not a NASCAR driver. Like I'm driving, it's a, it's a, it's a sports car, but it's not going to outrun a radio or a yeah. helicopter. Like I have not, that's not going to happen. I know it looks, it seems nice. I'm not that guy. Um, so I was like, I can't, I said, look, you don't understand. I was in handcuffs 30 minutes ago. I just talked my way out of them. I'm mm-hmm. going to get out of this. Mm-hmm. And I, and I said, the worst that happens is I'll be arrested as Gary Sullivan. You can get me a police, uh, you can get me a, um, an attorney. He can get me out. And she goes, I'm not getting you an attorney. I'm not getting you out oh, on no. bond. Becky. I'm not risking everything I've got for you. Because she has all the money. We've got seven, eight hundred thousand dollars at this point. Mm-hmm. So, oh, and by the way, she's not even in North Carolina at this point. She's relocated to Houston, Texas. Mm-hmm. Because when this scam broke, w- fell apart, we were going to move to Texas. So nice. we, we were already moving there. So, but by the way, just a small tangent, where do you store money in situations like this that? Uh, like when you talk about eight hundred thousand, do you have to keep moving accounts to make sure it's not accessible so by there's about FBI? Six, well, there's about six or seven hundred thousand accounts, but keep in mind I'm getting that out in cash. Like there's no Bitcoin, there's no none of that stuff exists. So my, you know, I I, I probably should have bought diamonds or bought gold or bought like I don't know any of that. All I could think of is go in slowly, be patient. Mm-hmm. Um, don't drain the accounts. You know, fluctuate them. Like I was writing getting cashier's checks from one account to another. So the balances were doing this, mm-hmm. you know, they weren't just going, they were doing this. And then one day, boom, they're gone. Okay. Got it. So, got it. so we got out like whatever we got, we've gotten out like six or 700,000. There's still like six or 700,000 in the bank, mm-hmm. but I, I'm not going back. I'm done. I actually, to be honest with you. So, well, look, I, I go in, so I go into the police station and what well, first she says, if you go in the police station, I'm done. If you get arrested, you're done. I said, well, then I better not get arrested. I hang up the phone. The cop's standing behind my car. Mm-hmm. Get out. I go in the police station. I walk in. I fill out the police report. He tells me, I got to talk to my captain real quick. Can you wait? He couldn't leave me in his cubicle. He goes, can you wait in the hallway? I can't leave you in the cubicle. I said, no, no problem. So I go and I wait in the hallway. In the hallway are a whole wall full of, on the corkboard, um, Wanted posters, mm-hmm. black and white, black and white, like, you know, car thief, you know, rapist, murderer, secret services, uh, uh, most wanted. Mm-hmm. And I'm on the, I'm on my face is right there. I'm like, holy Jesus. And, 
you know, everything in me told me, run, bro, just, just fucking haul ass right now, right now, just go. You're, you've, your luck's run out. Mm-hmm. Not that I even thought he was, there were so many, I didn't think he was going to see it, mm-hmm. but it, it just, everything in me just said, run. The, the problem is if you've ever been a poli- into a police station, you're not getting out of it. The, do you understand? The, There's get a lot in, of cops around. Well, not just that, but they buzz you in. Yeah. You get in the elevator, you have to punch in a code. Right. You have to punch in a code to get back out of the elevator. Yeah. You have to punch in a code to get into the next door. There's like, a, I mean, it, it was, it, it's impossible. Like I'm never, I'm not going to get in the elevator. Mm-hmm. So guy comes back up to, the cop comes back up. He said, hey, Gary, appreciate it. No problem. My captain said, we're good. We're going to wait for a phone call from the, no, wait, the, the district attorney called already. Mm-hmm. They're looking into it. Um, I'm going to go ahead and let you go. I go downstairs. He walks me out to my car. He said, look, do me a favor. He's like, we, we do have some serious questions at this point. Like the district attorney said, there's, there's some, some things up. Mm-hmm. He said, and I, I said, not with me. And he said, well, just do me a favor. He goes, don't, don't leave town. I said, bro, I own two houses here. I'm not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm telling you right now. I said, Wachovia, they, they fucked up. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I believe you. I believe you. He said, I worry. He said, whatever. He's like, I hope you, I hope they were right. I'm mm-hmm. sure you're right. Okay. So I get in my car. I leave. I go to two more banks, pull out more money. But at one point I go into a bank and like two of the cashiers practically slam into each other trying to get to the phone and I can tell something's up. Like, yeah. oh, no, 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 something's up. So I back, I get my car back out. One of them even kind of runs out and looks at the tag number, you know? So I drive, I get in the interstate, I go. I, you know, Becky, of course, she's, you know, I'm sorry, I, I love you. I would have never done that. I was just scared. I understand. <laughs> I go. Becky sounds like a handful. Oh my god, bro! So I go all the way back to Charlotte. I pack up my apartment. I drive all the way to Houston with my entire apartment packed up. By the way, in a U-Haul. Like the next day, the next morning, we pack. She's got people there packing it up, movers. Mm-hmm. We pack it up. I drive the U-Haul all the way to Houston. It takes a couple of days. I unload it into. We have uh, some guys unload it into a uh, into a storage unit because I'm going to stay with Becky until I f- find my own apartment. As we're driving around the neighborhood, super nice. She's living in like whatever, like on like the 20th floor or something of some huge high rise. Great apartment. We drive by and I go, oh, stop the car. And I I, I, I want to get out. It's one of those cone things where there's flyers for the house, for a house. Mm-hmm. I jump out and I get the flyer. And... And she's like, what are you doing? I go, well, I just want to, you know, I, I just look, look at the flyer. And she says, uh, I don't want to do a scam here. I want to live here. This place is nice. I love it here. Mm-hmm. And I went, right. I understand. I said, I'm not going to, I said, no, but I have a fine, an apartment. Mm-hmm. And she is, oh, you just, I'm just so disgusting. You can't sp- stand to spend even a couple weeks with me. Mm-hmm. You just, and she goes just ballistic. She's screaming at the top of her lungs. And I know she's going to get me caught. Mm-hmm. She's never going to get me out. Right. She's already told me that. Mm -hmm. So we go back to the apartment. We go upstairs. I was so scared of this, this chick, bro. I I was so scared. I remember I was going up in the elevator and this girl gets on this clearly a stripper. Mm -hmm. I mean, drop dead, just, but wearing stripper clothes. Yep. And I'm staring like, and and as soon as she got on, Becky gave me that with the face. And I'm like this. I'm like staring in the corner and never look at the girl. And I remember when we get off the elevator, bing, it opens. We, I bolt off it. 
Becky Bolt's, Bolt's office and I I off the elevator and I remember she squeals, um, I bet you just love to fuck that tramp. Mm-hmm. And the girl, as the elevator doors are closing, she goes, hey. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was funny. So I go to the apartment. Yeah. <laughs> we, we have a screaming match, kind of. Tell her I want to split up the money. She tells me she's not going to give me split the money. Why? Um, because she said, you can go somewhere else and do this again. You'll have a million dollars in six months. You know, I, I have to live off this money. Did she threaten you? Oh, she threatened the, it was, it was funny too, because the conversation back and forth, I remember saying, no, I want half it. And she goes, and she said, uh, I'll give you $10,000. I said, you're out of your mind. I said, I, I said, I'm telling you right now, you come up with something reasonable. I'll take all of it. Mm-hmm. And she said, um, what did she say? I said, I'll take all of it. She was in what? Escape in that U-Haul they're going to, she was the cops are going to be looking for in five minutes. And I went, I just remember thinking, oh, wow. And keep in mind, all of my IDs, everything are in the storage unit that she has a key to. Like, I'm not getting those. It's over. Yeah. I got an ID right now that says my name is Michael Eckert. Yeah. I am driving a, I, I, I got, I'm driving a U-Haul van. Yeah. Sounds like she has a lot of right. negotiation leverage. Right. So we start arguing back and forth and she says $100,000. Yeah. I'll give you 100000 I said, I'll take it. She counts it out. Uh, counts out the 100000 Later, when I recounted, it wasn't even a hundred. It was like ninety-eight thousand. That's fine. It's fine. So, um, but she, you know, we've got them all marked. You know, two thousand, five thousand, six thousand. She's like two thousand, five thousand. That's twelve. That's it. She ends up um, stiffing me. That's fine. It's not my money. So I, I take it. I end up. You know, I take it. I leave, and as I'm leaving, she'd always called me before on the phone and begged and pleaded and cried. I messed up. Please give me a chance. I'm sorry. I'm. I'll, I'll take my medication. I'm sorry. I thought it was better. I thought it was okay. And I remember walking out. I put my cell phone on the counter and just walked out. Went downstairs, got in the truck, and drove. Um, and uh, drove. When I got to Louisiana, I stopped at Baton Rouge and got a. I mean, at some point I stopped and I got like, I think I got a room or something. At one point I know I stopped. So you drove without a plan, essentially? I drove back to Charlotte to get my car. Got it. So I can't be driving. (laughs) I can drive in this truck. So I stopped at Baton Rouge at one point and got a a cell phone, you know, like a, a burner phone like a Verizon Virgin mobile or something. Uh, one of those little phones. So I bought one. I call a few people at home, back home, call my mom. Um, she's in tears, crying. My dad's yelling in the background. I call. Uh, What's your mom? Just a small tangent. What, what did your mom and dad say? Uh, you remember anything stand out to you? Was- no, my dad, you know, you know, well, I hope you're happy. You know, your mother, every time someone mentions your name, your mother cries, which is funny to me. Cause like growing up, like he was never concerned about her crying, mm-hmm. you know? So it was like, since when did you care? You know? And I just, so, I mean, my dad's like, he's an alcoholic, you know, he's been sober for two years, a month and a half drunk, drunken binge. Uh, or drinking, sorry, drinking binge, and then sober for six months, and then did it again, and sober, you know, just went back and forth, yeah. and uh, in and out of uh, alcohol, you know, drug programs. Uh, but like I said, it worked for State Farm, and State Farm, he was a top-selling manager. And so what they would do 
is they they put him into a 30-day program and 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 I mean like a like he has to stay there. And they had they were the only ones that had that kind of control because they're like, you're gonna do this and you're gonna pass it or we're firing you. You know? He he made a lot of money and he made a lot of money for State Farm and he hired he hired and trained a ton of agents and he had one of the top performing agencies. Mm-hmm. So he was worth a lot to them. And uh but so I I end up what ends up happening is I'm driving through, I, I get that phone that I was telling you about and I call. So I call, talk to my mom. She's, you know, she's crying. She's like, I love you so much. You know, I just want to make sure you're, you're safe. I end up calling uh, Susan Barker, which was one of the brokers that worked for me at the time. Mm-hmm. Call her and I say, hey, what's going on? How's she? She's like, oh, Matt, yeah, you know, what's going on? FBI is everywhere. Like they're, they're, they've been talking to everybody. They, you know, and this has been, it's like a year and a half at this point. And she's like, it's not, you know, they're, they come around every once in a while. Everybody's gone in, everybody's cooperating, everybody's talking, everybody's blaming you, um, including her. And, uh, and so as we're talking, she said, look, I, I've, the main FBI agent on the case, she told me if I ever spoke with you to have you call her. And I was like, yeah, I'm good. So she goes, her name is Candace. And she she wants you to call her. She's at least call her for God's sakes. Maybe you could just turn yourself in. Maybe maybe you can negotiate just like a couple of years, like a because they're if they're not going to catch you, then then maybe turn yourself in. Maybe it'll help. At least hear her out. And I was like, okay, all right, you're right. Hang up the phone. I call Candace. She picks up the phone. And I go, hey, uh, I said, she goes, who's this? And I go, this is Matt Cox. Yeah. And she goes, hey, hello, Mister Cox. How are you? And I go, I'm, I'm doing okay. How's it going? I understand you want to talk to me. She goes, I do. I said, what can I do for you? She goes, you can turn yourself in. I go, well, that's not going to happen. I said, what else do you need? And she said, I think that you should think about turning yourself in. I said, why? Well, what am I looking at? She says, well, that's not how it works. The way it works is you turn yourself in and, you know, we take that into consideration. I said, no, 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 no. I said, that's not good enough. I said, I'm not, I'm not stupid enough to turn myself in and hope for the best. Mm-hmm. So... She says, um, well, let's talk about this. And I said, well, what am I looking at? And she says, I don't really know. I, I can't, you know, really, I can't tell you that. And she's, I said, well, well, then we don't really have anything to talk about. She goes, well, wait a second. She said, let me, hold on. Let me call the U.S. attorney. Maybe we can work something out. So she calls the U.S. She, so I said, okay, I'll call you back. And she said, well, give me your phone number. I'll call you. And I went, no, no, no. I said, I'll, um, I'll call you. I said, I'm going to hang up the phone. I'm going to turn the phone off. I said, for all I know, you're triangulating this phone call right now or something, you know? And she says, oh, g- give me a break. She says, you're not that important. And I, I remember thinking, who do you think you are? Like, like, she, like right? Like, you're, you're just some little fraudster guy running around, you know? Like, mm-hmm. you're not a terrorist, mm-hmm. you know? Like, and, I, and I almost... I almost was like, oh, okay, here's my number, which she probably already had. Mm-hmm. But I almost like, was like, okay, I'll wait for your call and left my phone. I said, no, you know what? I said, I'm going to hang up the phone. I'm going to turn it off anyway. And I'll, I'll yeah. call you back. She's all right, whatever. I hang up. I turn off the phone. It turns out I found out later when I ordered the Freedom of Information Act, she actually immediately called the U.S. Marshals and they immediately called, took the phone number and tracked back the phone and immediately had two marshals from uh, Baton Rouge or go immediately to the place where I had been. Mm-hmm. Damn. 
Oh, listen. Yeah. I mean, they work this, fast. Yeah. She's, oh, and she's good too. Not yeah. just that. I, I made the initial calls sitting there in that where I went and bought the phone. It was like a gas station. There was also like a, a subway station. I had ordered like a subway. I was eating a subway, playing on my computer, program the phone and making phone calls. Mm-hmm. So by the time I talked to her and they're, 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 they're driving, I, by that point, I walked and gotten in the vehicle, my vehicle and I leave. But, you know, who knows? I don't know if they showed up 30 minutes late. I don't know. Like, I could have hung out. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'm just going to finish my food. Could have shown up. So I go, I, I call her back an hour or two later. She says, listen, you know, first time he wasn't, hadn't got back with her. Then he did. Then he came back. He said, seven years, he's got to turn himself in here. So, okay, seven years. That's, that seems like a lot. And I was like, seven years. And that's seven years for for. I goes, and I kept saying, is that seven years for everything? And she goes, yeah, that's for everything. I was like, that's everything. Like everything in that happened, like in Atlanta, like in some stuff that you don't know about. She said, look, what's important is you turn yourself in, in Tampa. And I was like, okay, well, I'm closer to Atlanta. Why wouldn't I turn myself in, in Atlanta? And she's like, look, you know, uh, you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. Well, cause that would have been the secret service would have gotten credit if I'd walked in there. Right. So, you know, and I don't know anything about rivalries and how they work at that time. I do now, but so we go back and forth, back and forth. And I continually ask her, does that include Atlanta and everything? And at some point I realized like, oh, she's just not answering. Mm -hmm. And so finally I said, listen, you keep dodging this question. And she said, all I can speak for is Tampa. So if you come back to Tampa and you cooperate against everyone seven years. And she's telling me, she wants me to cooperate against my ex-wife. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that. I said, my ex-wife didn't do anything. She doesn't know anything. She didn't do anything. She's never, you know, well, that's not what I heard. And she's going on and on. Um, and I was like, no, no. I was like, oh, wow. I was like, so that's just for, and she's like, that's right. I said, all right, we're done. She's no, wait, I can call the Atlanta U.S. attorney, I said, nah, lady, I wouldn't believe you if you told me water was wet. Mm-hmm. I don't trust you. And I hung up the phone, threw it out the window. And I end up going to Charlotte, drop off the U-Haul van, go to my, I would have probably brought it back to the dealer. Like, it's not like I abandoned, I brought okay. it back. Um, so I, I bring it back. I go to my old apartment in downtown Charlotte. And I remember thinking I would be okay. I know by this point that they they knew Michael Eckert's name. They had the address in Charlotte. So I know they, they by this point, it's been five, six days. So I know they've tracked him back there. So I figured if I could get my car, I'm fine. So I go into the apartment complex and it, you know, it's like five, it's one of those four, five, six story apartment, you know, those are, are parking things that stack up. So I go into this, you know, underground, it's not underground, but whatever, this parking garage thing. So I go in, I'm on like the third floor or something. I, I look at my car, you know, and I, I get in my car. And I remember as soon as I walk, drove out of the, the parking garage, I was like, I'm good. So I can go ahead and pull across the street and stop at Starbucks. So I stop at Starbucks. I walk into Starbucks. I order a Starbucks. I'm standing there waiting for the barista. I look over and it's two people from the apartment complex staring at me. Like, 
that's what I'm like. And they're, they're whispering and pointing. And, and I remember thinking, this is like the fifth of the month. I hadn't paid my rent. Mm-hmm. I hadn't been there. So I thought that, that makes sense. Yeah, this, maybe they, did they like, I, I'm picturing an eviction notice or a three-day notice on my door or something. And I'm like, okay. And then one of them bolts out the back. The woman, the, there's a guy and a girl. The woman walk, runs out the back. He's standing there staring at me. I get my, 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 my venti vanilla latte, right? I get my little, fruf, yeah. I get my frou-frou drink. Yeah. So I get my frou-frou drink. I, I walk out, I get into the car. He yeah. follows me. Get in the car. I set everything up. I put my seatbelt on. I'm okay. He's standing there staring at me. I, you know, I'm thinking something's wrong. Like what's up? And all of, and I'm, I check to see there's no traffic. I'm good. I'm about to, about to leave. And he starts screaming. He's right here. He's right here. I look in the rearview mirror. There's two guys running towards the back of my car. I punch it and I take off. Sounds dramatic. Hmm. Wasn't that dramatic. I'd already, there was no cars. I knew there was no cars already pulling out. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like a TJ hooker where I jumped over the slit across the, uh, the hood and sl- you know, they didn't catch the car and hang on to the back. But you know, I, so they're running and I boom, hit it. Did you spill the cough here? No, because it was one of those little things. It was actually nice, but but it just it, sounded, you're making it sound like you were pretty calm. Weren't you panicking here? I was a, terrified. Yeah, terrified. So uh, you you're under under fear. You still operate. Like yeah, I operate like calmly. I. It's funny you say that because the the Secret Service, when they talk to these guys, they all of the people that they spoke with said the same thing over and over again. The guy was a professional. He never seemed upset he never seemed agitated mm-hmm. he always he was never in a hurry yeah he you know like yeah. but most of the time i i wasn't because i you know it wasn't until the police got involved or the law and federal law enforcement got involved that i i started really you know getting anxious yeah. so at that point i drive i take off yeah. i drive about a mile down the road who are the two guys by the way was it, I, I thought it was FBI. I ordered the Freedom of Information Act when I got to prison at some point, you know, in, in the future. And it was it was U.S. Marshals. Hmm. Right. So. It sounds pretty dramatic to me. U.S. It, Marshals running towards your car, you pull it. I mean. It, I mean. You know, but it's all right. It's, it's hard not to tell it like it's dramatic. I understand. But, but it's it was, like, there's it's not, not much traffic. It was okay. Yeah, it, it's not like their, you know, their fingers were at the back of the car. They're holding right. on, you know, but it was, yeah, if I had waited an, an extra 20 seconds, yeah, they would have been on my car. They would have been right there at the door. Did you consider giving up there or no? No, all I could think it's of not, was haul. Listen, my, my instinct is get out, is go, 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 go. You're already on the run. I, I'm already in trouble. Yeah. It's not like they're going to be, they're going to, they're going to add anything. Although to be honest, you know, it only got worse because at that point, actually at that point, I drive down the road, I stop at a homeless facility, I survey three guys. I'm a mile down the road. Like looking back on, it, I think, what were you thinking? But there were three, three homeless guys that were in their early thirties mm-hmm. and they were, they were all Caucasian. That's hard to find. So trust me, I've looked, spent hours before track of finding these guys. So that's like the, 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 the golden thing you're looking for is white guys in their thirties. Right. Because that's what I was in my 30s. That I wasn't an old man like I am now. So I, I survey them. I drive straight to Nashville. Yeah. Get to Nashville. Drive through an area called uh, Green Hills. Um. Well, I first like when I got to Nashville, I stayed the night, and the next day I went into I'm going to say UP, a UPS store. It was actually a Kinkos. There used to be some, they used to be called Kinkos, but 
Like I going to remember you? Kinkos. Oh, yeah. yeah. They got bought by um, FedEx, I feel like. Oh, is it FedEx? FedEx? Okay. Then it was a FedEx store. So I go in I there. Kinkos. And you give them like 50 bucks or something or 20 bucks or something. They'd give you like 100 business cards. So I get a, I go get a, a, burn, a phone number, a burner phone. I go in there. I make up. Oh, I call and get a phone number from HQ, the local HQ. I come up with a name, Manufactured Funding Group. I've got two phone numbers. I get business cards made with a name. One of the guys' name that I surveyed was, um, uh, his, his actual name was uh, Joseph Marion Carter Jr. I went by Carter. So I get business cards made of uh, Joseph Carter. Mm-hmm. I then drive through Green Hills. Took him like an hour uh, to get the card. So I'm driving through Green Hills. I'm planning on going to an apartment, but I'm still, I don't have an ID. I don't have anything. Like I'm, I'm wondering how, what am I going to do? How am I going to get a place to stay? I'm going to stay in a hotel. Like, what am I doing? I'm, I'm using an, a, an ID that the cops are looking for. So as I'm driving, trying to find this big apartment complex, there's a guy putting a sign in the front yard of like a townhouse because mm-hmm. several townhouses. And I probably in his sixties, I pull in, jump out of the car. And I said, Hey, is that this for rent? He said, yes, it is. And I said, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, can I see it? Sure. I go in, check it out, come back downstairs. Mm-hmm. It's perfect. I said, listen, I, uh, you know, I work for a company, you know, manufactured funding group, boom, hand them thing. I said, I, I've been in, in uh, uh, Europe for the last, and I forget what I said. I said, England, I had some little town outside of London in, you know, whatever, Dexter, you know, London for the past five years. I don't really have any any credit, but I said, I, I can put down a double the security deposit or, you know, whatever you need. Here's my business card. He looked at me and he looked at my car and he goes, you look like an honest young man. He said, I'll, uh, I'll take the first month's rent and a, and a deposit. Mm-hmm. And he said, now go get a lease right now. And I said, okay. And I said, oh, okay. Filled out a lease right then. Gave me the keys. Like, Nice, like very trusting in 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 that town. Well, that, oh yeah, but there must have been also something about you, or you're just. I mean, I don't got a nice car. I know you're you're going to get a lot of comments to say white privilege, but I, that's what that's what you're. I, I think the charisma has something to do with it. Yeah. Um, well, it, I so he gave. I appreciate that. So he gave me the keys. Listen, I ordered all of all of. Uh, Joseph Carter's vital information, right? Like all of his uh, birth certificate, social security card, everything. Uh, that night mm-hmm. from like a Kinko's or some of the, I forget where, but from some, one of these places I went online, you could go online back then, right? Like there wasn't Wi-Fi everywhere. So I ordered the stuff. It shows up a couple days later. I take that information. I go and I get an, a driver's license. We're talking about within like seven or eight days, I've got a driver's license in his name. Mm-hmm. I get in that car, um, Michael Eckert's car. I drive it all the way back to Nashville. I leave it in long-term parking. Get on a plane, fly back to Nashville. Go in and buy myself a brand new car. It wasn't brand new. It was a couple of years old. But from like CarMax, mm-hmm. within two weeks, I am completely 100% set up. I start dating for three, four months. That gets really boring. And uh, where, where, where again? Nashville, you said? Nashville. Okay, got it. So I started dating a bunch of chicks, and then I end up meeting this one girl. By the way, are you lonely here because you're on, on the run? Is Man, that- listen, being, I'm telling you right now, being on the run was the best part of my life. Really? Everybody, you know how all these guys say, it was horrible, and I was always so concerned and looking over my shoulder, and it wasn't. I wasn't. 
Keep in mind, I, I've gotten I've gotten five or six traffic tickets while on the run. I went to traffic school as someone else. I got so many traffic tickets in his name. I went to traffic school as him. Like if I got pulled over, like I'm not concerned. So your confidence just was and I'm, I'm driving the top here. I'm driving a vehicle in the name of the driver's license that I have that was issued by that state, yeah. full coverage insurance. I'm not an idiot. I'm not driving around a stolen car with a broken taillight and a body in the trunk. Like mm-hmm. I'm covered. Like I'm not concerned about the local cops. Uh, plus you go to a Starbucks, sipping your coffee and driving away from uh, U.S. Marshals. Right, so they're, they're, right. That was- You could start believing that it's impossible to catch you. That is exactly what it is. It's, it's every time I just kept getting more and more emboldened, more and more cocky arrogant, like they're not going to catch, I'm too good, you know, which is great until they catch you. And so I, I meet a girl named Amanda Gardner. Well, what I end up doing is keep in mind, I've only got a hundred thousand or so. So I go and I start buying houses in the area, in this area called JC Napier next to, it's just close to downtown. And I buy these houses and I start, I buy them for like 60, 70,000. And I record the sales at 210, 190, 12205, that sort of thing. Same thing. And I refinance the house as I start pulling out money. I meet this girl, uh, Amanda Gardner. She, we, we hit it off within a few months. She's moved in to, we move into a house in that area. I renovate a house. We move in there. I borrow three and a half million dollars. And I'm buying houses now. I'm buying houses, recording the value. I start all over. You know, I borrow like whatever, three and a half million dollars. I meet Amanda. We move in together. Uh, we're 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 do buying. You tell, do you tell her? Uh, do you tell her? She, about she kind of you know what she knew was that you know it, it's 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 odd, right? I have no photographs. Everything I own is brand new. She's like, you don't. There's nothing in this house that's more than four months old. <laughs> So six months old, you have no photographs. Mm-hmm. You have no internet presence. You have no, you know, it's every stick of clothing is brand new. You don't have old pairs of jeans. Do, do you tell their stories about the past of any, like, is there a fabricated? The, it, the init, initially, there was a fabricated version that I owned a, I owned a mortgage company. Um, my, my typical story was like, I owned a mortgage company and I got bought out by household bank. Started doing very well. I got bought out by a household bank. I have a no non-compete clause. I got, you know, I ended up with like half a million dollars after paying off all my bills uh, and just decided to kind of travel around the, the U.S. And now I'm here and I'm going to start renovating houses. Nice. But that, you know, you don't call home. Nobody calls you. Your family doesn't call you. You tell stories about your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, friends. I don't know any of these friends. Never seen any of these friends. They never call you. They never, you know, it's just like, it's like, ah, shit. So at some point, I basically just said to her, look, I'm, listen, at one point I had to have a check cut. I refinanced the house, right? And I had like, I want to say, I'm going to say something like, it might've been 30,000, but let's say 20,000. I had a $20,000 check cut to Amanda Gardner. Mm -hmm. Because you have to have these checks. You can't have them cut to me. So I would say, hey, there's a second mortgage on there and I provide a second mortgage or I provide, you know, I provide different things. And I knew if I, I need names of people to cut these things to. So I had a check cut for whatever. So I remember we're at dinner one night. This is before she really knows who I am. And I said, hey, uh, I said, oh, and she goes, oh, did you had a refinance? She goes, how'd that thing go? Your refinance? I went, oh, thank God you said that. Boom. I said, I need you to deposit this. Give it a check for 20,000. She's like, um, I can, 
I can, de- I can go tomorrow and, and I can deposit it. And <laughs> I, um, um, and I'm like, no, no, I said, I'm like, look, it's fine. Just deposit. So I can get, as soon as it clears, I'll, I'll, I'll get you a cashier's check. Um, I was like, no, just deposit it and keep it in your bank. It's fine. So she's like, what is going on? You know? And so we have this conversation and I tell her, look, people are looking for me. Who? Law enforcement. Which ones? All of them. You know, she's like, that doesn't even, for what? I go, mostly bank fraud. And she's like, well, how are they not finding you? I mean, everybody, you know, people know you, like, you know, your general contractor, which I met four months before. This guy, six months before. This one, two months before, you know. She's like, so-and-so, so-and-so, so. And I'm like, right, right. Well, I said, well, she's like, I mean, they've got your name. They've got your, I go, well, that's identity theft. And she was like, what do you mean? I said, well, my name's not, you know, my name's not, it's not Joseph Carter. And it, what is your, what is your name? I go, look, you know, it's, it's, you don't need, don't even worry about it. This is what's happening. This is where I'm at. And this has been months into the relationship. I mean, this is, or I'd say maybe a month or two in, but uh, you know, she was just too inquisitive. And oh, I know what it was. She found like $40,000 in cash in my freezer one night. That was another thing that happened. She went to get a popsicle and she opened up the the flip to get a popsicle and she opened the wrong one and there was all cash. And she was like, like, you know, I the other day, you know, in this conversation, she's like, the other day I opened up the popsicle box and there's cash. And I'm like, so I kind of explain it, <laughs> but I had a feeling she's not gonna, she's gonna be okay with this, you know? So she, she was okay. She was okay with it. Like, I mean, to we, me, that's just a fascinating conversation to have, like. It was a great conversation. Because oftentimes in relationships, you learn about each other and you find out new things. And here you find that's out. That's a doozy. Yeah, it's a good one to find out. <laughs> the name you're using is not your real name. And the Secret Service, the FBI, and everybody else are looking for you. Yeah. And you're, like, to be honest, you're not a violent criminal. So it's like... And I, you know... You know but she didn't know my name. Like, she was like, she... And I told her, I said, look, if you start digging, if you find out my name, like I'll leave. Like there's certain things that catch you. Staying in contact with people that you know, that's how you get caught. You know, going back to see people, that's how you get caught. You know, Um, telling people who you are, that's how you get caught. And I was like, so I'm Joseph Carter. Everything's fine. And she was like, okay. You know, and keep in mind too, this girl, do you, you, Oh, your car's broken or your car's not doing well. Take it and trade it in. We'll go get you another car. We'll go get you, you know, an infinity, you know, FX or whatever, you know, a $55,000, $60,000 vehicle. She's driving the equivalent of a a beat up old Nova. You know, I mean, it's, you want to go on vacation? We'll go on vacation. You want to do this? You want to do that? So, you know, we're buying houses. I, I'm, we're, we're renovating houses. We're, we're building brand new houses. We're buying lots. Like she's like in the middle of this, like, holy Jesus, there's hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank, in our bank account, uh, her bank account. I open up a corporation in her name. She's opening up bank accounts. She's got web, there's websites. It's, it's a lot. And while this is happening, we start seeing a, a, a friend of hers. So this other girl comes in the picture. Her name's Trina. And um, Trina is um, semi-lesbian. 
So is this is like a sexual thing, yeah, or so, actual relationship. No, it's no, it's more like uh, she's coming over a couple times a week. Okay, so we've got a ton of a tons going on, uh, and how you put this? So while this is happening, I I end up coming out in like several magazines. So I'm thinking this whole thing's dying down, but it's not dying down because now I just got caught and handcuffed in a bank, walked out of the police station, outran marshals. Although that, that part, the marshal thing never was never in the papers, but, um, the getting caught and handcuffed in the bank, when that hit the papers, that's everywhere, bro. That's huge. You know, suddenly Chicago Tribune's running a series, the fugitives, um, I'm in Bloomberg Business Week. They run an articles or article called, you know, Sharks in the Housing Pool. Uh, then you've got uh, Fortune Magazine comes out with a thing because by now, guess what? Becky's been caught. Oh, Becky. Be- <laughs> oh, Becky. Is she in Houston or whatever? In Houston, got caught. And did she? But gangster, bro. Like the way she, here's the thing. Hey, it, hey, I, there you go. No. Oh, no. She told on me immediately. Oh, she did. Yeah, oh, no. It's fine. She oh, did the right no. thing. So here, here's what's funny about that. I don't that, know though. about that. She here's what she says. Loyalty is everything in this world, my friend. <laughs> that you and I disagree my, on. I just took off. I just took off. Still, uh, still. on her and left her with 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 listen with like six or like five or six hundred thousand dollars is what I left her with. It's not. A, it's not all about money, Matthew. It's also about just like you know, ride or die. There's a meaning to that. Oh my God, I'm okay. sorry. Go ahead. Um, so, she told uh, she said everything. Well, here's what, what when I say gangster, when she gets caught, yeah. Um, they come in, she's in the middle of beauty school. She's paid for beauty school, she's going through beauty school, she's gonna open like a salon or something. So she's in there cutting hair in a class, you know, on a mannequin, and all of a sudden, like five or six uh, secret service agents come in, guns drawn, screaming, yeah. get on the ground, get on the ground. She said, Everybody dropped the ground. She said, I'm sitting there with scissors going. <laughs> <laughs> You know, they grab her, they handcuff her, they bring her in. And the whole time now, at that point, she was Rebecca. Well, she was, yeah, her name was Rebecca Hickey. She went by Becca. She So she's Rebecca Hickey, mm-hmm. which is, a, you know, it's, she's got a Texas driver's license, the whole thing. And they're screaming at her. And they, she, they put her in the car and they're driving the whole way. She goes, the guy, the Secret Service agent told me, 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. She's telling us, you're losing your job, bro. You're losing. I mean, he's he's like, I I couldn't believe it. Like we've we've got pictures of her. We're like, this is you. She's like, that's not me. Are you insane? Look at that chubby little thing. Yeah. (laughs) Would not budge till they actually put her hand on the scanner. And she goes, Okay, I'm I'm Rebecca Halk. What do you need? (laughs) They're like, Where's Matt Cox? She's like, I have no idea that fucker left me like a year ago. So um So, but she contributed to the story, to the legend that's already growing. Oh, oh because she was interviewed by uh, Fortune Magazine, mm-hmm. and it was horrendous. The article is horrendous. He was abusive. He He's a Don Juan that, that forced me to fall in love with him, commit mortgage fraud, and then took all the money and left. By the way, they found like 40 or 50 grand on her and maybe another 30 or 40 in her bank account and no other money. Hmm. Yeah. Where's the other money? Um, so anyway, and she was, by the way, she got caught. She was in communication with her family. It was, so she's talking to her mom. That's and, when she got caught ultimately. And her mother, through multiple conversations, one conversation being, uh, 
mom, I'm doing fine. I'm, I can't tell you where I am, you know, exactly, but I, I'm in Houston, Texas. I'm fine. Next one, six months later, I enrolled in beauty school. Houston, Texas beauty school. How many are there? Yep. And her mom, bipolar, I just want to see my daughter. Yeah. I'm going to call the secret service. Yeah. I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. And, and honestly, she is doing the right thing. So, um, so you're getting more and more famous. It's na bad. Nationally. Right. So I've got all these houses. You, you, you're, you're having a threesome with Amanda and Trina. And, and what <laughs> ends up happening is we end up going on, you know, and listen, Amanda and I, we've gone on, we've gone to Greece, Italy, um, Croatia, um, we're, we're, we've gone, we're going on multiple, just multiple trips. And when we just gotten back from like a 10 day cruise of the Greek Isles mm -hmm. and there's, we get home and Amanda goes online and there's a blog about Dateline about their, one of their new specials called the thief of hearts. And that's me. Apparently I'm the thief of hearts. And I'm apparently going around and I'm, and it's, it's based on, you know, Rebecca's, you know, Becky's story that I'm wooing women to commit fraud, stealing all the money and then leaving them to hold the bag. Well, they interviewed her. They're interviewing multiple people, multiple in my, uh, in my case, they put together this, they're putting together an episode going to be released in a few, in a, in a month or so. So I'm terrified. I've at this point, I've been on the run three years and I'm like, I mean, there's lots of things I could care less about fortune. I don't know anybody that reads fortune Bloomberg. Come on. I hang out with, I'm hanging out with contractors and laborers and, you know, I'm not hanging out with these guys. So, you know, local news, who cares? You know, even, even local news channels, you know, I don't care, but Dateline, there weren't 400 channels back then, you know? So Dateline comes out, even if you don't see it the first time, they're going to rerun it in three months or six months or five years, 10 years from now, they might rerun it again. My face is going to be on it. So I could be perfectly fine five years from now. And one day I, the barista that I go to every, every other day, look, it looks at Dateline and goes, oh my God, that's Mr. Johnson or that's mm -hmm. Mr. Thomas or whatever. So the point is, is that I was like, yeah, I got to go. I can't stay here. I got to get out of the country. Mm -hmm. So I was going to go to, um, well, we really started doing research and Amanda ended up saying Australia, Australia at the time, I don't know how it is now, but at the time, if you went to Australia with like, it's like a hundred thousand dollars and a business plan, mm -hmm. you could become a permanent resident alien. You, you, you can't vote, but you can buy property. You can open a business, but you can't get a job. And they didn't require a fingerprints. Mm -hmm. So there's no criminal um, background check. Now, if you wanted to be a citizen, you have to get an FBI criminal background check. Like I got, uh, no, I'm good. So I was like, wow, I can go there and start a business and I'm going to start show up with a couple million. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we start refinancing houses. We'll start pulling out money as quick as we can. I'm asking guys, laborers, guys that I work with, my general contractor, my real estate agent. Hey man, can you cash this check for six grand? Can you Nobody says no. Everybody, yeah, no problem, no problem. No. A few guys like, yeah, man, if you give me 10%, yeah, I'll give you 10%. So that's happening. We're pulling out cash. Um, one day, 
Amanda gives Trina a bunch of checks and asks her to cash them. That sparks a conversation that like what it was happening. She confides in, by this point, by the way, Amanda knows who I am. Mm-hmm. So by this point, she's actually came across the letter that I wrote to my parents when I left Tampa. So she's figured out who I am. She tells Trina, his name's Matt Cox. Dateline's coming out. We're going to, we're leaving. We got to get a bunch of cash. And Trina goes, okay, I'll cash the checks. And what she does instead is she calls the secret service. They watch my house for three days. I come home one day. They pull the cars up and they arrest me. So, you know, it's a little bit longer than that, but that's shorter. That's a short version of me getting arrested. And, you know, I probably skipped over. So simple because you've gotten away with much more complex situations. It's women, man. It's women. Uh, (laughs) They also are the thing that make life worthwhile. Listen, God bless Trina. She did the right thing. It, it, honestly, based there on- There you go, back to the but, right thing. But I mean, based on what she saw, uh-huh. based on what the Secret Service told her, and what and the, the articles that she's reading, I'm a bad guy. I mean, I'm a bad guy in general, right? So I don't deserve loyalty. I, I don't think so. Um, I, I'm ripping people off. And she's thinking that her friend is in danger. You know, the FBI is saying, I have a weapon. He's, he's dangerous. He's got a weapon. You know, we believe he's armed and dangerous. When I was in Florida, I had a concealed weapons permit, but I had gotten rid of both my guns when I was placed on probation. I've never had one since. I've never touched a gun since, but they used that to say, you know, they said, oh, he had a concealed weapons permit. Okay. Well then he's armed and dangerous. Like there's these little things and things they're telling her, read this article. Look, he forces girls to fall in love with them. Then he, he, that's what she's going to do. Your friend. So she negotiated a, also, I think she got 10,000. I think it was just embarrassing. I'm, in, I'm ashamed that she, she got $10,000. And said everything. Yeah. And, and told them this is where he is. His name is Joseph Carter. You know, he's, uh, you know, this is where he is. They watch it. They grab me. They arrest me. They bring me downtown. You know, what, what did, what, what did you feel like when you got, I didn't feel good, bro. It was bad. It was a bad day. It's a bad day. First of all, Casino Royale was coming out on Friday. Yeah. It was the first Daniel Craig as James Bond. One. Yeah. And the whole week I'd been telling Amanda, I'm going to go see Casino Royale. She'd go, okay, well, on Saturday, we're going to go to the festival. I go, that's fine. But on Friday, Casino, and she's like, right, Casino Royale. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, okay, by the way, on Thursday, I thought we could go to dinner. That's fine. But on Friday, yeah. Casino Royale. And when they put the handcuffs on me, you know the first thing I thought of? Mm. I'm not going to fucking sit to see Casino Royale. I'm not going to get to see it. I'm not going to see it. And I saw it about, about five, six years later and when on the uh, Institution's uh, movie channel. You know, it was nice. It's not the same. But um, yeah, so I they, they bring me to Nashville. Then they transport me to all over the place. I go on, you know, uh, Con Air. They fly me to Oklahoma. Uh, they fly me to Atlanta. Then I, I get, go to Atlanta. I'm placed in the U.S. Marshal's holdover. Uh, I get assigned an attorney, go in front of the judge, plead not guilty, uh, meet with my attorney. You always plead not guilty. You know, whenever you these people say, can you believe that he pled not guilty? That's the first thing. You, nobody walks in and pleads guilty. 
you plead not guilty while you kind of figure out what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. So I plead not guilty. There's no bond. Uh, obviously, I've got, they caught me. When they caught me, I had four or five passports. So that's no good. Um, they they charged me with, uh, you know, um, bank fraud, conspiracy to commit bank fraud, wire fraud, mail fraud, um, passport fraud, conspiracy, or what was the um, aggravated identity theft, money laundering, use of a fraudulent passport, uh, you know, and there's like, there's, there's like, you know, 30 counts of this, 20 counts of this, 20, mm-hmm. but none of that matters. Like, even if you just took the, dropped all the counts to one count and stacked them, it's like 150 something years. Not yeah, that so gonna, everything, everything they yeah. could. Yeah. And that's what they always say. You're looking at 150,000, you know, and your lawyers, they're like this, you're not looking at that. You're looking at 54 years. <laughs> what? That's no better. <laughs> that's no better. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, uh, my lawyer comes in and sees me one day you know, like our first meeting. And I, she says, you know, I'm uh, Millie, Millie Dunn. And she says, uh, listen, I've looked at everything. For first they say, you're responsible for, it's like 25 or 20 or, or 30, 25 or $26 million in loss. And I'm like, that's, I've never, that's not true. That's not true. And I was like, you know, not even, I said, not even potential law. There's just no way. I mean, there's no way. And then they come back. She comes back and she says, well, they're saying 19 million. Now, it's not possible. Tell anything. I, don't, I didn't know. So when the, the FBI is saying like 40 million, they're saying 11.5 in, in Tampa plus 40 million for the mortgage company. Mm-hmm. So that it ends up being like, Plus what I stole on the run, it ends up being like 55 million, but she gets them to drop like the 40, like that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's his brokers. That's this, that's that drop it. And they're like, we've, he's so done. It doesn't matter. They drop that. So it ends up, it ends up being like 15 million. And then it's down to what is he? Oh, they said 9.5 and I got it down to like 6 million. So, you know, which, you know, I'm good for. So, uh, what ends up happening is they've charged me with all these things and, and she's like, okay, you know, you're like, you can, you can plead guilty and you can go with the sentencing guidelines, which is going to be like, she's like, I, I mean, it depends. She said it might be whatever, 54 years. She's but if they run them, you know, concurrent or consecutive, depending on which one they do, uh, she said it, it most likely it ends up being like 30 years. You know, it's like, that's not good. That's not good. So we kind of go back and forth, back and forth and figure out, try and figure out where I'm, what I'm looking at. Now, as we go through the whole thing, we end up, she ends up with, she ends up saying, you know, she knocks off a bunch of stuff that they're saying I did, you know, um, enhancements. Because you'll have a base level, a base level of, let's say, uh, level eight. You know, that should be, that should be maybe a few years, but then they start adding on enhancements, you know, um, did he, what did, what he do? Was it sophisticated? Yes. Okay. Three levels for sophisticated means, um, were there more than how many victims were there more than 50 victims? Yes. Okay. That's six more levels. Okay. Uh, did he change the jurisdiction to evade detection? Yes. That's four more levels. Okay. Did he, they start adding boom, boom. And when you start adding up all those levels, plus your criminal history. And I have a big criminal history because I was already on federal probation mm-hmm. and I committed a new crime on federal probation. Mm-hmm. So that was another enhancement. And this 
you know, this case, so I'm in like a category, I think like category two or three. So they come back and they're saying, I forget, it's like 20, well, they don't come back right away, but she ends up saying, you're probably looking at 14 years. Okay, that's reasonable. That's reasonable. And so she's saying, so we get the, when we get the PSI back, we eventually get what's called a pre-sentence report. They're saying 26 years. Well, they really said 32 years. And I argued and we got it down to 26 years and four months. That's what it is. It's 316 months. That's how they do it in months. It doesn't sting that much, I guess, if you say months. Yeah. So she says to me, Millie sits down with me and she says, listen, you got to cooperate. And I was like, okay. And she said, because you're, you're, you're guilty. You're extremely guilty. She's like, you can't go to trial. And she said, so you need to cooperate. I was like, well, what do I get if I cooperate? And she's the way it works is you cooperate and you hope for the best. And I was like, are you serious? You tell them everything, you know, and you hope for the best. And she's like, the, the what part of the problem is she said, everybody in Tampa's cooperated. Rebecca has cooperated. Everyone across the board has cooperated. There's nobody that hasn't cooperated. By the way, when you say cooperate, you mean they're an informant. They told, they said, yeah, AKA snitched. Right. They, they came in, they sat down with their lawyer and they said, this is what he did. He did this. He did that. They showed him documents. Yes, yes, yes. That's my signature. I didn't know what that was. I, you know, they, everything was my fault. They didn't do anything. It was all me. So they've all cooperated and they haven't been charged. They've been indicted. They're all named as unnamed co-conspirators on my indictment. So I've got like 12 people. I mean, there's like probably 20 people that are involved, but there's like 12 of them that are. So I've got all these names, you know, uh, KBDLCY. You know, it's like, I know who that is. Like, I know who DW, that's Dave Walker. I know who, you know, I know who these people are. And so there's just a list of, there's like 12 of them, you know, plus me. Uh, so, and some of, some of them walked in and said, I'm guilty. I just want to be plead guilty. Uh, the, the, the girl, uh, Allison, she walked in, said, I, I'm, I'm too, I'm tired of waiting for you to come get me. Mm-hmm. Walked in with her lawyer and said, I just want to plead guilty. And, and they sentenced her and she went to jail. She got like 36 months or 30 months. She called the prison that she went to the low security. It was a female prison at the time, female camp, called the camp and asked for if she could come by for a tour before she went and they went, excuse me. She said, well, I'm going to be there for about two years. So I'd like to come in. Is there like a tour I can take? Cause I like to know where I'm going mm-hmm. I mean, what it's going to be like, how I should prepare. And they just started laughing. They said, there's no tour, sweetie. We'll give you the tour when you get here. <laughs> you gotta love that. Like, she, yeah, I mean, I thought uh, I was, I didn't think, I thought I wasn't uh, prepared. <laughs> I mean, there's no tour. <laughs> so, uh, Becky, Becky got 70 months, but when I got caught and when I was sentenced, they reduced it to like 30 or no, 40 to 40 months. They reduced because the, she quote, cooperated. cooperated that term. Right. Do you want to say snitch? Or well, rat, there ratted? must be, I mean, snitch is too harsh of a word, but yeah, the ratted, I mean, you're saying, I don't know. Well, we can get there. We'll get there. All right. All right. <laughs> So where did the sentencing end up? So 
I should say first on the cooperation yeah. subject. My lawyer wanted me to cooperate. And by this point, I realized, like, you don't have a choice. You know, no, that's, that's not true. I could have been a gangster. Yeah. What I don't mean to be a gangster I, in this case. Like a stand up guy, I could have said, I'll just take it. Give me 54 years. Go fuck yourself. I'm not going to snitch on nobody. And I know you look at me and you think tough guy. Mm -hmm. I'm not a tough guy at all. I'm not doing 50 some odd years. Like I'm not doing it. I don't want to do 30 years. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I was hoping for, you know, I, I knew it wasn't possible, but I would have satisfied for another slap on the hand like I got the first time. Mm -hmm. I really thought I deserved, honestly, when you, if some, when my lawyer asked me, what do you really think you deserve? And I thought I, I deserve 10 years. You know, I deserve 10 years. But so she said, look, they want to talk to you. So the FBI, well, first the, the, the Secret Service flies in. Mm -hmm. They come in and uh, they interview me. Who's more terrifying, FBI, Secret Service? You know, the, the Secret Service was so overwhelmingly professional. Mm. Uh, the FBI, and, and really only... The, one of the FBI agents that interviewed me, I don't know how he's an, a, a, an agent. I, I don't know. He was just ineffective, incompetent. Oh, so it's a competence issue. The other one was uh, Candace. Oh, you met her. Eventually. Of course I did. Of course. She's what, what was her 5'11", wearing well. <laughs> three-inch heels. Yeah. She's a giant mm -hmm. and in impeccable shape, mm -hmm. attractive one of the angriest human beings I've ever met. And every FBI agent that I've met since then that knows her, and I mention, they all say, oh, what'd you think of her? And I'm like, what, why? They go, and I was like, kind of aggressive. They go, yeah, 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 she's a bulldog. She's, a, I mean, all of them are like, yeah, yeah, she's uh, she's something else. Like, Secret Service is a little bit more like Very personal, clean. very, you know, it's their job. It's like, hey, this is just my job. They're polite, professional, you know, that's it. So it's just, this is just a, this is my nine to five. So, but they, they, they come and they fly in and they meet with me for three, four days. One of the, th one of the funny things is that when I first, first sat down with them, um, the one guy's name was a uh, Dan, like Brozinski or something. So he he sits down, he says, look, before we get started, we, we need to talk about something. And I said, what? He said, we know you've hidden money. And we, you know, and I was like, what? And he goes, you, you know, we, we know you've got money hidden. I said, I don't have any money hidden. What are you talking about? And my lawyer's like, do we need to talk? I'm like, no, 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 I don't have nothing. I gave you everything. I gave you all the accounts. You got everything. And he's like, you're looking at an obstruction charge at this point. I was like, I, I, I don't have anything. And he says, we know you have money. We know you have money in different IDs, different identities, names. And I go, what are you talking about? And he pulls out uh, a bank statement and he slaps it on the counter and he goes, you've got money in Southern Exchange Bank. You've got $190,000 in Southern Exchange Bank. And I look at it and I went, <laughs> um, it was in the name Walter Holcomb. And I went, did, did you call the bank? He says, yeah, we called the bank. Mm. I went. Okay. Did anybody call you back? And it, they go, he said, well, no, we've left several messages. I said, did you go to the bank website? He goes, yeah, I went to the website. I said, what'd you think? And he went, 
what do you mean? I, it was a bank website. I said, yeah, but it was professional, right? It was like a professional website. And he goes, it's a bank website. And I go, yeah, but it's, it was well done. Mm-hmm. And he goes, oh God. Yeah. And I go, yeah, convincing. Yeah. And I went, I go, it's all an illusion. Yeah. And I said, the bank doesn't exist. It's a fake bank. I made the bank, made it when I was in, um, not even in Tampa. I think I, I got into uh, Nashville when I made it. And I was like, yeah, it's an illusion. The, the, the bank statements, he's like, they're color bank statements. I'm like, yeah, well, no shit. So, you know, there's no, I said, a matter of fact, I said, who did you leave a, a I haven't paid for the service in months. And he turned around and he called it and it went, you know, you know, it, it was, it was yeah. disconnected. And I was like, how do you not know that's a bank? Well, it turns out there was a Southern Exchange Bank and I'd used their bank routing number. And so, I mean, I always thought that was funny that they, it was like, well, I remember th- really for a split second there, I was kind of like really embarrassed that they caught me. I was like, I can't believe this. You're the secret service. Anyway, I talked to them. I, you know, there's, there's really, as far as the secret service is concerned, there's just not much I can tell them. There's just, you know, like it was me. Becky's already told them everything. Amanda's already told them everything. It's not hard to track down. When they, when they raided my house, they've got boxes and boxes. So it's laid out. We still, it took forever. Like I still went through everything. I explained how I got the driver's licenses, how I made the, the bank statements, how I made the birth certificates, how I, the whole social engineering of figuring out how to, what these little loopholes are. It's like seven days total with these guys. So you that, mean like, in, like questions? Yeah. It was like, they questioned me for all day and then they take me back to the marshal's holdover. And then the next morning I wake up and they chain me up again and bring me back. What's that like? What's that process of questioning? Like, are, are they, I mean, you're somebody who is exceptionally good at conversation. You're charismatic. It was part of uh, the games you played. Uh, are they good at conversation? Um, I mean, they're, you know, the problem is they're not there to shoot the shit. You see what I'm saying? Like they have a, a an agenda but they have to use their words to get information out of you. Aren't they trying well, to manipulate I'm, you? I'm not, I'm not holding anything back. Okay. I, I'm not, it's not like I'm sparing Jim, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. trust me, Jim's got to go. I mean, you're looking at, you're there 20 some odd years, but Jim can do five. Bill can do t- some, Tom can do six. Mm-hmm. I don't even like, I don't even like uh, Jerry. Jerry can do 20. You know, so I'm, 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 I'm ready to, I'm ready to cut everybody's throat. But you're not guaranteed that, that you're not, you're getting anything for that. Right. In all my time, I've seen one, one time where an inmate got a guarantee to have his sentence reduced. And it was signed uh, by the head of the FBI, it was Robert Mueller, gave it to him to have a conversation with him. That's the only time I've ever seen that document. Okay, so a lot of days with both the Secret Service and the FBI. So FBI was, uh, Candace was uh, irritated, didn't like me. And I remember when I, uh, she un- took the cuffs off, I was like rubbing my wrist. She goes, your wrist hurt? And I go, yeah. And she goes, get used to it. I mean, she was just an asshole. Yeah. Just all around. Not that she didn't have a right to be, but everybody else was professional. Yeah. You know? So. Uh, <laughs> oh, Candace. So we, uh, we, you know, we, we. We talked for three or four days with the uh, FBI and, you know, they asked a ton of questions. They brought a ton of, they brought documents, you know, so it's like, hey, who signed this? You know, it's like, oh, that's not, that's not my signature. That's so-and-so's signature. Or I signed that. I signed that. I signed that. That's so-and-so. Where'd this check go? Who is this? Oh, that's so-and-so, you know. 
you're looking over everything. One of the things they wanted to know about was, which I never talked about because it, it seems so minor, is I bribed the politician. I got him elected because we got him elected to the uh, city council so he could vote to get our are the lots we bought like a hundred vacant lots in Ybor city mm-hmm. and I wanted them all. They were all single family. We wanted them zoned multifamily. Mm-hmm. And so we bribed him and got him elected. All that doesn't the- seem minor. <laughs> it's not as sexy as the rest of the stuff. That's pretty, I mean, <laughs> so buying that's, that's a whole nother thing. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, you know, all right. So what happened is when they got all of the bank accounts, they see all these checks going to Kevin white. And so they're like, why did James Red donate $500 to Kevin White? Why did Brandon Green donate? Why did Alan Duncan donate? Why did, and it, you know, so I had explained to him, oh yeah, well, he was, we wanted him to be city councilman. So we paid, you know, gave him a bunch of money so he could run the ad, so he could get elected, so he could then get all of our stuff. But because he never did, you know, I took off on the run before he was able to do that. Um, and, and then he ended up getting, uh, not long, too, too long after that, he ended up, well, five, six years later, he ended up getting uh, um, indicted for bribery, but not mine, on somebody else's case. Can I take a small tangent here and ask, yeah. how many politicians do you think commit crimes are a little bit or a lot criminals? I mean, I think there's some ways that are, you know, they're, they're, they're seemingly legal. The aforementioned gray area. Well, that's not gray. Like I, I this guy was, I, at one point I couldn't, find anybody to write $500 checks anymore. So I just gave him cash. Like I'm just handing him seven, $8,000, $10,000 in cash. So, uh, but, you know, I, I think most of them have legal ways to make ungodly amounts of money for, you know, influence, you know, but is it legal? No, it's their politicians. They've made it so that it's not illegal. If you really sat down and explained it to someone, you know, the average person would say that that's that's not right. That oh no no that's legal. So okay. So at the end of these few days, um, what was the sentencing like? Yeah, I I end up uh, I go to sentencing. I I get my PSI back, and it's thirty two years to life. And <sighs> yeah, and so we argue about it uh, with the prosecutor just before sentencing, and they get it down to. 26 years, four months. <laughs> and then Millie says, listen, don't worry. Cause I'm trying to backpedal at this point. I'm like, I, I might as well go to trial. If I lost at trial, I couldn't get more than 30 that you can't, well, more than 32 years. Cause you can't, can't get life. 32 was the max. It's just a mistake. He said 32 years to life. You can't get life. So it was like the most I can get is 32 years. So I was like, I'll go to trial. Might as well get, go to trial. And see if I can get them to reduce some of these enhancements. She insists that she can get the enhancements knocked down. And if you read, they actually read the enhancements, some of the enhancements, they didn't apply to me. Mm-hmm. So she goes and, and, you know, I believed her. And, and I think she, she made a valid argument. We get to, we go to sentencing. My mom's there. She's crying. My dad's there. He's looks at, he's looking at me like he's disgusted. And, uh, crowd there's a, a whole bunch of reporters like the whole place is packed and i'm i plead guilty millie gets up my lawyer gets up and she argues uh these enhancements and every single time you know the judge is like eh, i disagree you know overruled and it's like boom five more years 
you know, bam, six more years, bam. Because so, if she had won the enhancement, she argued, I would have got 14 years. Mm-hmm. And, now, keep in mind, too, prior to this, a, a month or two prior to this, the pro- U.S. attorney had called Millie and said, look, Dateline, Dateline had already come out, by the way. Remember, I was worried about Dateline coming out. Well, it, it had come out. But they wanted to do a follow-up because it came out like a, a month or two after I got arrested. And they were saying, hey, we want to recut it with interviews with him. Well, Gail McKenzie, wants, that's the U.S. attorney, she wants me to do that. And she says, I'll consider that substantial assistance. Now, when you cooperate with the government, they consider it substantial assistance. That's what they call it. So I cooperate with you. It's substantial assistance. She says, if he's interviewed by Dateline, we'll consider it substantial assistance. Mm-hmm. And Millie says, you have to do it. By the way, what's the idea behind that? That like you serve as a warning for others or something like that? Yeah, exactly. It's a, he, he you know, you become a cautionary tale, like don't let this happen to you. Right. So I go and I, I'm interviewed by Dateline. Um, I, I've Keith Morris or whatever his name is, you know, the, that guy. Mr. Cox was, you know, that guy. Um, so he comes and he, he, he interviews me. Becky's interviewed. I'm interviewed. Amanda's interviewed. Like, uh, Allison is interviewed. Um, like everybody, the secret service agent, I think is interviewed, like everybody, prosecutors interviewed. Uh, you know, I, it's funny at the time I would have, I was, when I watched it, I was like, that's not true. And that's not true. And that, and and it honestly, it's like 99% true. It's like looking back on it, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm like, you know, like my Audi TT wasn't blue. It was <laughs> silver, you know, it, it's just stupid. But anyway, so I'm interviewed by them and they recut it and they air the video. So I, you said this was substantial assistance. And then the other thing is I was interviewed by the FBI and the secret service. Now my, my lawyer calls the prosecutor the night before sentencing and says, look, he was interviewed by Dateline and he, he was interviewed by the Secret Service and the FBI. And if you do that, you said you'd reduce his sentence. You'd consider it substantial assistance and you would reduce his sentence. What are you going to ask for his sentence to be tomorrow at sentencing? And she said, we did consider it substantial assistance and it's just not enough. What do you mean? Nobody was arrested. Yes, but what about Dateline? Millie, I, I don't know what to tell you. It just wasn't enough. We considered it. We we considered it. We will consider it. And they did consider it. So, oh man, yeah, that's like the, that's, you have to really, un, you know, the meaning of words is so important. I'm going to use that at some point. I'll consider I will it. consider, I'll consider it. I considered it. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> so, <laughs> and still feel the same. She's, so she calls me, I'm, I'm crushed. And she's like, but look, you know, they're still investigating. They're going to make these arrests. And so when you get a sentence reduction at sentencing, it's called a 5K1. When you get a sentence reduction after sentencing, it's called a Rule 35. So she said, we'll file a Rule 35 as soon as the arrests are made. Okay. So I go to sentencing and Millie says, you're going to get 14 years. I'm going to argue these enhancements. She argues the enhancements. She loses the enhancements. Not that she's not an amazing attorney. She's an amazing attorney. The judge wanted to hammer me. He hammered me. You know, Millie was a great a- attorney. She was always polite to me. And by the way, to this day, we'll answer my phone call. Like most, you, most public defenders, 
You call them now, you call them after your sentence, they they don't answer your call. Great person. Thank you, Millie. I didn't give her anything to work with. (laughs) You know, it's like I'm overwhelmingly guilty. It's like there's no defense. So I end up getting sentenced 26 years. Um, That's a lot of years. I would like to tell you that they, they, when they gave me the time, you know, that I, I was stoic and I, I stood there and I, I took it in, you know, but, but the truth is I cried like a baby, like a small child. Like you've never seen anyone cry like this in your life. I was just, how did I get 26? How, what did I do to get 26 years? Like murderers, rapists. I've met guys that kidnapped guys that got 15. 26. So, yeah, I, I... Were you scared? I mean, you know, does a Pope wear a funny hat? Like, of course I was scared. <laughs> terrified. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, but I kept telling myself, ah, they're going to reduce the sentence. They'll reduce it. They'll reduce it. They'll reduce it. Like, okay, okay, okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Um... You know, but it wasn't okay. I, I I got I got moved to Coleman, the Coleman complex in Coleman, Florida, the Federal Correctional Coleman complex in Coleman, Florida, mm-hmm. which is the largest complex in the nation, uh, federal complex in the nation. There's a there's a at that time there was a a camp which was a female camp. There was a medium security, sorry, a low security prison for men a medium security prison and two penitentiaries. And so I get moved to the medium. Now I'm moved to the medium, not because like, that's where like real criminals go, right? Like I'm, I'm a soft white boy. Like I, I'm no danger to anybody. Like I, I, I hurt, I hurt someone's feelings once, but other than that, I'm, I'm, I'm not a problem. I'm not going to be a problem. But if you have more than 20 years to serve, you have to go to a medium. So even though my security level said this guy should be in a camp, mm-hmm. I had 20 years. So if you have, you can't go to a camp till you have less than 10. So as soon as I am given 26 years and, and you know, 26 years, they, they knock off three, but you still have three years to get below 20. So they go to the medium. So I go to the medium and their guys getting stabbed the very first day people are being stabbed. I get locked into, you go to my cell, meet my celly. They scream lockdown. Somebody got stabbed in the rec yard. I remember I asked that my celly, which I met 20 minutes earlier. I was like, what's, you know, he's like, hey, we got to get in the cell. I was like, what's going on? He goes, somebody got stabbed in the yard. And I go, somebody just got killed. And he goes, nah, they just stabbed him up a little bit. And I thought, <laughs> you're in a place where they say stabbed him up a little bit. Like, you're not prepared for this, bro. You got to get out of here. Yeah. So anyway, I go to the medium. I'm there. Like, what was the first day and night? Remember, I already had been locked up yeah. in the county. And they're, they're county jails where they call them U.S. They're U.S. Marshal. They're holdovers. Mm-hmm. But they're really county jails. They just right. keep you with the with the um, federal guys. Mm-hmm. So I'm not mixed in with like hobos and, you know, people like that. Like I'm, I'm mixed in with the federal people. So it already felt like a like a prison? Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's a prison. I mean, it's it's jail, but it's a prison. And, and unless you've been locked up, you don't really know the difference. So it's it's a jail. Uh, jails suck. Jails are much worse. The whole time I was locked up in these in the jails waiting to be sentenced, guys were like, I just want to get sentenced and go go to prison, bro. I just, and I was like, why does everybody keep saying that? Like, prison's worse than this, bro. Like, I saw Shank, Shawshank. Mm-hmm. Like, it's horrible. And they're like, bro, prison? Listen, prison, I can walk the rec yard. I could go to the movie room, watch movies. I'll 
listen, within right after count for this four o'clock count, they count everybody at four. So they are like, well, right after count, I'm going to go to commissary. Somebody's going to buy me an ice cream. I'm going to be eating an ice cream, walking on the rec yard the first day. Like, and I'm, you know, it's been months and months and months that I've been locked up in this county jail and I'm thinking, I want to go to prison. Like, that sounds nice. I'd love, I'd like an ice cream. Yeah, but th- there was a stabbing on the first day. Yeah, I, well, you know, I, everybody kept telling me I was going to go to a camp. You're going to go to a camp. You're going to go to a low. I see. You know, and, and honestly, I, I was very quickly, I was walking on the rec yard. I was, you know, so I was at the medium. I got there. You know, it's, it's a real prison with the doors, bam, and they can open the little tray thing and feed you out of the tray. And there's a, a stainless steel toilet and sink. And, you know, they have that in the county too, but, you know, it's, it's exactly what you think of prison as being. But it feels like a fundamentally different experience when it's 26 years and the door locks and. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, I have a, a celly and, but I'm also, they sent me to a prison where guys have tons of guys have 30, 40, 50 years, you know, life sentences. There's, there's gangsters there. There's, uh, there's murderers, there's serial killers. There's, you know, really bad guys. Uh, there's, you know, there's guys that are, you know, trying to take advantage of guys, right? You're like sexually? Or- yeah. Um, but by the time I got there, I'd heard all the, you know, how you can get yourself in trouble. You know, how you can like, don't go in somebody else's cell. You don't know the guy. You're not 100% sure. Do not go in his cell. Don't even go near his cell. Don't go into places where you, people can close a door behind you or they can trap you in an area. Don't, you know, there's all these things that I've been told not to do. Again, for sexual reasons. Right. Because I'm, I'm a small guy in prison. Yeah. You know, tracked a white dude. Yeah. It's a problem. It's a problem. This, yeah, it's bad. It's yeah. all bad. Well, it's good in the uh, outside world, but bad in <laughs> my. You know, yeah. My fear was there <laughs> make me shave my head to make sure that the mop wig yeah. <laughs> fits yeah. correctly. Yeah. But there's certain things that I always hate to say this, but I mean, it, it, it does, this is the simplest way to say it: is that if you get stabbed in prison, you had it coming. You did something. Like they're not running around just stabbing people. You did something. You. And the things that get you hurt is you argue over the TV, what channel you want to watch. You got 50, 80 guys watching one TV. Don't argue about it. Like it's it's just not worth it. Um, Borrowing things that, and not returning them. That's a problem. Running up debts. That's a big problem. You know, gambling, gossiping. You know, those are the problem. Those things get you hurt. Not being polite, be respectful. I'm super respectful. So I was respectful um, very quickly when I got to Coleman. There are continuing education courses. Mm-hmm. One of the courses is residential real estate. <laughs> the guy that was running the residential real estate didn't want to do it anymore because he was doing legal work and it just was taking too much time. So he came to me and said, listen, you just got here. You got a real estate background like nobody else does. Can you take over this class? And I was like, um, Sure. So I looked at his curriculum. I kind of rewrote it a little bit and I started teaching the residential real estate class. And at one point I was teaching two classes like a semester or a quarter. And these guys loved it, right? Like everybody, they all think they're going to get out and flip houses. So I started, you know, from the fundamentals, I talked about credit, how to borrow, how hard money lenders, different types of borrow, like everything. And 
you know, guys are walking. It's the first time in my life. This was funny. Not that I think I was really in a, ever in a position for this to happen. This was really odd though. Probably the second or third class when guys are leaving and I'm having to check them off the roll, multiple guys are stopping and saying, yo, bro, putting their hand out and shaking my hand and going, good class. It was a good class, bro. Then I have guys coming to me telling me, hey, what are you teaching these guys? I go, what do you mean? They go, he goes, my cell is telling me he's going to get out and make millions. I'm taking Cox's real estate class. I'm telling you, I can do this. I'm going to be a millionaire. Yeah. And it's like this flipping houses. Like this is not. Yeah. But the truth is, if you know, it, it is the flipping houses was what I basically told these guys, especially the drug dealers, right? So you're a drug dealer and you were raised in the projects and you're going back to the projects. Like this is, this is the one industry or, you know, that you will thrive at because you're a hustler. Mm -hmm. You're not afraid. A 45 year old divorced white woman is not going into the hood, knocking on doors to try and flip houses, but you will. Mm -hmm. And you know, everybody in the neighborhood and you'll knock on those doors and you'll hustle and you'll, you, you've been told no before and you don't care and you're not scared and you're not this. And there's tons of money to be made in, in lower income areas. And so I, I, and then when I go through the whole thing and how you can leverage, uh, you know, leverage your credit to borrow money to get into the property and rent, do the renovations with very little money down. And I do the whole thing. These guys, like they loved it. So I was, and, and, and what that did for me was two things. One, if you got to the class, 40 guys show up for the class and I say, look, if you don't want to go, you don't want to be here. You just want it because your, your counselor's making you get a certificate. You don't want to be here. That's fine. Bring me two coffees and like two creamers from commissary and I'll fill out all your paperwork and you'll pass. You'll get a certificate. I don't have to see you again. I have full of coffee and creamer because at least 10 or 10 or 15 didn't want to be there. The other guys seriously wanted to be there. And I don't want those guys to be there anyway. They're going to be a problem. So the other guys are serious about it. And, and some of these guys sat through the class two, three, four times. Some of these guys got out and sent me money. So, uh, you know, which is like a huge sign of respect, yeah. you know, by the way, uh, because they don't owe me anything. But I, I did that and I taught GED mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, I, you have to do something for, for money. And, you know, I met some, some, I met a bunch of cool guys and I was hanging out and I was doing well. And after about three years, they, they transferred me to the low security prison. At this point, like the, the FBI starts showing up, asking me questions. They asked me questions about the politician I bribed, you know, asked me questions about him. Statue of Limitations was up and they were trying to tie him into uh, the bank fraud because his name was Kevin White. And one of my guys' name was Michael Kevin White. Mm -hmm. And so they were trying to tie him in, you know, did you, did he know about it? Because if he knew about it, mm -hmm. Statue of Limitations is 10 years. We could, no, he didn't know. Um, Should have thrown him in there. But anyway, because like a couple of years later, he gets indicted. He ends up going to jail anyway. And it could have decreased your sentence. Yeah. Listen, listen, stop, stop. Um, listen. <laughs> oh, my God. I got all my judgment out after the, uh, the homeless conversation. <laughs> listen, it's only going to get worse. Uh, I mean, I, I really appreciate your honesty and your insight about like about snitching. Honestly, that I have a sense that, that there's a. Um, at least a desire for loyalty in the world. I wouldn't that be nice? Did you ever feel in danger and 
and, and medium or low? It's funny. I had more problems at the, probably at, at the low than I did the medium, but at the medium, the only thing that happened was an article came out in the newspaper at the, when I was at the medium, it came out and said, cause they're, you know, they're still investigating things. So this article comes out and I'm on the front page of the St. Petersburg Times. It was about the politician, big article. And in the article, it says they interview Millie, my lawyer. And she says, well, when Mr. Cox was being interviewed by the FBI, one of the first things they wanted to know about was this politician. So she just said Mr. Cox was being interviewed by the FBI. Mm -hmm. So I immediately get taken into custody and they put me in the, in the shoe, the, the hole, right? For my own protection. And I'm there for like 45 days. And then after 45 days, they're like, Cox, what do you, what do you, what do you want us to do? You want us to ship you? I was like, no, put me back on the compound. Mm-hmm. I'm like, half the guys here cooperated. And he goes, yeah, it's more than half. He said, but this is, this is a guy from SIS, which is like their internal security. So that's when he told you that it's that's actually a much higher percentage. Right. He but, said, but he goes, but 90%, he said, but a hundred percent of them are lying about it. He said, you just came out in the newspaper. Yeah. I go, man, I'm not concerned. If you are concerned, you got to come immediately to the Lieutenant's office and tell us we'll ship you. I said, okay, I get out there. People are giving me like the looking at me and what's up, you know, but I don't have a lot of friends anyway. And I come there to make friends. And so at one point, this one guy comes to me, I'm walking the yard, probably two days later, after I get on back on the compound, I'm walking, guy comes to me, he has a goatee and he's got a, it comes down here and he's got a skull, like a little skull thing he had, he'd made, mm-hmm. whittled out of wood or something. And, uh, you know, definitely looks scary. Uh, but so I'm walking and he's stopping, he goes, hey, Cox, I've never talked to these guys. I had been there for a year or so and never talked to any of these guys. They're all like bikers and, you know. Uh, Aryan Brotherhood. And so you know, I'm like, uh, yeah, what's up? He said, Bubba, Bubba's their leader. Mm-hmm. He goes, he goes, Bubba told me to tell you uh, not to walk the yard. He don't want to see you out in the yard. Mm-hmm. And I went, okay. I said, well, I'm going to walk the yard tonight. Um, I said, and if I get the shit kicked out of me, then I get the shit kicked out of me. But did you talk back to a guy with a, with a, with a wooden skull well, hanging off his I beard? I did, but you know what? Yeah. It was right in front of the guard shack. And so there's guards in the guard shack, you know, <laughs> they're 20 feet away. Really? You weren't scared? I mean, I, I think I just got numb. Like I'm not stupid, but I'm all, I'm walking around. I'm, you know, I was scared from the moment I got there on if that makes sense. So you get to a point where you're just numb and you're waiting for it, especially when I got out of the shoe. Got out of the shoe, I went straight to my cell, laid down. A couple minutes later, it was locked down. They closed the doors. I wake up the next morning. I go to chow. I go to my job. Like, it starts all over again. Mm-hmm. So I was, I had a very packed routine. So I didn't spend, there. although there's guys everywhere, and I'm, I'm thinking at some point I might just be walking around. A guy might walk up and just smash me in the head. But it didn't happen. And it's not the guys aren't getting stabbed, but they've got it coming. I didn't tell on anybody here. I didn't do anything. It's not that on other yards I might not have gotten smashed, but I didn't get smashed. And I'd been there a while and I taught the real estate class and everybody wanted to take real estate. Take real estate. Mm-hmm. So I think that insulated me to a degree. Uh, I also had uh, um, uh, made a, a few friends there. And I, I think they were probably also kind of putting out the words like, bro, cut this guy a break. Mm-hmm. So I'm walking across and I tell the guy, I said, look, man, I said, I, you know, and I wasn't rude to him. He wasn't even rude to me, really. 
He said, don't walk the yard anymore, Bubba. I didn't want you to walk the yard. I said, well, listen, I'm going to go to Chow and then I'm going to go out there tonight and walk the yard. And if I get smashed, I get smashed. I go because I got 26 years and I cannot walk around for the next 26 years, not going on the yard. I said, so I'm going to be there. And then that happens and that happens. And he looked at me and he goes, man, I don't give a fuck what you do is that's what Bubba told me to tell you. He said, I told you. And he goes, I don't give a shit what you do. And he walked off. I went out there that night with a buddy of mine named Zach. Um, a guy named John Gordon, uh, with my cousin and a couple of his buddies. We walked the track for about an hour, Bubba and a group of his guys stood there and looked at us. And as we walked, probably closest we got to him was 30 or 40 feet Mm -hmm. that went on for 30 minutes. And then they kind of broke up and went their separate ways. And, you know, there was a couple of times where I would go to the chow hall and I would go and I'd be sitting at a table and Bubba would walk up and tell the other guys at the table, I want to let you guys know you're, he didn't even call me a snitch. He said, you're sitting with a, a cooperating witness. He said, he said, that's how you want to roll. He said, you ain't going to be rolling with us if there's any trouble. And then they all kind of looked at me and they got, got, a, got their plate and they moved off. He didn't tell me to move. Mm-hmm. And he could have walked up and said, this is a snitch motherfucker. He didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Bubba was very respectful. Um, so as respectful as he could be. Whatever you want to say about Bubba. Right. He was a respectful man. You ever talked to him directly? <laughs> Never had a conversation with him. So that went on, but I mean, not, when I say that went on, I mean, like literally like that's a couple of times. Mm-hmm. He said the same thing to a guy in line one time. Guy came up to me later and said, look, man, I'm sorry, Matt. I, he was standing next to me in line. Bubba said something to him. He went like 10 or 15 people back and stood in line. Later on, he came up to me, Matt, I'm sorry, bro. But you know, I, Bubba, but I said, bro, I said, look, I get it. We're not friends. Don't worry about it. And, and here's the thing. At some point there, I got, I ended up getting... Well, the FBI started showing up there at the at the prison, mm-hmm. questioning me about my files in at, in Tampa. The, remember the twelve guys that were indicted? Mm-hmm. They show up and they start asking me about it, and so they're still kind of working it. Well, at the same time, I end up getting moved to the low security prison. I get to low security prison. They show up over and over again, but at some point, they come to me and they say, "Look." We went to the U.S. attorney. We presented everything we have. We have it. We, I have, I have enough for an invest. I have enough for, to indict all of these guys. I think it was whittled down to maybe eight instead of 12. And they said, look, the entire economy is melting down. At this point, these are, some of these are four or five years old. We don't, we, we've got banks that are melting down right now. We got, we got 100, 200, 300 million, 500, half a billion dollar banks that we're investigating. We don't have time to deal with this. We're not going to, and we're not going to indict those people. So they get away. The agent I was working with, her name was uh, Leslie Nelson. Very nice person. Uh, she came, actually didn't have to do this, came to the uh, prison to tell me this is what happened. And when she'd first come to see me, I told her, listen, I want to do all this, but no matter what happens, I need you to write me a letter. If they don't, and, and if they don't indict these people, I need you to write me a letter that I can present to the U.S. Attorney on my behalf that I, I did everything I could. And she goes, "I'll do that." It, but that's not going to happen. We're going to get the indictments. And everything. I was okay. So of course, a year later, she shows up after nothing happens and they've dropped the case. She shows up and she tells me what happened and he's not going to do it. And I was, I go, "Do you remember that you?" She goes, "I got the letter right now." Gave me the letter. She was like, that's it. Great letter. You know, uh, it says, you know, Mr. Cox has worked, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's done this. This is great. 
and, and even said, you know, he deserves a reduction in my opinion, blah, blah, blah. So, but there's no, there's nobody, nobody was arrested. Nobody was arrested. So I call my public defender. I call Millie. I explain it to her and, you know, she starts, you know, she starts crying and she's sorry. And well, what are we going to do? Well, there's nothing you can do. You're, you're time barred. Like you have one year to file a 2255, uh, which is to say that your lawyer is ineffective or that the court has made a mistake in some way. Mm -hmm. And it had been over a year. It had been years. It'd been like four years. And she's like, yeah, I mean, you're just, there's nothing you can do. And she's in tears. And um, I kind of feel like I'm done. At that point, I'm done. And what I do is I start writing a book, right? I write a memoir, my memoir. And, and this is not a shameless plug for my memoir, by the way, which is amazing. Just saying. But uh, <laughs> so what happens is I actually, <laughs> I actually write it. You know, I write it and then I have to rewrite it, right? Because I don't really know what I'm doing, you know? And I'd been reading true crime and that sort of thing. And I've always liked true crime. I get a literary agent, comes to see me, tells me I have to rewrite some stuff. We rewrite it. As I'm finishing up my memoir, there's a guy that comes on the compound and his name is uh, Ephraim Devaroli. Ephraim Devaroli and his business partner, uh, a guy named David Packows, were selling munitions, AK-47 rounds, really tons of munitions, but they got in trouble with the, this. And they were selling them to the U.S. government for the Afghani security forces. Mm -hmm. And there had been an article in Rolling Stone magazine about him, and I'd read it. And somebody points him out and says, hey, that's that guy. That's the, and I went up to him and said, hey, bro, you just got here? He's like, yeah. And I said, look, if you want to write a memoir or anything, I'm finishing my memoir. I can always help you. I can help you write an outline. You can get a professional writer, whatever. If you need help, he's like, yeah, all right. Ephraim Devaroli was played by Jonah Hill in the movie uh, um, War Dogs. Mm -hmm. So a few months later, he comes to me and says, you know, hey, they sold the movie rights. I was like, oh, wow, that's great. And I'm like, you, and you don't want to write a memoir. And he's like, yeah, man, it was sold to the guys from the Hangover movie. And I was like, so the guys from the Hangover movie are going to make a movie about you. I said, you understand they're going to call it like, dude, where's my hand grenade? And you're going to be Spicoli from Fast Time at Ridgemont High. Mm -hmm. Like, you're going to be a joke. All because you don't want to write a memoir and get your, your version out there. And he was like, holy shit. So I ended up writing an outline for him. We worked together. And then he asked, like, can I read your book? And I was like, sure. And I give it to him. And he reads it and he comes back and he said, bro, he says, this is the best thing I've ever read in my life. And to be honest, I later found out he'd read about three books in his entire life, but still it was very, yeah. it was very nice. You know, yeah, still the, the, the other two. So uh, he asked me if I'll write his book. I write his book. We work out a deal. And uh, we do that. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying all this because I basically settle in. I'm done. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do 26 years. By the way, just on a small tangent, how did you, how did you know you'd be good at writing? I'd kind of written a manuscript prior to even taking off on the run. I used to listen to uh, John Grisham books. You know, I'd listen to him in the car. Like I liked John Grisham books and I'd actually written a manuscript about a, a mortgage broker. Um, you know, he writes about lawyers and it's like, lawyer, being a lawyer is not exciting. If you can make that sound exciting, I can make being a mortgage broker. Uh, and I wrote a, I wrote a book you know, put it at my desk and, uh, you know, the FBI found it and they had 
you know, said, oh, it's a blueprint to the fraud that he's going to commit. It wasn't. Stop. It's as much that character was as much me as John Grisham's characters are him. But it's still kind of interesting that it know, is God, John Grisham didn't. Right. I mean, <laughs> you know, if John Grisham did something similar to what one of the. Yeah. You know, I saw a quote somewhere that uh, the criminal is a is the true artist and the detective is merely a critic, something like that. Does that resonate with you or not? I'll have to look that up. Okay. So you already knew you could write. Well, I knew I liked it, but yeah, I I think I got better and better at it. I mean, you know, as you're writing, and they had creative writing classes, you know, in prison at the low. Uh, You know, the low was a much different breed of animal, you know, like it, you know, it was, you could very easily get hurt. You could get hurt either place, but there were guys that have life sentences that have been working out for 20 years and were just super angry, yeah. you know, at the medium. And, and if you got hurt at the medium, it was probably really go bad. Uh, as opposed to you get hurt at the low, it's more like a, a, a fist fight in high school. So with knives. So anyway, I, so I'm there, I'm writing, I'm doing that. And at, there was a guy on the compound that came on the compound about that same time. His name was Frank Amadeo. Frank Amadeo is a, a rapid cycling bipolar with features of schizophrenia. Rapid cycling bipolar with features of schizophrenia. schizophrenia. So rapid cycling. it's just constant, right? And so there are moments in, in his manic state where he his reoccurring psychosis, I guess, is... Uh, that he believes, and since he was in his early teens, has believed that he is preordained by God to be emperor of the world. He's a lawyer, disparred, stole close to $200 million from the federal government. They gave him 22 years and they sent him to Coleman. But it doesn't, this is the part I love, Uh the delusions don't affect his legal work. Uh This doesn't say a ton for legal community, but. How do you know he's delusional? I'm just asking questions. Yeah, he's he's trust me. He I I I mean it's it's not me. It's like the transcripts, the lawyers, the doctors, the you know yeah. yeah there's a ton of All right. a ton. Uh, and then if you saw him in action, you'd be like, oh wow. Yeah. You know he'd be com- he would be completely normal. He would be having a completely normal conversation, mm-hmm. and somebody would say something, and he was he'd go, that makes me so angry. I I. I I can't, I'm not going to let them do that. When my legions march on Washington, we are going to burn the Constitution and the president will kneel at my feet. And he goes, I'm going to need your transcripts. Mm-hmm. I'm going to need a, a 2255 form. We're going to file a, you know, and it would just write, and everybody would sit there and be like, okay, Frank, I'll get to this and I'll get. It was insane. It was the most insane. He was basically running a medium-sized law firm from inside of the prison. Mm. He was training people. He taught the he taught the um, the legal research class and was training people on how to do legal research in prison, how to put together motions, how to fight uh, fight their cases, how to do the research, how to type them up, everything. He's teaching. He's teaching a law. It's just like a law school, right? Like he's teaching these guys. He, he, listen, they made such a mistake locking this guy up. So he's a great lawyer. Listen, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse because here's what happens is at this point, I don't, 
talk to him for probably a, a year or so because everybody's saying he's crazy. You know, and he's, and then for like a year, he gets there, he's drooling out of the side of his mouth. They got him on a ton of medication. It takes him about a year to get him, them to take him off the medication. So he, he gets them to take him off the medication. And then he starts kind of stabilizing his mood by drinking Pepsi. Uh, I know. It, bro, it's crazy. I know it's crazy. I know how, I see, I see you looking at me like yeah. this guy's delusion. I know. It works. But whatever works. So at some point, one of my buddies comes to me and says, look, you got to go talk to Frank. It, well, here's the other thing. Over the course of a year or two that he starts doing legal work for guys, he starts just taking on guys' cases. I'll do the motion. I'll do your legal work. I'll do this. Keeps him busy. But suddenly you start hearing people get released. You know, you, you know Jimmy just got 10 years knocked off his sentence. He's going to halfway house next month. You know, Tom got an immediate release. Frank's walking people up to R&D, shaking their hands. Guys are walking up to him in tears, crying. And, and so, you know, crazy or not, what, what choice do I have? I, I called three different lawyers on the street and said, this is what happened. What can I do? What can I do? They, they had me, they told me to do this and this and this, and I worked with them and then they decided not to proceed. And what can I do? And they said, you're hit, bro. There's nothing you can do. You cannot in the middle in the in the Eleventh Circuit. You cannot force them to file a reduction on your behalf. You cannot do it. It's impossible. You're hit. You're done. It's over. I'd love to take your your money, Mr. Cox, but it's not going to happen. I, don't, I can't. I'm not just going to take your money. You're going to lose. Three different lawyers. I talked to I or Ti's lawyer. Told me, bro, it's not going to happen. It's over. So my buddy says, go talk to Frank. I said, well, why, why wouldn't I? I got nothing else to lose. So I go talk to Frank. He actually has a little manic moment. That little thing that I just showed you, that's exactly what he said the first time I talked to him. Based on your case. Yes. Yeah. I won't let this happen. He's like, I'm going to need your transcripts. I'm going to need you to get this. I need to see your indictment. I'm going to need your pre-sentence report. I'm going to need, he's like, okay. And I turned to my buddy. He's like, bro, I know. I know what you're thinking. It's fine. It's fucking crazy. And he's like, he's like, I understand. Let just, what, what choice do you have? I was like, fuck. So Frank files a 2255 motion on my behalf stating that I'm not time barred, that Millie was, we file it against Millie stating that she was ineffective, mm -hmm. right? That she didn't understand the law. She had me plead to something because she thought I could get a reduction simply for doing dateline Oh, by the way, when I was in the medium, the government came to me and asked me to be interviewed by American Greed. I do that. I'm interviewed. You know, they, they, they get me on the phone. They talk to me, everything. My, the prosecutor wants me to do it. She's re-interviewed. Everybody's re-interviewed. It airs. Millie goes to them, to the government and says, look, reduce the sentence. They go, no, Millie, it's not enough. Then they come to me and they ask me to write an, a, an ethics and fraud course. I write an ethics and fraud course. The guy I write the course with, he they flies up to um, Atlanta. He talks with, I think he drove up, but he goes up to Atlanta. He talks with the U.S. attorney, talks to Millie. She insists, if he does this, I will reduce his sentence. I will definitely consider this. Definitely consider. Yeah, definitely consider. And then we do it. It's being used all over the nation. Not enough. Consider so it. That's where, at this point, I go to Frank. I tell Frank what's happening. Frank says, yeah, this is, he goes, every time they asked you to do something, it reset the time bar. You have a year from that time to f file a 2255. Now, 
He insists that that was a viable argument. Nobody else does. But he said, I'm not going to let them do this. I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to get your sentence reduced. Okay. Uh, Emperor. Okay, Emperor. (laughs) So he is a character. Uh, Anyway, he, so he files a 2255. The government comes back. They say he's time barred. Frank comes back. He, he, you know, they answer his motion. He files a retort. Uh, They file, you know, it just goes back and forth. This goes it's on for six months to a year. And at some point, I go to mail call and, you know, they call my name and they they hand me this thing and I open it up and it says the government's filed a motion for a stay so that they can, they want the court to appoint me a lawyer and to discuss filing a Rule 35, mm-hmm. reducing my sentence. And I... You know, I, I, I'm like, I read it, but I couldn't even understand. Like, well, I don't understand. So, I mean, I rushed to go find Frank. I show it to Frank and he says, he says, yeah, they're staying it. They're going to send you a lawyer and you're going to negotiate for how much they're going to re- reduce your sentence. He says, perfect. So they fly this woman down. Her name was Esther Panich. She flies down. We comes to the visitation room. They bring me there, the lawyer's room, whatever they call it. The, and so we're sitting there and I remember we're talking and she says, uh, Listen, your your motion, your twenty two fifty five, is written well, but honestly, you don't have much of a prayer, and um, they're offering you a one level reduction, which is thirty months. Mm-hmm. And I went, oh, that's that's not enough. And she said, well, I don't know what to tell you. Um, she said they're willing to bring you back, and I was like, well, you know, I mean. I don't know. I got to talk to Frank. Frank said, I deserve this many levels. And, you know, we're going back for, she goes, she, she who's Frank? And I go, Frank's the guy that's doing all my legal work. She goes, he didn't write all this. And I was like, no, she is who wrote. And, and I, I explain it to her and she's like, he's an inmate. And I was like, yeah. And I, and she's, why is he here? And I tell her, well, cause he's, he stole a bunch of money from the federal government. Cause he's trying to take over the world. So I tell her that whole thing. And she's like, you're letting a, a, a mentally incompetent, you know, person do your legal work. And I was like, yeah, because all the competent attorneys wouldn't do it. They said, I didn't have a prayer. Your people said I didn't have a prayer. And I said, Frank said he was going to, he could get this done. And she's like, well, I mean, you know, you don't like, I, I don't even know why they're offering you one level. I was like, well, Frank said, you know, and I'm like, Frank this, Frank that. And so she ended up saying, she's like, you're taking advice from a, a legally an incompetent person. I said, yeah. And she said, you know, you really don't have a prayer. I said, then why are you here? I said, if they could crush me so easily, why are you here? I said, they're giving me one level. Let me talk to Frank. I'll let you know what we're going to do. So I leave. I call her a couple days later. I tell her, Frank, and I talked to Frank. Frank said, go back, go back and argue for more. Hmm. He said, I think the judge is going to give you more. He's going to give you at least, you know, between whatever he said, like six or seven levels or something. So I get I get moved all the way back to Atlanta. The FBI agent comes to talk on my behalf. The guy that like multiple people show up to talk on my behalf. Wow. They say, you know, uh, Millie, who I filed the 2255 against. So I'm basically saying you, you're ineffective. You're incompetent, you know, but she knows the game. She's like, I, I get it. She she gets on the stand and testifies for me. So. The judge goes, eh, you know, listen, I think we were asking for like nine levels or something outrageous. Prosecutor starts arguing for one level. 
And he said, listen, one level is not nearly enough for what Mr. Cox has done. He said, Mr. Cox, I know you're arguing for nine, uh, nine levels off your sentence. He goes, that was never going to happen. <laughs> I was like, it felt like I got slapped. And he said, so I'm, I'm going to go with six levels. No, no, I'm sorry. He said three levels. I'm going to go with three levels. He goes, which is, uh, which is seven years, which he said for somebody who has no arrest associated with his case. He said, I think it's pretty good. And that's my, that's his judgment and blah, 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 blah. And he hammered, put the, puts the gavel down and walks off. And that's it. It's over. I got seven years. And I was hoping for more. So I get moved back to Coleman. I get moved back to Coleman and I go to, up to Frank. And I said, Frank, I got, I got seven years off. And he's like, I know, I know. I said, I, I don't mean to sound unappreciative. I said, I just, I said, I was hoping for more. He goes, I was too. He said, it looks like we're going to have to eat this elephant one spoonful at a time. And he goes, something will come out. Something's going to happen. He said, keep your ears open. Something will happen. And I said, okay. And, you know, I honestly, by that point, I'd done, you know, I'd done eight years. And I remember like if I got a year off of the drug program and good time and this, and I had about eight or eight years left to go or something, nine years left. And I was like, you know, I can do that. I'll write. You know, I'd been writing. Um, by that point, I'd, I'd actually written a story. Like I got a book deal for Devaroli, you know. Um, and I ended up uh, writing a synopsis of a guy's story and I got him in Rolling Stone magazine and I got a book deal for that. Like I got an advance. It's like 3,500 bucks for being in prison, a prisoner to get a $3,500 advance. Like I'm a millionaire. There's a lot of money. So, and then we optioned the film rights, basically the synopsis that I wrote for this reporter journalist for Rolling Stone. He goes to Rolling Stone with my, with what I wrote. And gives it to them and they okay it. They say, yeah, this is great. We want you to write an article based on this. Okay. He writes the article. He tells me that the article will be from him, his name, Guy Lawson, Douglas Dodd, which is the name of the kid I wrote the memoir about, and Matthew Cox. A couple of weeks before it's going, the article is going to be published, he tells me, Rolling Stone doesn't want my name on the article because I'm in federal prison and it doesn't look good. But don't worry, he's going to put my name in the article. And that's just as good. Um, and I argue, it's not just as good. It's not. I'm like, I, I would be, I would be an, a writer for Rolling Stone magazine. Like, you understand, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to come up with something here that I can rebuild my life as a true crime writer. That's no good. What the, and that wasn't so bad. That wasn't the worst. The worst of it was 90% of the article that he published was taken directly from what I sent him. Like, I mean, sick to my stomach, bro. Just sick over it. So, but they optioned, they optioned the life rights for that. And I got a piece of that. So there's like $7,000. I get a check for that. So I'm, I'm thrilled. I can keep writing because you have to understand writing on the computer there, they charge you. So I start writing. Oh, they charge you for phone calls, writing, comments. Every single thing costs money. So I start writing all these guys' stories. I start writing books. I just come back from, went back to Atlanta, got, re got sent, seven years knocked off my sentence, come back. 
and I'm walking around the compound. Now, there was a guy that was there named Ron Wilson. Ron Wilson ran, in the, if you look in the newspaper, it says it's like a $100 million Ponzi scheme, but really it was $57 million. So he had lost $57 million. So it says 100, you know, they, you know, they always exaggerate because 57 is not enough. Ron ended up getting 19 and a half years. Ron was an old con man. Mm-hmm. Early 60s, 62, 61. I don't know. And uh, Ron, I, I, I liked Ron. Um, so we're walking around the compound and he's like, so what are you going to do? I mean, you got eight or nine more years to go. And I was like, eh, you know, I'm going to keep writing. And when I get out of here, maybe I'll have a huge body of work and maybe I'll be able to sell it, or maybe I'll be able to option some more stuff. And if I could get together with Rolling Stone or get with some of these magazines, Mm -hmm. I could start writing for them and I could option those. Maybe I could walk out of here with something. So, right, right, right. So Ron was who'd only been locked up like a year or so, he was cooperating with the secret service in his case against some of his co-defendants. Hmm. So he's, he's already been debriefed and he's cooperating. He's actually thinking he might get brought back to have to testify at a trial. Hmm. We're talking and we're walking and he keeps saying, you know, even if I, even if they, they charge those guys and even if this happens, they're not going to reduce my sentence. They're not going to cut my sentence. And, you know, first of all, well, probably because you stole a bunch of money from pension funds and churches that didn't help your case. But I don't say that. Uh, so I, I say, oh, they have to, bro. They'll have to. They've, they've, you know, if you cooperate, they're going to have to. And if they don't, we'll have Frank file a 2255. And he's like, uh, ah, that crazy. Mother. Um, so he says, uh, okay. He's like, yeah, yeah, you don't understand. You don't understand. So this goes on for months. And, I, and I'm like, what is the problem? And he says, you know, they think I hid Ponzi scheme money, you know, and he'd actually dug up like five or $6 million in Ponzi scheme proceeds that he dug. He, I mean, he, he buried in these. Oh, literally, literally buried in aluminum ammunition canisters. Mm-hmm. A super interesting guy. So he actually went and dug them up and gave them to him. And I'm like, well, you gave them all the money. It's, you didn't hide anything. Relax. It's not a big deal. They're not going to find anything. So don't worry about it. And so he mentions it oh, a couple weeks later, a couple weeks later. And then one day I go, bro, why do you keep bringing this up? Like, what are you concerned about? They're, it's not going to happen. And he said, can I trust you? And I went, probably not. And he goes, <laughs> I did hide some money. I was like, okay. I said, you, you bury it in a can somewhere. And he's like, no, he said, I, I um, gave my wife like 150,000 in cash. I said, okay, well, she's not going to say anything. She's using, he said, no, you don't understand. Since then, she found out I was having an affair and she, we're going to get a divorce and she hates me. And I think she'll turn that money in just to make sure that I don't get a reduction. Because if you lie to the FBI, they're not going to, it doesn't matter what you've done for them. They won't give you anything. And so he's, I mean, I'm sorry, Secret Service or anybody. He has clearly lied to the Secret Service Mm -hmm. at this point. If she goes and says, this is what he gave me. Mm -hmm. So he's like, I was like, oh, wow. And he's like, and I gave my, my brother's holding maybe 30,000 for me. And at that moment, I was like, wow, like this poor guy. No, that's not what I thought at all. What I thought was, is that enough to get me a sentence reduction? (laughs) You son of a bitch. (laughs) 
<laughs> and uh, I went and I sat man. there. And you know what I thought? I thought, I, I, I did. I thought, no, I thought that's not enough. That's not enough. It's nothing. That's not even $200,000. Yeah. Like, and they didn't want to give me a reduction. My prosecutor was pissed that I got seven years off. She wanted me to get 30 months. Mm-hmm. She's not going to give me anything. It's up to her. She's not going to do it. So I go, I lay down, I go to bed. Like a month later, I'm on the phone with my lawyer because I had written, remember I wrote a man, uh, my, I had a manuscript for my book and I wanted to put some of the stuff that was said at my, in my sentencing in the book. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to get my lawyer to mail me my transcripts and she hadn't done it. So I called her and I said, listen, you said you were going to, she's like, oh God, man, I'm so sorry. I'm so busy. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. And then she went, this is Esther. She goes, so what else is going on in there? And, I, and this, she never wanted to talk to me. Like she didn't, you know, when they were paying her, she didn't want to talk to me. And, and I was like, what do you mean? Nothing. I just need my transcripts. And she's like, nothing's happening. There's nothing you want to talk about. And I was like, and I went, you know what? You know what? There's something weird happened. Listen to this. And I told her about Ron Wilson. Mm-hmm. And she goes, hold on. She, she looks him up on the computer. She goes, oh, wow, this is a bad guy. This is a bad guy. And he told you, then you know where to, absolutely. And, she, and I can tell you exactly. And she goes, okay, okay, okay. She goes, uh, let me look into this. I go, okay. So a week later, a, a CO comes to me and goes, hey, Cox. And I go, what's up? He goes, listen, at the next move, because you know, they have controlled moves. All the doors are locked and they open them up for 10 minutes so you can run to the chow hall or mm-hmm. you can run to the, you can't run though, there's no running on the compound, right. but you can walk move fast quickly, yeah. yes, to the rec yard uh, or the library, whatever. He says, at the next move, go to SIS, you know? So I go to SIS on the next move. But I, I was used to going there, by the way, because I, I was constantly ordering Freedom of Information Acts. And they would, so I'd order, you're, you're an inmate, and I'd order, I'm writing a story for you, and I'd order it, and they'd send it to me. And then they would catch it, and they'd be like, why are you getting Lex's information? So they'd call me down there, and I'd go, no, I ordered it for him, and I'm writing a story. And I'd already been in Rolling Stone, and everything. they're like, what's the story? And I tell them the story. They got a pretty good story here. And so I go down there, but this is different. This, the guy answers the door and his guy, they call him Bulldog. He was a real asshole. Uh, he was a lieutenant at SIS. And he's like, uh, come in, get in here, Cox, sit down. And he dials the phone. And he goes, here, you got to talk to this guy. And I'm like, what? I pick up the phone. I'm like, hello. And the guy goes, hey, this is Agent Griffin with the Secret Service. I understand you know where Ron Wilson is, has uh, hidden Ponzi scheme money. I, whoa, 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 I want something in writing. I want, you know, so I start doing that and they go, okay. And then I get his, his email address and we start emailing each other back and forth. Mm-hmm. And he ends up sent, getting a letter from the U.S. attorney in South Carolina that says they will consider it substantial assistance if they, if they make arrests or recover a substantial amount of money. Mm-hmm. That's the best I'm going to get is consider. So I start talking to this guy and he starts asking me questions about Ron Wilson. Like, hey, ask him this, ask him this. So I'm like, bro, I got to kind of work that into a conversation. That's an odd (laughs) thing to ask. So this goes on for six months. So I'm asking questions and I'm typing up little reports and I'm, I'm 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 a prison snitch now. So I'm not just like cooperating. I'm now I'm a prison snitch. So I've, I've, Moved what? down. I've moved down actually from being just a cooperating witness or because a, you're in prison. Is yes. that what makes you a prison, prison snitch? snitch. You oh. can't even really say um no, you could say prison rat. You could say prison rat. I think prison snitch. I think that's probably the closer to 
the term that most guys would use. What's the difference between a snitch and a rat in prison? I'm not sure. I, it's, it rolls off the tongue better. Prison rat doesn't sound as good as prison snitch. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about this. So what happens is I'm, I'm asking Wilson questions periodically. And at some point they contact me and they say, listen, Wilson's about to get some bad news. And I go, okay. Um, and they go, he's, you know, like, I don't want to tell you what it is. Let us know what happens. So like two days go by. And one day, uh, Wilson comes up to me one day and says, Cox, Cox. And I'm like, oh shit. I'm like, hey, what's up? You know? And he's like, oh my God, you're not going to believe this. I got indicted. I was like, what? What happened? <gasps> no. Yeah. My wife, they questioned my wife and my brother and my brother, my wife walked in. First, she said, I don't have nothing. I don't know what you're talking about. The next day, the brother walks in and gives them $150,000 in cash. And so the next day, the wife comes back and gives them $250,000 in cash and a bunch of uh, silver, like gold bullion and silver you know, because he was a his his Ponzi scheme was based off of silver. Uh, you know, he was going to invest in silver for you. So, half a million dollars, they turn over half a million. I'm like half a million dollars. I thought it was like a hundred thousand or something. Mm-hmm. And he was he's like, I know, I didn't know I could trust you. I'm like, Ron, what are you doing? I thought we were. So he um. So I'll tell you something. <laughs> Just for the icing on the cake, by the way, yeah. the icing on the cake. Let me, yeah, let me explain one, one more thing. Yeah. There's, so if you're going to, if somebody cooperates with the federal government, let's say I get arrested and they go, you want to help yourself? And you go, yeah, okay. Um, look, uh, uh, Jimmy is a, he lives next to me and he's running a meth house, you know, a meth lab, whatever. And they go and they raid Jimmy and he gets arrested. You're going to get something off for that. Not a lot, but you're going to get something now. And, and they could just say, we were going to bust him anyway. We were already on to him. Right. Now, the next level would be you wear a wire. So I wore a wire and I, I was in danger. Now, keep in mind, I'm asking this guy questions inside federal prison. I'm in danger. So whatever, that's like the next level. You're active. You're taking an active participate participation in the um, investigation. Mm-hmm. And the third level would be you actually get on the stand and you cooperate and you, you testify. There's no better cooperation than that. So when Wilson says to me, they're going to move me back to South Carolina. They've indicted me. They charged me. What do you think I should do? And I go, I think you should go to trial because I know they'll have to call me as a witness Yeah, just to let you know, because I don't, I don't want you to, I don't want to walk out of here and have you feeling <laughs> Feeling like, hey, there's some, there's some good to this guy. No. <laughs> so I'm ready. I'm I'm ready to gut Wilson like a fish. So, yeah. but you are putting yourself in danger if you get on a stand, right? I'm already in danger. If if people there heard what I was doing, I probably would have been in. Does that increase the chance of them hearing or no? If you it it does, but it also increases my ability to get more off my sentence. Yeah, that's true. So what happens is a couple days later, he's on what's called the pack out. Right, they're going to move him maybe a week later. So they come and get him. They move him. He gets back there to South Carolina and he pleads guilty. 
he, he, they sentence him, he gets six months added on. So he's now from 19 and a half to 20 years. Uh, and, and by the way, when COVID hit, he was released. So he only ended up doing like six years on a 20 year sentence because he was older. He's by that point, he's 66, 67 years old. You know, he's an old, anybody older than 55 was endangered, especially in the prison. So they had a, a, a COVID thing where they were releasing these guys and sending them home on ankle monitors. Like he's an old man. He's not, he, he he's not going to hurt. He's not, he's not a danger. So they sent him home. So he ended up doing, so he didn't even serve the six months. He didn't even serve the original sentence, whatever. Not that I care. So I'm just saying, if it makes you feel like poor Ron. It's okay. So his wife got like a hundred year, a hundred, she got like a hundred hours of community service or something or 60 hours. And I think his brother got six months papers. So they, they got charged with um, obstruction of justice, mm-hmm. you know, and they didn't, neither one of them, you know, it's like six months probation and community service, nothing. So when we, tr- I turn around, I'm waiting for my reduction, waiting, waiting, after about 90 days after this guy gets sentenced, maybe six months, I send a letter, hey, what's going on to the prosecuting, to my prosecutor, their, the prosecutor of both districts, no response. Then I go to Frank, I explain to Frank, and I, Frank has known what's going on the whole time. And Frank goes, uh, okay, I'm going to file a 2255. So we file a 2255. Government comes back and the first thing they say is, your honor, we don't know about any cooperation. We've never heard about any cooperation. So, of course, then we submit the letter that we have. The judge comes back and the the judge ends up saying, it's a little complicated, but he ends up saying, look, I don't have jurisdiction to hear this because you may be time barred. But I'm going to let the appeals court hear it. Now, typically you have to, you have to get what's called a, like a right of sort of a certification to appeal. You have to make sure that you actually have a case. Mm-hmm. He says, I'm waiving the cert and I'm waiving the $500 fee to file with them. He said, and I'm, he's, he basically expedites it for me, which is a subtle way of telling the prosecutor, I think he's got something and I'm sending it up there. And he, and the way he writes his motion, it's basically saying, I don't have the jurisdiction to hear it, to do anything, but they do, they need to do it. And I'm paving the way you don't have to pay any money and you don't need that cert. So the prosecution immediately comes back. They file a, a, a one level reduction and we immediately Frank files something saying, Hey, stop. We don't want the reduction. We don't want the one level. We want to come back to court. Please don't don't rule on it. So the judge says, okay, I'm freezing everything. I'm, I'm putting a stay on everything. I'm going to give this guy a lawyer to try and figure out what you're going to do. They fly down a lawyer, Leanne Weber. So she comes and, and she comes and sees me and uh, she says, listen, I, I, I see that you want to go back and fight this and this, but you know, honestly, I don't think you're going to get anything more than one level. Uh, I talked to the prosecution. They said they'll give you, well, she said, I can work on trying to get you two levels, but you don't have much of a prayer. You're going to get crushed. And I said, well, then, then why are you here? If they can crush me so easy, why don't they do it? Why would they pay you like they pay them like 12 grand or something just to fly down and all your expenses to to negotiate for me. 
Why not crush me? And she's like, I, I don't know. I said, well, Frank said four levels. And she's like, who's Frank? I go, Frank's the guy that wrote all this. And she's like, oh, is he, is he an attorney? And I go, is he in here? And I'm like, yeah, he's in here. She's like, why is he in here? And I tell her, he's taken over the world. Yeah. And she says, that's the strangest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. And I said, I understand. But Frank said, and she's like, you're listening to an incompetent, you know, and right, I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Right. And she, and Frank said, four level, we want four levels. She, he said, for me to tell you, we want four levels. She says, okay. She leaves. She goes to the U.S. attorney. We argue two levels. They come back and say two levels. No, we go back and forth. We start filing motions saying we want to go back. We want a hearing. We want to bring back all the FBI agents, the secret service agents. And she's like, what do you want to turn this into a circus? Exactly. What do I want to do? I'm going to turn it into the biggest circus because I've already got one level. <laughs> they come back one day. She says, listen, three levels is the best you're going to get. She said, so uh, I guess you'll be moved back here. We'll go to the hearing. I said, no, 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 I'll take three levels. And she says, what are you talking? She said, you said four levels. You said Frank wouldn't let you take anything less than four. I said, no, Frank said to tell you four. I was happy with three. I wanted you to argue for four. I'm good with three. I'm out of here in like a year. Yeah. So, and I don't want to be moved back. I don't want to have to get on that bus. You know what it's like to be moved? It's horrible. So I said, I just want the three levels. So then we argue about the wording for about, two, three months, and then they file it. And then I get five years knocked off my sentence because three levels at this, at the level I was at now, isn't seven years. Every level you get a little less time. So I get five years off. So now I've got 12 years knocked off my sentence. At this point, I maybe have a year and a half to go. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's doable. So I was super, super happy. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, and I'm sorry, bro. Um, but every time I think about it and I, I just feel like I have to say it. Like, I'm Frank, I'm going to insane, but I can, like, I didn't have a fucking prayer without that guy. And as crazy as he is, and much of a pain in the ass as he was, um, like I could never repay him, bro. Like, like I'm not, I shouldn't be here. I'm supposed to be in prison right now. My out date was third was 2030 without that guy. Where is he now? He got himself out. He didn't do all that time. He got himself out. I don't even know how he did it. He, they even threw him back in prison again for six months and he got himself out again. Uh, he's insane. He's incredible. He's insane, but he's incredible. Is he really that insane? He's though? in Orlando. Is he? I mean, he seems like, he seems like a good lawyer and a good man. He, he's, he's, he's great. He's great. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind I would be in prison right now if it wasn't for him. And he's done this for others? Walk people right out. 10 years off, five years off, nine years off, 10 years. I mean, it's, I didn't pay, and I didn't pay for one thing. I didn't pay for my stamps. He paid for everything. Sounds like the other lawyers don't really believe it's possible, and he does. It's interesting. Well, I think he's, he was willing to, he's willing to badger them into doing, you know, what they should have done to begin with. I actually wrote a book about it, which he loved. 
About him. About him and his story. His It's so over the top what happened with him. Um, I mean, literally, I tried to take over the Congo. I mean, there's a, a documentary about it. There's It's called Nine Days in the Congo. It's an insane story. I'm, I'm a, this is one of those stories that's just like, how is this not a movie? It's not a movie yet? No, I don't. I've pitched it several times and uh, it'd be, it would be great. But so I wrote a synopsis and I turned that into a book. What's the name of the book? Oh, it's insanity. It's insanity. Yeah. But about it, like a year and a half later, like I ended up getting out of prison and I went to the halfway house. What'd that feel like? Freedom. I was, uh, oh, this is bad, bro. This is bad. Uh, I remember when I was leaving the prison. So, you know, I met some great guys in, in prison, which is a weird thing to say. But I've met better, I met better people in prison than I'd ever met outside prison at that low. Um, I mean, because it was the first time I actually had friends, you know, like I, I, I really had someone that wanted to hang out with me just to ha- like, I didn't, I didn't have anything to offer them. Mm-hmm. I can't make you any money. I can't do anything for you. We're just hanging out because we like to laugh or we have things in common or we're fascinated by each other or we just have good time and fun. So when I was leaving, I remember my mom showed up and my brother showed up and they picked me up and we were driving off. And I remember looking back at the prison and my brother said, Paul, I'm glad, I'll bet you're glad to see that, you know, uh, to leave that behind you. And, And I started crying. It's like nobody talked. I was so uncomfortable. Uh, it was just, I started crying. And, and it wasn't because I was like, oh, it's over. It was because it was like survivor's guilt. You know, like I was leaving all of my friends and I felt so bad that I was leaving them. Uh, but I, I went to the, I went to the halfway house and uh, I had, I had Four, I had, so when I was getting out, I remember joking that I had exhausted my Trulings account, my, my, my inmate account. I'd exhausted it. I had nothing. I had like 18 cents. I couldn't even figure out how to spend it. And they give you a debit card when you leave. And I said, like, and they charge you every time you, you swipe, you use the card. Like, I don't even have enough to spend the 18 cents, you know, it's because the charge is like $3. So I was like, I was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, I wonder if they'll still give me my debit card. And I'm laughing. Everybody's like, what are you going to eat? What are you this? What are that? And, uh, and my one buddy looked at me and he was like, you can't go to the halfway house with nothing, bro. And I was like, no, it's cool. I said, no, it's cool. You know, I said, no, it's cool. I said, I want to start at the bottom. I've got that coming. I got working at McDonald's coming. So I'm going to work at McDonald's. I don't give a fuck. And he was like, well, I think I, he was, I, I think you're going to need to buy clothes. I think that's it. Oh, it's sell. I said, it's, it's at the, um, it's, it's at the Goodwill. They'll give you a bunch of, they give you a bunch of crap if you don't have anything, if you're indigent. And I said, I'm indigent. And a couple of days before I'm leaving, $400 ends up on my account. And I was like, what the fuck? And it was from a buddy of mine. And I go to him, my buddy, uh, Tommy. And I was like, Tommy, did, I go, did you put $400 on my account? And he said, I can't let you go for it with nothing, bro. So 
I get to the halfway house and I go to Walmart and I buy $300 worth of clothes at Walmart. I've never been in a Walmart. I go to a super Walmart. It's huge. And I go there and I buy a bunch of clothes and I buy about 300 bucks worth of clothes. And I still have some of the blue jeans. To this day, I still wear some of the blue jeans. And I stayed in the halfway house and I, I called a buddy of mine named Trion, uh, Trion Calta. And he owns a gym. And, you know, I grew up with him, his whole family, like they owned a bunch of gyms. And I, I called him and I said, hey, man, I'm in the halfway house. And he was like, hey, what's going on? He said, can I do anything for you? And I was like, I, I mean, I need a job. I didn't think he was going to give me a job. He was, bro, you're hired. I'll give you a job. He said, I can't, uh, minimum wage. I said, that, that's fine. If I can stay out of here, I, you can work like 80 hours a week. And I was like, if I can just stay out of here 80 hours and you pay me minimum wage, he goes, oh, hell yeah, perfect. So I'm at the gym and uh, I got free reign. So I'm playing on my computer, goofing off all day. And my buddy Pete, who's still locked up, he's texting me and calling me and he's like, not texting me, he's emailing me through the core link system. And, and he's calls me periodically. He's like, have you started a, a website? Cause one of the things I was going to do when I got out was I was going to start a website with all these stories that I'd written. And I was like, no, Pete, I, I don't, I, I can't like, I don't have a computer. He's like, well, how much is a computer? I was like, I don't know. They're like 300 bucks. I was like, I don't, I mean, I said, I could probably get a used Apple, like MacBook, like a five-year-old MacBook or something. I don't know for like three, four, $350, whatever. And I said, but he was like, okay, so that's all you need 300 bucks. I said, no, 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 no. I said, it's not 300 bucks, bro. It's 300 bucks. Plus it's getting a, a WordPress website which I said cost money. Plus it's hiring somebody to help me figure it out because I don't, I, I'm, I'm inept. I don't know how anything works. So he, okay. And I said, plus I need this. Plus I need this. I need a bunch of stuff. I need $600 for this. I need 300 for this. I need 500 for this. I need a thousand dollars for, for this. And he goes, okay. He said, I'm going to, I'll get you. Okay. I got it. So he reads off a list. He goes, I got you. But Pete doesn't have any money. And I go, how are you going to give me any money? He goes, he goes, every day I walk across the compound. Some he goes, people stop me and say, how's Cox doing? And I say, oh, he's okay. And they say, does he need anything? And I say, no, no, he's good. He said, I'm going to start telling these fuckers. Yeah. Yeah. He needs something. You want to do something for him? Here's what he needs. I ended up getting two laptops sent to me. I got the computer program, um, Final Cut Pro. I had uh, I had guys in prison cutting me checks so that I could build a website and put all these stories on the website. So I start putting the website, and I don't know what I'm doing. Man. I mean, I put them on the website slowly. It takes forever. Um, I'm putting pictures up. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how, you know, Photoshop works, how all this stuff. I, the whole time I was, I wanted to start because everybody, the last one I was just getting out of prison, everybody kept telling me like, bro, you got to start a podcast. You got to start a true crime podcast. And I don't know what a podcast is. The term podcast came into existence in 2009 when I'd been locked up three years. Yeah. I'd never been on YouTube. Yeah. So by the time I get out, the last year or two guys are coming up to me giving me magazines like this is what a pod you need to read look true crime's huge yeah. and you have to think guys are asking me every couple of days cox you got any stories mm -hmm. and i'm like yeah, yeah, yeah did you read cash and coke and they're like uh 
Is that the one where the guys are robbing the drug dealer? Yeah. Oh, no, no, I read that one. Uh, did you read this one? No, 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 I haven't read that. That's the one with the guy. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I mean, so I'm giving these little stories and then they'd come back and give them to me. You know, it's, you don't have, you don't have anything in there, right? So this is guys that would never read in their life are reading. Mm-hmm. And I'm writing about the guy in, in B2, the guy in C1. Mm-hmm. So I put up the whole thing. And, and they're, well, anyway, they're all telling me do a true crime podcast, true crime podcast. I don't really know what that is, but by now I'm starting to listen to them on YouTube, you know, uh, Serial mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Cold Case Files, you know, that kind of stuff. And I think that's what I want to do. Well, my buddy Treon says there's a guy named Danny Jones mm-hmm. that runs a podcast called Concrete and it's in St. Petersburg and he lives a couple miles from me. I see him all the time. And I went, okay. And he said, you should, you should email him. He's got a guy on there all the time that does real estate. And I go, I just got out of prison for, for bank fraud related to real estate. He doesn't want to interview me. He goes, well, you could, maybe he does. Maybe you could ask him about starting a podcast. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I sent him an, e- an email. I remember Danny called me and he said, hey, is this Matt Costa? I was like, yeah, this is Matt. He's like, I got your email. This is Danny Jones. And I was like, okay. And he says, uh, he says, yeah, I got your email, bro. He says, this is a good fucking email. <laughs> and I was like, what? He goes, I get a lot of emails, bro. He said, that <laughs> this is a, a good one. <laughs> that was a good one. He said, that was really good. Like, I mean, that was well-written. He's like, I, I immediately knew I had to talk to you. And I said, oh, okay. I said, because, uh, you know, I start off with, I think I started off with, hey, my name is Matt Cox and I'm a con man. Mm, good I opening. was recently released from federal prison. And so he was like, oh yeah, I mean, who, who says that? Mm-hmm. So Anyway, he said, uh, well, what's going on? I said, well, and I tell him what's going on. I want to start a podcast, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, Danny, he listens to me for 30 minutes to an hour. And I've heard this and this. And he's like, yeah, right. He's uh, you know, YouTube's not really like that. And that's not really how we do it. And, you know, I don't know that you're, you're going to have to get a production company and blah, blah, blah. He goes, but you know what? What you really need to do is to see if people are even interested in you or your story or you're able to talk. You should come on my show, yeah. you know shameless yeah trying to get some content well i mean so as i told you offline the danny and concrete podcast is really good so people yeah. should definitely listen to it yeah he, but yeah i mean it turns out people do like listening to you <laughs> turns out i mean you're good at, at, at telling stories well anyway i by the time i got i couldn't do danny's podcast I was like i can't do it bro i'm in the halfway house so maybe i get out of the halfway house and a couple months go by so maybe two months three months go by and one day I get a phone call from Danny. He's like, bro, you're out of the halfway house, right? And I was like, because I told him I got out in July. It was like October, November. I'm like, right. He's like, listen, I had a guest fall through. I got nobody. I need you to come on. I answered all your questions. You know, I'd call them five, six times, you know. I asked, you said, and I was like, oh. I was like, I'll, I'll, fuck it, I'll do it. That video got like a 2 million views. Then I did Patrick Bet David flew me out. Then I did soft white underbelly, you know, then I did Vlad, then I did all, like people started and I'm sorry. And then, you know, it just blew up. And then people started asking me to come and, you know, talk for no reason, for, for which was crazy. But you were saying, I'm sorry. Is your dad still with us? No, he died uh, when I was in prison. He came to see me. Uh, yeah, he came to see me two or three times. When is the first time he found out that you were doing fraud? The first time I got in trouble. When you got the probation? Yeah, because I had, you know, I had to kind of explain that, you know, 
something's happening. I didn't want him to hear from anybody else. So you, so you talk to him directly about it. Super disappointed. Did he ever tell you he loves you after that? So I, after I got the 26 years and the government decided they weren't going to indict anybody. <laughs> and I really was like, wow, this is it. Like you're done. He came to see me, but just by himself. And I remember he, I remember when he came to see me, I, you know, he was by, it was by himself. Like he never came by himself. So I remember thinking my mom, something happened to my mom. And I, like, as soon as I walked in, you know, he walked in, I go, what happened? I go, where's mom? And he goes, oh, she's fine. She's fine. And he sat down with me and he said, uh, and I, I he said, uh, how, are, how are you doing? And I was like, I'm good. And he, and he was just like, you know, he was getting sick. He was getting older. So, you know, we talked for a little bit uh, just about the situation. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, well, what are you going to do? And I was like, you know, there's nothing I can do. Like everybody, I've, I've called multiple attorneys. I've talked to people. There's nothing I can do. And he was like, um, you know, we're gonna, you're going to figure it out. You know, he was, um, he said, you're clever and you're smart and you're going to, you're not going to do all of that time. And I was like, I'm done. It's over. I'm going to get out of here when I'm 60 if I behave myself. And if I don't, I'll be 64. And he was like, that's not going to happen. And uh, so he said, uh, I think that was the first time he, you know, I knew he was proud of me when I was making money, but he never said it. You know, you got the look like he was like impressed, but we were sitting there. And he said, I remember he said, because it's the only time I can ever remember him saying he was proud of me. And I remember he said, you're going to figure this out. He said, I'm not proud of where you ended up, but you've done amazing things. You know, he said, I, I wish you'd use your talents for something different, but you've done things that I could have never done. And you've led an amazing adventurous life and I'm proud of you. And that, you know, I wish he could see you now. My mom, uh, I know my mom saw me. My mom's funny because my mom came to see me. My mom's a gangster. Mm -hmm. My mom came to see me every two weeks for 13 years. She missed about a month and a half when she had a stroke and ended up in a wheelchair. And then she came in the wheelchair and she would make my brother bring, bring her. My brother and sister would be like, mom, are you sure you wanna go? Like, you know, it, it's, it's so hard to, it's such a long drive and you get so tired. Well, I'll sleep in the car. I know, but you know, uh, then you, we have to wait in that, that library, that the, you know, in that, um, the waiting area, you know, forever, and it takes forever. Well, I'm in the wheelchair, so I'm fine. Well, I know, but it's such a pain to get in and out, and then in and out. And she was like, she was, I'm going to see my son, and you're taking me. <laughs> I I mean, she, uh, yeah, so I, I, 
so she yeah she was uh she was something else and and uh i would say you know like if if i had to say you know i don't think about all the things i did to get out like i know you know there's all these guys that are you know like you know, oh, I wouldn't have done that. I'd have been a stand-up guy, and I'd have been well, good for fucking you, bro. I wanted to get out. I wanted out, and the icing on the cake of me getting out. And I, I would have cut every motherfucker's head in that prison off. I was able to get out just in time to spend. The last year and a half of my mother's life with her. I saw her two or three times a week, took her to dinner once a week, was able to go on walks with her in her wheelchair. I was sitting right next to her when she had her final stroke. I held her hand when she took her last breath. So if I have to be called a snitch the rest of my life, I don't give a fuck. Like, I I may not deserve more, but she deserved more. Do you regret? If you just look back, would you do it? Would you do any part of your life different? Oh, I'd scrap all this. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'd scrap all this to be, you know, you always hear these guys say, I wouldn't change it because it made me the man I am today. Oh, the man I am today is a fucking 54-year-old scumbag, multiple felons, starting my life over, broke, you know, living off of scraps, you know, trying to make YouTube work. Like, you know, I've got, you know, two dead parents. I'm divorced. I have a son that doesn't talk to me. I have a son that doesn't talk to me for good reason. Not because of a misunderstanding. Because he understands. Like I, he's, you can't even argue with him. He's got a powerful argument. Like I don't want to be a part of this guy's life. He's a scumbag. He stole money. He went on the run. He abandoned me when I was, you know, three years old. I don't want anything to do with him. Like, I, I get it. Like I, you know, and I tried to, I tried to, I've tried to do all the right things. You know, I wrote the letters. I, I, I drew them pictures. I've tried to call and it's not happening. Like I would do anything to go back and just be that regular middle-class guy with the two kids and the wife working a regular job. You know, I, I like, that's a good life. You know, those are, that's a good person. And, you know, I, I just made one arrogant decision after another, after another until it snowballed and I couldn't take it back. And then I did everything I could. And if, and if I wasn't the calculating, backstabbing, scumbag motherfucker that I can be, I'd be in prison right now. So, you know, so yeah, yeah, I would much rather be a CPA right now. I would much rather, 
you know, should have stuck with being an insurance adjuster or something. I mean, you know, I never should have whited that 30 day late out. Never. It was a mistake. That was your first mistake. That was a huge mistake. You think your son will forgive you? No. Unfortunately, according to my my ex-wife and my sister and everybody that he is a part of their lives, you know, and I've seen him, you know, my mother's funeral, I saw him, you know, I, I've seen him at several functions. You look across and he looks right through me. Uh, I think that he's, a. everybody says he's, a, he's just like you. He's just like you. And everybody says, I'm just like my dad. Um, I've never smoked a cigarette. I've never drank alcohol, not a drop, never done any drugs because my dad was an alcoholic and my dad smoked two packs a day and everything in our house reeked of nicotine and I've never smoked. And my dad was a, a pill head. He was, he was always on some kind of prescription medication. He was draw, you know, and I didn't want to, I don't want to, I didn't want to be that person. I, and I, like one day I drew a line in the sand and I wouldn't do it. And I think he's drawn a line in the sand and he's decided, you know, this is the hill I'm going to die on and I'm, I'm not going to back off it. And, he, and the thing is my ex-wife tells him this, he's a good person. You should be in his life. His, his father, because he was adopted when I was in prison, they adopted him. Uh, Nick is his, uh, you know, his, his dad. Uh, Nick has told him, Nick came to see me when I was in prison. You know, Nick has told him like, hey, you, this, you, this is a mistake. You're making a mistake. Nick, everybody that knows me knows him. And he said, he has said no. So I fully believe it's no. I mean, I hope it's not. Well, I hope he forgives you. I think there's a lot of good in you despite you calling yourself a scumbag over and over in this podcast. <laughs> it keeps bothering you. You mentioned that earlier. Um, what advice would you give to young people, given that you've lived quite a non-standard life? What advice would you give them how to live a life they can be proud of? I, I mean, it's, it's, if I'm in a position to, that anybody would listen to me, but I, because I, to me, and I don't have any advice that I don't think a father would give you. And it's like, work hard, be appreciative. I mean, things are so good out here. I hear people complain all the time. And I think a, a huge part of just being happy is being appreciative. Like I didn't appreciate anything. When I had, this is so cliche, but when I had all the money in the world, I was miserable. But when I got out with nothing, I was happier in prison with nothing than I was with two or three million dollars prior to prison and driving, dating a chick I was never should have been dating, driving a sports car, vacationing all over the world, miserable. I'm crying driving away from prison because I already missed my friends. You, you could have never told me that was going to happen. Turns out money, in fact, does not buy happiness. No, and I know, and it, it is such a cliche, right? But it's it's so true. Crying, driving away from prison, yeah. You know what? Um, I met my wife in the halfway house. So she had just gotten out of prison. She was in the halfway house with me. She just did five years for like a meth conspiracy. Mm -hmm. I never would have met her if I hadn't gone to prison. 
You know? And now your uh, date night is hunting alligators together. Yeah, we. Uh, that was that was that was like a month or so ago. This is Florida, night. folks. Date, what, this, yeah. is what, <laughs> this is what badass people do in Florida. My 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 wife hunting. is a former. She used to. So she was a military, an MP in the military. She was. She did. She hunted. She ran a hog hunting tour guide service right. for six years. Yeah. Went to prison for five years, got out, and then, you know, now she's a, a marine mechanic. And yeah, our date night the other night was uh, we went in the middle of the night, went to uh, Lake Okeechobee, and went hog. I went to alligator hunting. Yeah, and if I may say so, she's quite beautiful. So. Thank you. And, and I did. And I did nice. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't want to date me in the halfway house too. I, I kept saying, I, I feel like you're sweet on me. She's like, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. I, I make fun of guys like you. You're a city boy. I'm like, I don't know. I feel like. Well, you wore her down. <laughs> I, that's that's <laughs> what I, just what I, exactly what I did. Yeah, it's that charisma. It always works. Well, Matt, thank you for, for being so honest. Thank you for being who you are. I, I do think there's a lot of good in you. And thank you for telling your story and the story of others who have uh, who've made mistakes in their life. Thank you for talking today. I appreciate you having me on. That was a really short conversation <laughs> thanks for listening to this conversation with matthew cox to support this podcast please check out our sponsors in the description and now let me leave you with some words from mario puzo author of the godfather behind every successful fortune there's a crime thank you for listening and hope to see you next time